the Riddler then goes live on Instagram, which is very Gen Z of him. And also the comments that were scrolling up on the side were like, I was really positive. <laughs> a lot of heart emojis, a lot of smiley faces. I'm like, this is not the appropriate reaction for the situation. <laughs> and there was a comment from XXHushXX <laughs> saying, wonder if that's body armor. Think it'll save him from the blast? And I was like, there are layers to that. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh-huh. Also, Ooh. realistically, that Twitch chat would have had a lot more pogs in it, but, like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Riddler's, like, bagging right now. Like, the Riddle me this, the Batman. Forum. Why is it that 70% of you aren't subscribed? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Uh, it's really hard to riddle on an empty stomach, which is why this murder was brought to you by HelloFresh. Use code TRICKQUESTION for 30% off your first order. Hello and welcome to Movie Struck, a podcast about movies and the people who watch them. I'm your host, Sophia Ricciardi, and I am joined today by Red and Blue of Overly Sarcastic Productions. Red, Blue, welcome to the show. Two for the price of one, a very special deal just for you. <laughs> Act now, offer end soon. Uh, this is so exciting. I'm, I'm super jazzed to be here. This makes us... Both members of the Three Timers Club? Mm. Yeah, you guys are the only ones who have come on this podcast more than twice. Congratulations. Wow. We've established an elite club. Join us. Suck it, everybody else. <laughs> the rarefied oh, this, is, air. this is fun. <laughs> Excellent. And, you know, you're here. In the past, you guys have chosen some interesting movies for us to watch on this podcast. <laughs> uh, some of our most popular episodes and also some of the ones that have caused me the most mental anguish. But <laughs> yes. I think that we are here to try and break both of those records in a single show uh, because I only have one question for you both. And it's why did we watch The Batman from 2022? <laughs> Red, go ahead. Yes. Well, I watched The Batman because for completely unrelated reasons, I've been watching a whole bunch of Batman media in the weeks <laughs> leading up to that. Uh, I'd obviously been rewatching some of the cartoon, but I also went back and watched some of the like Michael Keaton Batman movies for the first, actually, I guess only the Michael Keaton ones because he got recast after the second one, right? Um, yeah. Uh, the older yeah. Batman. The older ones. The umbrella. silly, the Tim Burton ones, you know, the ones that are bad, but <laughs> also Schumacher. not. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, no, that's Batman and Robin. And it's, I have already seen that one. <laughs> it's all part of the same continuity. It doesn't, it, it doesn't matter. We're not talking about the Batman movies It doesn't matter, today. but yes, uh, I, was, uh, <laughs> oh I was interested because... I, I, I just watched one on a whim, and I was like, "Hmm, this is good in places, better than certain other movies I've seen superhero-wise in a lot of dimensions." How interesting! And I'd just been thinking about that stuff, and I'd also been sort of analyzing how Batman's portrayal in media had shifted in, through movies, and, and how like Michael Keaton's portrayal was actually kind of like interesting and probably a little more nuanced than people were expecting for a comedy actor. And then I saw the Batman pop up, and I was like. Well, obviously, now I have to watch the new gold standard for Batman Mm, movies. Um, Yes. Yes. And it has been a while, but I also watched the Nolan Batman trilogy, and I gotta say, doesn't hold up. Maybe we don't. Maybe we don't. (laughs) Maybe we don't gotta say. Well, the thing is, we don't (laughs) need to go into detail. Maybe we gotta say quickly. (laughs) We don't need to go into detail. It's just, you know, there's been a lot of Batman movies, and I don't really think any of them have been across the board good until now and that's very exciting yeah. so i the reason that i wanted to discuss this movie is because i have been a batman kid from about as soon as i could form memories uh i played a little you know, batman and robin with my dad uh you know playing pretend watched all the cartoons uh batman animated justice league batman beyond loved them all to death wow. uh he was my favorite superhero uh even even more than spider-man 
that, that twig bitch. Uh, <laughs> Which is why Terry um, McGinnis so, is the ideal best of both worlds. <laughs> Batman and Spider-Man. Exactly. Um, that's why I really like that show. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I always loved Batman so much. When I was young, I wanted a Batman tattoo. And my mom was like, are you going to want a Batman tattoo in 20 years? And I was like, <laughs> no, you're right. And the answer is yes, I would have. But I didn't know that back then. Um, oh, and, time. And I, I enjoyed the Nolan movies. I came to them late. And I'm like, these are, these are cool Something's missing though. I don't know what I'm not getting out of these, but it's like because I like I didn't watch any of them until after the Dark Knight. Um, so when I heard and like I, Bad Fleck was okay. I, I think he gave a good performance. Given oh God, the I forgot about those ones. Also, but those movies, when yes. when I heard the news that Robert Pattinson was cast as Batman, oh, the first thing that I saw online was a lot of people cracking Twilight jokes, and I went on. I don't know if I wanted the record on the channel, but to my friends, I was like, no, 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 no. You guys got to give him a chance. <laughs> yeah. this, this could be really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I that think was you and I had like very similar reactions to hearing the Battinson yeah. news, which was like, oh, wait, this is the perfect opportunity to get back to what makes Batman movies really yeah. enjoyable, which is, for so, me, has always been like the campier elements and a little bit less yeah. of like the macho militarism. Yeah. So, and once so we I saw the shot of him with the guy liner, like oh, yeah. streaky and messy, we'll, we'll I was there. like, we'll oh, there. this is perfect. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I followed the movie, like the, the production at a distance. Um, and very excited to watch the, the first trailer and didn't watch any other trailers until the movie came out. I'm rarely that mm. disciplined. Um, but I I saw this movie. It was my first movie in theaters post-COVID. The last movie that I'd seen in theaters was Star Wars Episode Nine, which I told myself was not allowed to be how I died. And then COVID happened, so that really uh, upped the ante. Um, but seeing this movie in theaters is probably, like, up there for one of my, like, most favorite, like, theater-going experiences just because it was such a wonderful time for all the reasons that we'll discuss. But this was, it, it, you know, Batman's been very important to me for a very long time. And the confluence of factors led to this being a, a really, really exceptionally mm-hmm. enjoyable movie-going experience that I, I will, will treasure for a good long while. Yeah, yeah. I'm interested to hear all of your ongoing thoughts on like how to make a perfect Batman movie because I, for Ooh. me, growing up, Batman meant the 1966 Adam West movie. Uh, because that was my dad's favorite, and that's what we watched as a kid. Anyone who's heard the Speed Racer episode of this podcast knows that a lot of my media opinions are strongly formed by what Louis Ricciardi listens to, <laughs> listens to and or watches. Um, <laughs> so for me, Batman always had this element of like fun and camp to it, more so than like the darkness. And I think that's something that this movie does exceptionally, exceptionally well, and we'll get to it when we get to it, because there's a lot to cover in three hours, is combining that like old school campy flair with kind of new movie going design sensibilities. Yeah. Um, but we can't talk about that without examples. So I suppose we should jump in <laughs> to the plot of 2022's The Batman. <laughs> Fine. Or I could talk about all the other Batman movies to date in order. No, <laughs> do that on <laughs> no, your own no, no. company time, Red. <laughs> all right, when I hijack like the channel, little... <laughs> that'll be the first to do. Red, you and I can stay on for like 20 minutes after this and just like run down a list on Wikipedia and be like one sentence <laughs> thoughts. <laughs> Patron bonus. Uh, (laughs) So so this this movie opens on Ave Maria playing lightly in the background alongside some heavy breathing. And as we go into binocular vision, watching like a voyeur as a a young boy in a very fancy gothic looking house in costume play fights in a window with his dad, Muck killing him with a katana. We cut from this vision into the interior of the mansion where the dad, now alone, watches TV as the news report on the mayoral debate where the dad on screen and apparently the current mayor of the city of Gotham debates uh, with his young opponent about the Gotham renewal program. Uh, He's the incumbent mayor campaigning for his re-election 
And before that scene started, was I the only one who assumed that we were seeing young Bruce Wayne the night his family was killed? 100% thought it was young Bruce yeah. Wayne. Okay. Yeah, it, okay. Was, it was a deliberate misdirect, I <laughs> yeah. think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I also, I like. Which is clever. I like how when we've got, you know, when we're seeing through, as it turns out to be the Riddler's eyes, I mm-hmm. love how this movie uses a lot of unclear POVs. Like, yeah. pretty much whenever it looks like the camera is probably behind someone's eyes, it's going to be an important character, but they often keep you guessing who that character is. And this is mm-hmm. the first time we see that, and it's also the first scene in the movie, and it's a great lead into what tone they're setting for the rest of the movie. The the, the possible Bruce Wayne, like, you know, young Bruce Wayne fake-out um, ends up actually being relevant later on as as the, the young kid becomes kind of a stand-in for young Bruce. But yeah. that's, yeah. that's emotional yeah. weight that we'll get to in a sec. So, so lots uh, of good planting uh, in this very first scene. <laughs> yeah, it, there there is a lot that is done in the first like 10-15 minutes of this movie with the Riddler introduction, the Gotham mm-hmm. introduction, and the Batman introduction, and that trifecta between, admittedly it's in two scenes, but um, the, the glue is like Gotham, and on one side you have the Riddler, and the other side you have Batman, is there's so much that's done so well in this intro, so so Sophia, continue. <laughs> Just to make sure everyone knows, I have a lot of notes oh <laughs> that we'll be getting through. Oh, <laughs> it's okay. I don't have a lot of notes. I figured. It's- it's fine. What's a long episode every now and then? So a, a call draws his attention away from the TV as he starts to pace the room and talk, you know, big businessman words about, oh, no, we got to take the young, young upstart going to come for my campaign, yada, yada, yada. Um, but as he paces back and forth and crosses frame, a figure all in black appears in the darkness behind him and just stands watching him pace around the room without the mayor noticing. And it is so creepy. <laughs> Riddler's outfit, though, it's like it's some kind of like polished leather or waterproof material, which is loud as fuck. So he's got to be like barely breathing because otherwise he'll be like squeak whenever he moves. (laughs) Yeah. So to spoiler alert, that's the Riddler. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I get that reveal for a little bit in the movie. But like if you have any foreknowledge of who the villain of the movie is going into it, you can kind of take a wild guess in the dark because it clearly does not look yeah. like Batman so it's like well this is probably a bad guy then I don't know how I feel about this Riddler costume Batman <laughs> off <to> the mayor <laughs> what a twist <laughs> I like this Riddler in what he does in the first half of the movie and how he kind of like ties into some parts of it but there is a certain part of me that's like I just wish he was a little bit more there was a little bit more of the like traditional Riddler going on here. Some, something was missing for me with this. I think it's more about the costume choice and a little bit of like Paul mm-hmm. Dano's acting that led me to this conclusion. And But I, don't, I'm, well, I, I go think- back and forth on how I feel about it sometimes. I mean, I'm sure it was a deliberate design choice. Uh, There's a deleted scene where Batman is talking to the Joker about who this guy is, and Joker says he's a nobody who wants to be somebody. And that's very Mm -hmm. clearly, like, the core of his character is that this guy is not charismatic, he's not strong, he's fairly smart, but honestly, a lot of those riddles are kind of cheating. We'll get to that. Um, But he's just, he's got nothing that would really let him stand out. And I think Mm -hmm. the fact that his performance reflects that, and he's just a weirdo, kind of like, actually benefits i I think it works for what they were trying to set Mm -hmm. up it's a deliberate choice but i just like wish like in the design there were a few elements that did even if they play because like i think his glasses are a great way to kind of play into that idea while still making him visually distinct i just feel like Mm -hmm. the hooded outfit thing was a little too zodiac and not quite enough of like let's define this character as like a character in this universe even if he himself sees himself as like one of many uh, I just think there were ways to go about it that made him more visually interesting in the movie, more so than, like, yeah. contrasting his yeah. character. I think, I think characterization-wise, like, they did a like, good job. Yeah, from a Batman, like, rogues gallery perspective, what is missing from the Riddler is that he is not enough of a diva, because <laughs> the Riddler in most other Batman media is absolutely, like, 
prime, you know, big bitch mm. diva energy. Oh, yeah. The, the line from Arkham Knight where it's like, I cannot believe that you are Bruce Wayne. I will refuse to accept that I've been bested by some trust fund hobbyist. <laughs> you know, it's like that's the kind of Riddler energy that a lot of people would be expecting. And this mm. movie does a very good job of dispelling that immediately. Like, there's no ambiguity about what kind of Riddler we're getting here. Like, yeah. this guy is a stone-cold... Serial Pretty, like, mm-hmm. you know, out there um, maniac. <laughs> I think he's very interesting, but I admit that a lot of the fun of Batman villains is how ridiculous they are. I mean, mm-hmm. like, a lot of the other characters in this movie had that level of panache. Penguin. Penguin. Catwoman, for oh, crying yeah. out loud. They both had levels of energy where it's like, all right, they got the quips, they got the energy, they're going to be great as this universe presumably builds out. Mm-hmm. Riddler was definitely the weak link, but I think that's purposeful. And uh, not to not to spoil, but there's a bit at the very end where it's like, oh, pretty rude of him to upstage you on your big day. And it's like, that's the story of this Riddler's life, isn't it? He's mm. never going to be the main attraction, <laughs> even in his own supervillain <laughs> plot. So as the uh, incumbent mayor flicks off the TV and takes one last drink, the masked figure goes on the attack from behind him, bashing in his head with an object of a blunt metal object as of yet unidentified. Uh, and he goes from silently watching creepily to being like full violent rage. It's a very quick heel turn. And this is one of the moments where Paul Dano's acting works better, but it's also one of the moments where he's not talking. So I don't know what that really says about his performance. Ave Maria, much creepier now, kicks in again as the murderer, the Riddler, begins taping up the mayor to what end we have yet to see. Cut to black. Duct tape Pattinson never sounded video. so horrifying. It was super <laughs> creepy. And his like, the body language during The creepiness of this it. scene is terrifying. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, this is the sure. beginning of the movie. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely a very good physical actor because you can tell in like the way that he clearly very much enjoys killing. Not even mm-hmm. like killing, but having killed mm-hmm. is where he seems to be having the most fun in this process. Like after he's dead, it's like okay, now I can play. Yeah. Like now yeah, I can take out the duct tape like... and just go nuts. <laughs> revenance in the way that he's like acting his physically the way Paul Dano is like moving as he unrolls the duct tape and everything that is communicating that very clearly I want to say I'm probably going to be a little shady to Paul Dano in this movie it's he's a perfectly good actor I just think (laughs) out of all the performances in this film he's probably the weak link that's fair (laughs) Um, but physically he's never his fault it's when Riller starts talking that you start to lose some of that inherent um creepiness and joy in killing it seems to me that the vibe, now that we know, like, you know, watching the movie again, in hindsight, mm-hmm. knowing what he's thinking, I feel like the reason why he kind of has that, like, all right, the hard part's out of the way, now I can have some fun, is because mm-hmm. this is the first time he's ever killed slash exerted any power over the course of his own life. And seeing mm-hmm. as his his fundamental motivation is so much about feeling helpless and broken in a system that's done very bad things to him, being able to just one-shot the mayor and then play with his corpse, like... I I think that he would have a lot of fun with that. And I feel like it would be a very validating experience for him to kind of prove to himself, like, wow, I really can do anything I set my mind to. I just cool. feel so seen in this moment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and as sort of the, the musical cue to indicate him, uh, Ave Maria sort of like mm. follows him throughout the movie. We'll see more of that later. But I on this note... Series. We cut to black and we hear the voice of Robert Pattinson himself kick in to read us some dramatic slam poetry as another great introduction to Batman plays in the background. <laughs> it's uh, it's very Watchmen. It has big Rorschach's yeah. journal energy. Big, uh, big Watchmen energy. And, and it's a very encouraging Batman voice, I gotta say. Yeah. It's not too silly, which is good because yeah. it's the voice he uses for most of the movie. So it's like... 
It's it's low and resonant, but it doesn't seem like he's putting on an air, which no. is a problem I've had with every other Batman ever. A lot of <laughs> like, other modern Batmans do like yeah. a rasp instead of mm. trying to actually make their voice have weight. It's yeah. sort of just like, if I talk like this, everyone will think I'm Batman instead of trying really hard to actually <laughs> create a character voice. And I'm like, okay. It's it's a fundamentally bad sign when the voice that you do to scare people becomes an internet punchline for two yeah. decades afterwards. Swear to me. Harvey yeah. Dent. <laughs> I think that, Can we trust him? I keep calling it Pattinson. <laughs> Pattinson keeps it fairly, like grounded and natural instead of going for like a like almost like a cartoon character voice and i think that really works here because this batman feels like he belongs in this universe and his voice yeah. feels like just the voice that he would it's have just, not like great scary I'm making a it's just a regular ass scary yeah. voice it's yeah. like good it's like how kevin conroy plays bruce wayne versus batman he doesn't mm-hmm. put on a silly voice it's just bruce wayne has kind of a light airy tone and batman has a very serious low one and rather yes. than you know that's not the same thing as doing like a cartoon scary voice <laughs> that's why kevin conroy's best batman and battinson is a close <laughs> second at this point <laughs> give him time give battinson time he's, he's got a lot time. of cat- no exactly i, I think i think <laughs> kevin conroy's a lot pilot we'll episode wasn't the best either i'm just I mean, saying kevin conroy has had the pleasure of playing batman for decades <laughs> so he's had a lot of time but yeah anyway anyway, um, anyway. <laughs> Yeah. It's raining, as it always does in Gotham, which is a choice that I personally loved. Uh, it's very yes. film noir of them, which just helps with the whole overall tone setting. And also, it's very funny that everyone is constantly damp in this movie. It just makes everything <laughs> a little bit sillier, and I appreciate that. It's Halloween Pneumonia in Gotham City. is the leading cause of death in Gotham after crime. Yes! Everyone says Gotham is New York, but we all know it's Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, do, you, do either of you guys know where they shot this movie? They shot it in a few places. That doesn't um, a lot me. of the establishing shots um, are Chicago. A lot of really? the close-ups were Glasgow, right? What? I think so. Yeah, a it lot has, of it was very, London and Glasgow. The, the street layouts and like street level stuff was very like UK kind of style of pavement yeah. and city planning. But then the yeah. wide shots, I was like, that looks like New York or Chicago. So I was having a lot of fun trying to play. Where is this? <laughs> yeah, I, this I remember having looked on? it up after I saw the movie, and there was a lot of like different teams that were working for a long time like Mm -hmm. even after like the principal like shooting was done like um you know they spend like two weeks on location in in you know london or whatever and then teams there for like months and months and months like getting the rest of the stuff they need to to make the the shots but yeah um a lot of the like civic buildings and stuff are glasgow because scotland's just like loaded up with gothic looking architecture (laughs) scotland just looks like (laughs) just looks like that naturally yeah like like the l train you know is is like classic chicago but a lot of the like building to building stuff is is straight Glasgow. So I saw a tweet which is like on Scottish Twitter, like, man, people are talking about how like disgusting and like awful that Gotham <laughs> looks like. That's just Glasgow, you ass. <laughs> and it's interesting because we see a few like helicopter shots from the air, and it's clear from that perspective that Gotham is New York. Uh, and they mention a seawall later in the movie, and it's yeah. like, oh, mm-hmm. so it's just it's it's New York. Okay, cool. But like. You know, just because coastally or, or like from a wide shot, you can tell it's New York doesn't mean that they have to stick with New York buildings. Right. And the, the aesthetic they make for Gotham is really good in this movie. Yeah. It's yeah. very coherent. It's very coherent and also somehow very unique, despite kind of just trying to be like a New York alike. There's a certain, um, oh, what's the word? Not grittiness. 
but uh, well, yes, grittiness. <laughs> well, yes, grit- yes, it's a very gritty looking city. Um, but there's like a, a layer. There's layers to it in a way that is yeah. very hard mm-hmm. to build up artificially. But they manage to do by splicing together all these different cities in a very interesting way. And then also yeah. everything's always raining, so it's hard to make out yeah. details. Everything's always raining. And one of the things that we see, like <laughs> Sophia, to your point, like everything has layers. Like yeah. the iceberg lounge is only like the like over club, and then there's the, the forty below, the which is like so the real club. Uh, I cannot but, wait for Mr. Freeze to show up and obviously take control of the Iceberg Lounge and the 40 <laughs> Below Club. so bad. But, but, we'll uh, talk what at the end that, about what yeah. villains we want to yeah. see in the sequel. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get the, there. <laughs> the thing that they really nail with this movie um, tonally as well is the vast disconnect between private splendor and public squalor. Mm-hmm. So the spaces that are common to the citizens of Gotham are just disgusting. Like, trash is never cleaned up. Everything's gross. The trains are, you know, uh, trains look like a regular subway. What are you going to do? Yeah, that's crazy. Um, <laughs> but, like, everything that is built, you know, for people who have wealth or for arms of power is extremely beautiful and well-kept. Like, the mayor's mm-hmm. house is gorgeous. Yeah. Batman basically lives in, like, Chicago's gothic skyscraper, the Tribune Tower, you know, for Christ's <laughs> sake. So Ideal. there's so much of a... Of a visible strata of of where the wealth is and where everybody else is in that split mm-hmm. where you know people who are in the you know the iceberg lounge can look out through their beautiful you know penthouse windows whatever and then just out to this disgusting city street outside of them um there's always that juxtaposition and it's very well done mm-hmm. What's interesting, too, is that not to immediately compare this to other Batman movies, which I said I wouldn't do so much, um, but (laughs) if you look at, like, the Tim Burton Batman movies, the aesthetic Mm -hmm. they give Gotham, it's very camp, and it looks kind of like a theater set. It doesn't really look like a real lived-in city. That's where you get, like, the huge Art Deco statues just randomly around the city. It's a great design choice. It makes no sense, but it's very Mm -hmm. cool, and it fits the aesthetic of the movies. Then when Joel Schumacher got a hold of it, he took the same thing and cranked the saturation way up. So you get yes, like we all remember UV when in Batman and paint. Robin they drive the Batbike yeah. off of a ramp that is just built into the side of the building for some reason. Yeah, and it's also a statue, as I recall. And yes. you got the the UV <laughs> rave club like gangbangers on motorcycles makes no sense. And then you get the Nolan trilogy, which is so grounded, it's literally just Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> like, come on, they, they put and or a little. Pittsburgh. They put a little I, G I over Pittsburgh the was CTA. The first two movies so, were Chicago. Yeah, very much so. And that's all well and good. But it doesn't really make... Well, again, those are movies that feel embarrassed to be superhero movies. So mm-hmm. it's like, we're going to ground this in the most realistic setting we can. We're going to focus as much as we can on realistic threats. We're not going to have any superpowers. We're going to justify out the ass every single reason Batman has a silly costume on. And then by the time the third movie, when Nolan was like, wait, these comic books are actually kind of fun and started putting more of it into the movies a little late to save the aesthetic... This is a movie that does not feel like it's set in the real world, but does feel tangible. You know, it doesn't mm-hmm. feel kind of floaty and weird like the Tim Burton aesthetic, which is just ridiculous. And it doesn't feel so realistic it turns around to be boring like the Nolan movies. It feels like a real tangible location that is not anywhere yeah. you can find in reality. In a lot of ways, it reminds me of like your classic uh, kind of like 80s, 90s cyberpunk movie settings, mm. like your Blade Runners. It, it's got a Blade lot of Runner. the same kind of vibes, same level of like disparity between what's grimy and just general common use spaces and like blue, like you're mentioning, the nicer private locations and the constant rain is the noir influences. It, it's a very oh, yeah. um, familiar setting in some ways, which I think helps it be that physical, real, touchable yeah. 
point for audiences to connect with and still serves the story it's telling in yeah. an interesting way. And I, I think the gothic choice specifically is probably one of the best that they could have done. Oh, after yeah. the, like Batman and Deco is a very established connection, but like yeah. Batman and gothic works for this version of Gotham because the implication that like gothic is a very old style of, of architecture. And even though there are older styles, gothic tends to look older than anything else. Yeah. Uh, so it really mm-hmm. sells the sense that like Gotham has been this way for a long time. Yeah. Like these are old power structures, old institutions, old sources of family wealth yeah. that just go back mm-hmm. and like no one else has had a chance for decades or has to, you know, longer. <laughs> it's like a modern city got taken over by like gothic architecture von Neumann machines that just like ate everything <laughs> and rebuilt it with more like buttresses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. But anyway, um, I don't want to make this uh, blues architecture. <laughs> so. No, it's good. We got this where we see <laughs> a lot of our establishing <laughs> shots of the city as we're getting our initial narration. This is our introduction to not only the character who we're going to be following as POV, but also uh, the location which we're going to be inhabiting. Batman continues to narrate, talking about evil lurking in the dark. Uh, and we see shots of different kinds of crimes happening, a holdup at the corner store, graffiti on a bank, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There's some goons on a subway who look like they're going to jump somebody. And as this are narration... Those guys, are those goons, are they not just jokers from Batman Beyond? Uh, like, I mean, yes. they, it doesn't really make sense. It's just, well, spoiler alert, Joker's already in Arkham, so he could have already inspired followers it's just it was an interesting design choice that immediately endeared me to the movie because i was like oh hell yeah <laughs> it's like that one scene from the cartoon i like but yeah. it was just interesting you know i don't know it's mm. uh it's not clear which i get it's good I, I like that there's there's even the implication of like gang factionality mm-hmm. where you know you've got these guys you've got the the drop heads i think they're called yeah they the can't guys. call it crack but it's basically crack yeah the little like little little, little like fruit roll up like Sticker yeah. drugs. The that movie you put on also your and you justifies this as being like it's Halloween, so everyone's in costume. Like the guy who's robbing yeah. the corner store is wearing like a crazy gourd mask of some kind. It's, so it's, it's possible that it's just it's like, a drug. Yeah, he's a drug. Drugs. Yeah, yeah. So I assume though. they're using this as like a little opportunity to do some callbacks to other design choices that have been made. Possibly. But they're maybe Probably, justifying yeah. it in this universe under the guise of well, it's Halloween. Yeah. I feel like this movie has a lot of callbacks, probably more than it either or any of us picked up on. Oh, but, I mean, there's a lot of love put into this movie for yeah. all things Batman. Yeah. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if they were like, let's put in some Jokers from Batman Beyond. People will get a kick out of it, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I did. I saw it. I appreciated it. <laughs> uh, we learned it's been two years since Bruce Wayne started Batmaning. Uh, and he's, you know, selective about his targets. He has to be. He can't stop. Be everywhere all at once. But as he's sort of explaining this and the small time crime is happening, the bat signal flashes on as the narration continues. Because just as Batman can't be everywhere at w- all at once, none of the criminals can know where he is at any given moment. And neither do we, the audience. Which of these crimes yeah. is he Pan going Optican. to stop? A good a good moment to put the audience in the uh, in the criminal's shoes for a second. Be like, mm-hmm. where's he going to be? Where's he going to go? Yep. Which of these three <laughs> options is he going to enter? Yes. In. Is yeah. he going to intervene yeah. in the corner store robbery, which that robber sees the bat signal and immediately starts running after almost getting hit by a cab? Uh, is mm. he going to hit up the bank robber slash graffiti artist who I think light a fire and then start fleeing when a, a helicopter shows up? Or is he going to go to the thugs on the subway who are following an unassuming man to probably, I don't know, jump him, beat him up? One member of said thugs has their face only half painted and they seem hesitant. Maybe a new initiate into this gang. <laughs> that guy played uh, Tim Drake in another piece of media, by the way. He, he really? Was he tweeted him. about it. He was like, what Gotham <laughs> does to you. <ya." laughs> so... <God. laughs> 
In-fucking-credible. Uh, but yeah. we are, as the audience, get the answer as to which crime Batman will stop here as we spend more time with these goons. As, as they corner their unfortunate victim, out of the darkness we hear very intentional, heavy footfalls. And slowly out of the shadows emerges Batman. The thugs this laugh. Saved- <laughs> oh, it's oh. We'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> Save the reluctant uh, thug. They kind of start taunting him. The hell are you supposed to be? And of course, Batman takes a moment to beat up the taunter before replying in the moment that has been memed to infamy on Twitter. Uh, I'm vengeance. I'm vengeance. Yeah. I, I, will, I will say two things. Um, yep. One, it's this uh, scene. if you look at any behind the scenes clip and you see the little clapperboard they use for the Batman, the mm-hmm. shooting title of the movie was vengeance hey. so the joke being that you know like everyone calls batman vengeance in this movie so even the movie called the batman is called vengeance, vengeance. which is like Mwah. That's but great. um from a martial arts um uh perspective on the the fight scene i really like the way that that batman fights and in this first encounter um there's obviously more uh mm-hmm. later but this first encounter is so well done because even though batman gives off the air of like He's an insane fighter. He goes feral on people. Like, he's being extremely tactical. So the guy Mm -hmm. comes to swing at him. He blocks the first attack, grabs the arm, and then a couple punches to the face, breaks the arm, and the fight's, like, done at that point. Yeah, you can't fight with a broken arm that your opponent has hold of. (laughs) You're screwed. Yeah, so Batman doesn't strike first. He catches, neutralizes breaks the arm and then he just goes like again 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 punching 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 knocking this guy into the ground to terrify the other like 12 people Mm -hmm. so he know that he can you know go like batfleck and just beat everybody up and crack their skulls in or whatever but he knows that he can't he can't be everywhere at once he can't fight everyone at once so what he does is he's extremely precise with where he is and where he goes so Mm -hmm. when he fights that first guy Everybody else in the gang, even if they still go to fight him, is, like, off their rhythm. (laughs) They gotta knock him off his rhythm. Uh, Because they're (laughs) terrified of the way that Batman fights. Because he goes over the top to sell this notion that he is a feral fighter, even if he's still being extremely tactical. So there's a lot to unpack, like, martial arts-wise. This Batman's a very good fighter. So this is the show-don't-tell equivalent of, I want you to tell all your friends about me. <laughs> this right. is the, Yeah, uh, basically. Yeah. This yeah. scene um, is doing a lot of the legwork like, in establishing the vibe at the start of this movie of what what kind of Batman we're seeing, because this is as much an origin story as any other first Batman movie, although I think it is a much better done origin story than a lot of other Batman <laughs> movies. <laughs> I wanted to talk about, just really quick, the design of this Batsuit, because oh, it's please. incredible. It's, first so of all... The first bat suit where it looks like he can turn his head. That's a huge <laughs> bonus. Um, it's yeah. got it's got this little collared armor like thing Collar's around the genius. base of it. And mm-hmm. that means that while the rest of his neck is covered in some kind of substance, it's not the same single unit as his shoulder plate and helmet, which means he can actually turn his head. And more importantly, it looks like he can turn his head. Right. When it comes to something like this, especially for like movie costume design, it doesn't need to be functional. It just needs to look like it's functional. Mm-hmm. And this looks incredibly functional. And also, during various fights, we see that this bat, this bat suit is extremely bulletproof. And yes. one of the ways that this Batman inspires the terror he needs in the criminal element is by just taking shots and not slowing down. 
It's nope. terrifying. You literally just can't stop him. The only thing that slows him down is a point-blank shotgun blast, and he does mm. walk that off later. So, like, <laughs> this Batman is extremely sturdy, yeah. and that's a great design choice. And just the way that the, the cowl is shaped kind of really accentuates Robert Pattinson's natural face shape. He's yeah. got very defined cheekbones and jawline, and the way that the cowl is shaped kind of shows that off in a way that makes, it produces this overall image that he's very lithe and very fast. Mm-hmm. Even though yeah. he's walking around in mil-spec armor, it, it actually really works. And a lot of that is because they took what he already had, aka Robert Pattinson's natural skull shape, and they, mm-hmm. they accentuated it with the shape of the cowl, which I think covers less of his face than some other Batman helmets do. Like, it's it not as it, in on the cheeks. it goes back yeah. further, yeah. Right, because that means you get the whole arc of the jawline. It's yeah, a lot of very, like, jaw. there was a lot of art and love put into this design, and I feel like they started designing this as soon as they knew it was going to be Battenson, and they were like, oh, we gotta play off his best features. Yeah. <laughs> so, let's, shout let's out to that guy. I see you. Bones. We know what we need to do. I do like how yep. this suit also feels like a bat suit in terms of like there's the the bat sim- symbol, the prevalence of the ears, the shape of the cape. Like there are the key elements you're looking for to identify like I'm looking at Batman and not just a man in military armor. Um, yes. Which is it's, so critical when you're designing a character who is as much of a comic book character as Batman is. Like there's it's so easy to tip too closely into generic man in black suit fighting crime and not man in bat suit fighting crime mm-hmm. and that, that distinction is very important uh so i also love the boots and i love yes. that he aesthetically fits the environment and the people he's dealing with like mm-hmm. he yeah. stands out in any room he's in but he doesn't look like he belongs in a completely different environment which is a problem yeah. that a lot of batman media has struggled with is mm-hmm. that batman by his nature does not really look like anybody else you can make him fit the overall aesthetic and vibe but a lot of people don't or can't figure yeah. out how to so. The materials of the suit are right for the place in which they would have come from, and that does a lot to keep him from looking like he belongs in a different universe. But, you know, Batman, in his excellently designed suit and with Robert Pattinson's jaw, uh, handily wins this fight, uh, <laughs> leaving <laughs> as the, the thugs uh, all run off, leaving behind their reluctant member who scampers off, asking him not to hurt him, and uh, the man they were just beating up who was equally as afraid of Batman mm-hmm. as the thugs yeah. were, which was which is important. It is. It's very important. I actually when I was watching this, I was like the the phrase that jumped into my head that I was expecting Batman to say was, No one's gonna hurt you, because that is the kind of thing that mm-hmm. like Batman animated Kevin Conroy's Batman would say. Mm-hmm. But the the fact that he doesn't say he doesn't even know what to say to this guy yeah. who's like, please don't hurt me. That Batman, like, you see the, the, the confusion on his face for a little bit, and that is very telling for, for where this Batman is starting, that he's clearly yeah, very I good at his job, but something's missing. Something's it's missing. important that he starts here unable to comfort the citizen of Gotham, yeah. because yes. by the end of the movie, we will see a reversal of this and him come into his own as a protector of the city, but this scene yeah. does a lot to establish where Batman is at, and importantly, what flaws he has, despite having the whole, like, being able to punch the bad guy thing pretty yeah. down at this point. What I love about this specific interval of time and what what this movie sets out to do is mm-hmm. that when you initially watch it, you're like, this isn't an origin movie. He's already been Batman for two years. And then you're like, oh, no. Okay, I see what this is. He's basically half of what he needs to be. Yeah. Yeah. He's got half of it down. And what I think they're doing with this movie is that he knows how to be Batman. He has no idea how to be Bruce Wayne. Mm. That's what I think is this, this movie is the origin for. If you look at all the things they're planting, like... 
hey, well, Mr. Wayne, you should be using your money to help the city. Mr. Wayne has no idea how to act in public. Mr. Wayne looks terrified every time he's outside the suit. He knows how to be Batman. He understands Batman. He knows mm -hmm. what Batman is for. And he's only dealing with half of his job. He's punishing the criminal element. He's not helping the people the criminal element victimizes. He has no idea what to do to help the guy. He's like, I stopped them from beating him up. My work here is done. That's not Batman yet. That's I, vengeance. I, I think that's fair. But even still, I mean, we'll, we'll see a lot of what... It's not even like, oh, like Bruce Wayne will come into his own, but like what Batman means changes over the course of the right. movie. Sorry, so that's, I think yes. there's 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 two things that are missing. One mm -hmm. is that Bruce Wayne is is incomplete and is is not a useful piece of the equation beyond like mm -hmm. Bruce Wayne could be a different guy and it doesn't affect, you know, exactly. uh, like him being yeah. a billionaire has no bearing on Batman's ability to do things. Um but also, like, Batman only represents fear. He only represents vengeance at this point, And that results in even the citizens of Gotham being like, don't, don't, don't punch me. <laughs> what I mean is that uh, Batman and Bruce Wayne are never actually all that separate. It's generally understood that Bruce Wayne is the facade, Batman is the real person. But, like, yeah. Bruce Wayne is an important facade. He provides mm -hmm. an important half of the equation. He, he is the part of Batman that has real human contact with people that has perspective that has the ability to play by the rules it, it's the um it's the daredevil matt murdoch dichotomy it's like this is the right. half of me that plays by the rules this is the half of me that takes over when that doesn't work bruce wayne needs to exist because he is the part of batman that keeps him grounded essentially that that keeps him focusing on the real human people rather than just the monsters he fights. Mm -hmm. And I think that this version of Batman is so mired in self-destruction at the start of the movie, very, very overtly, he has no idea what the long-term goal is. He doesn't even know if he's helping, but he feels he absolutely has to. Being Batman is a compulsion right now, and he doesn't know if it's actually doing any good, but he has to do it because he's yeah. driven by so much rage and vengeance. Right now, I think it's important that when he introduces himself, he says, I'm vengeance, not I'm Batman. Yeah. It is a Batman mm -hmm. origin movie, but he's not actually quite Batman yet. He hasn't figured out the other half of making Gotham a better place. It's not just getting rid of the bad stuff. It's also elevating and helping and supporting the good stuff. Mm -hmm. So I'm very excited for this movie. I think it worked really well. <laughs> yeah, no. It, yeah. Good job. Um, but as Batman finishes his... A beat up fest and moment of confusion with the man he catches a glimpse of the bat signal which was apparently not for these thugs as we cut to the mansion once more which makes sense when you think about it for about five seconds because why would anyone light up the bat signal for a crime that they could have no way of knowing was going to happen and not for the grisly murder of a <laughs> local politician that at this point is a known quantity. Gordon leads Batman through the halls lined with cops who are clearly uncertain of why he is there and dis uncomfortable with his presence, but no one uh, overtly tries to stop him as Gordon insists on Batman's uh, accompaniment. At the scene of the crime, the mayor is placed in a chair, head completely covered in duct tape with no more lies scrawled on top. Uh, Bats asks for the 411 on the situation, and though reluctant, the detective on call fills him in. Classic murder stuff, hit on the head, what we saw in that opening scene. Uh, but new additions to this crime scene include a severed thumb, note that for later, taken <laughs> while he was alive to explain why there's so much blood around. Uh, a detail that Bat catches, which I love that they brought the detective element of Batman out and yes. they do mm. so here immediately after establishing so the smart. the awesome. crime fighter element because he c catches on to a detail about like some way that the blood dried that explains like how the thumb was he knows the thumb was taken when he's alive he and just Moses. having that little line in there and then the subsequent investigative elements in the rest of the movie really help yeah. show that like this is a smart bat 
he is a crime solver in addition to a crime fighter and he's going to take on that world's greatest detective element that gets so often gets dropped in batman movies and the amount of like yeah. raw excitement i had when i saw this in theaters for the first time and they did this i was like <sighs> yeah <laughs> it's it's so good that we actually get to see batman like think yes. he's not just like a He's dumb not just a big box that like, punches people. Yeah, you don't just point him in the direction of the Joker and say go punch. Like he's actually yeah. going to actively work to investigate the crimes that are happening yeah. and things aren't just happening to him. He's reacting to the universe that he's placed into and I think that, that is a great way to motivate the story of this movie. I like that at this point in his development, he has all the necessary skills to be proper mm-hmm. Batman including mm-hmm. his smarts, his detective work, his tactical planning. As you pointed out, the, even the fight choreography highlights that everything he does is very purposeful and confident. And that's something I really like about this scene is that he is very purposeful and very comfortable as Batman. Mm-hmm. And we will see later, this does not apply when he has to be Bruce Wayne. Yeah. That yeah. was where I realized what this movie was for. <laughs> yeah, I do love the implication that like this, this Bruce, this Batman is like, yeah, I can punch the bad guys. And I can solve the crimes. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like, I can do the detective work. I don't know why everybody hates me still. (laughs) Why why don't they like me? I'm a giant (laughs) hulking monster who breaks bones by just looking at them. I don't understand why people don't find me more friendly. (laughs) I don't think he wants to be liked at this point. I think he doesn't care what the average citizen thinks of him. mm -hmm. He thinks my job is to get rid of the criminal element. He's no Batman, no person. Exactly, yes. There's no person Uh, behind the mask at this moment. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we get to see that as he silently continues to do his job, investigating the room, noting different places around Not it. silently. Boy stomping up a storm. I love his boots. I love the boots so yes. much. I want those boots. boots. <laughs> boot stomping sounds nonwithstanding. He doesn't say any words as he continues his investigation. Yeah, no. it's, uh, <laughs> his physical acting is great because even like his eyes show you so much of his thought process. Oh, yeah. Like you see he looks at one thing and then looks over to something else and you can see him making the connection. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's simple to, to kind of undersell uh, physical acting because it's like, yeah, you look at one place, you look at another place. Like, but there's so much more than that. Uh, And the ability to make something as simple as looking from one thing to another thing show a thought process Mm -hmm. is very good acting. Robert Pattinson is a really good actor, and it's about time people noticed. Yes. Viva la Pattinson, baby. Uh, (laughs) As he's investigating. (laughs) Oh, yes. Um, The detective pulls out the card that was left with the body addressed to the Batman. It contains a riddle. What does a liar do when he's dead? Along with a cipher. And I just need to talk about this card for a minute. Because there will be a few of these in this movie. And I need to know who in Gotham is making these cards. And for what occasion they're used for. Because they're like CVS, you know, drugstore, card aisle, greeting cards. They look mass produced. They're not like a handwritten situation, even though some of the riddles are handwritten in them. Some of them, especially the ones we get later on, have the most bonkers greeting card lines on them. And I don't know what occasion these are for. And it bothered me a lot. (laughs) I think I read a behind the scenes thing that like, it's it's canon that the Riddler goes to like garage sales and like antique shops and like finds old greeting cards (laughs) with weird shit on them because he (laughs) likes them. So... That's just the kind of guy he is, I guess. <laughs> Look, it's a great design choice, and I love it for the. It's a fun bit for the Riddler to do. Is a little bit of like, yeah. like the the Riddlerness of it all that I needed in this movie. But on like the second watch through, I was paying a lot of attention to what was written on the cards, and I was like, oh my god, what? Who would you give this to if it didn't have a message from a criminal serial killer scrawled in it? Yeah. <laughs> 
Also, there's there's one really tiny detail in this scene that I liked because I think it ties into the Batman is a really good detective thing, which is he mm-hmm. there's a bit where he like notices a blood stain on the floor with like a basically yeah. a chisel mark from the weapon. He notices it, he moves on, and then we see the photographer kind of look after him in confusion, look at the blood stain, and then photograph it, passively implying the Batman noticed a thing that the crime scene investigators hadn't, didn't yeah. feel the need to point it out, not didn't mm-hmm. need to, to tell him how to do their job, <laughs> but they did, like, they, they took the cue from him because it's like, oh, shit, yeah, that's it. Hmm. Okay. Click. Yeah. <laughs> and I just, I um, like that. I like, like, he's not, he's not flaunting it. He's not like, I'm doing your jobs for you, man. None of that yeah, Spider-Man banter shit. He's just like, oh, okay, bloodstain, moves he's on. He's doing his thing. So I was like, write that um, down. <laughs> But inside the card is the riddle, what does a liar do when he's dead, uh, along with that cipher. Uh, Gordon asks Bats if this means anything to him before he can respond. He's interrupted by the current commissioner, because it's not Gordon yet, Pete. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that doesn't bode well for Pete. <laughs> <laughs> Pete, I'm sure he's long for this world. <laughs> yes. Pete's like, you can't have the Bats Just back here. from watching the Flying Graysons. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, but we will no. talk about the Grayson of it all at the end. Um <laughs> And hanging out with that lovely Freeze couple. <laughs> They're doing so well these days. Oh, boy. But before Pete can object to harshly, Gordon shows him the envelope that the card came in, which is, of course, addressed to the Batman. Pete's like, I don't want him to... Does, doesn't this make him a suspect? Oh, but Gordon goes to bat for the vigilante. Uh, and, and, as they, <laughs> and as they argue, Batman figures out the answer to the riddle, which he doesn't like explain that he's solved it. He just sort of says the answer out loud. Uh, he he lies, lies still. still. <laughs> 30 seconds, by the way. 30 seconds yes. between him reading that on the card and him just saying the answer. The this word economy on this exactly guy. exactly <laughs> what I wanted from the Riddler being <laughs> yeah. a villain. Because my original exposure to the Riddler is, again, the 66 Batman, which had mm. such riddles as what's like so-and-so pound sits in a tree and is very dangerous. And the answer to those is like a sparrow with a machine gun. This is exactly the <laughs> level I wanted these riddles to operate a on. A lesser if... known villain in the rogues gallery. Yes. This is what I wanted. I machine wanted this sparrow. level of like only <laughs> Batman who thinks this way and lives and is in, totally embroiled in this kind of logic and this kind of universe could ever get the the answer to these riddles and it is exactly yeah. <laughs> the way it is in this movie and i love it yep. so much it's uh. also it strikes a good balance some of those riddles are like there's no way in hell anybody could ever guess yeah. that and some of them are like all right that's pretty basic and these ones strike a good balance of like oh i see that in hindsight but you have to be a special brand of fucked up to think this is a reasonable thing to put at a crime exactly. scene <laughs> I, I will say, though, some of the riddles are not for Batman, so mm-hmm. um, the riddles at the funeral are deliberately way easier because they're not for the audience of Bats. They're yeah, I for got the all other those guy. immediately. Obviously, yeah. I mean, you know, like, you're, when you're watching this, you're like, what is the riddle going to be? Let me see if I can figure it out before Batman. Like and with those ones, it's like, it's obviously going to be justice. It's justice. <laughs> yeah. It's just justice. This movie's a comedy, I swear to God. It's it's Six a lot. Down, it's got a lot of cats. It was funnier on a rewatch. The first time around, I think mm. I was yeah. so embroiled in the like you oh noir God, the of it all that I was like, oh, this is yeah. a, this is great. And there were funny moments, but I didn't laugh as much. The second watch, I was like, oh, this movie's really funny. It's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but uh, good but good investigation. The, good investigation. The bat says the answer. The commissioner's like, oh, great, happy fucking Halloween, and then banishes the bat from the scene. And as he's leaving, he notices this. This is where the the bloody footprint of it all comes in he notices it's a child's footprint as apparently the boy was the one who found his dad dead and batman takes an opportunity to dramatically stare at the young boy <laughs> prompting a like he doesn't say really anything he just stares at the kid and this what is what he say? he doesn't yet importance. know how to comfort people. no exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah he he knows enough 
to like he feels for this kid and clearly cares and is mm-hmm. processing a lot in the like 30 seconds he's taking just staring at this kid yeah. but at no point does saying anything cross his mind even though he probably knows that there would be something to say he doesn't think it's for him to say it it's just like i, I think also the scene is helping to establish like this kid is the young bruce wayne so we're getting a lot of the mm-hmm. like the young bruce wayne origin through a different kid yeah. who is having something Which similar is... happen to him instead of Excellent us having done. to see that scene play out because at this point what do you mean it would be so novel we could see the pearls <laughs> and the gun <laughs> And then falling in slow motion. (laughs) This is a problem that occurs in a lot of modern superhero stories, particularly for the very popular ones. Your Spider-Mans, your Batmans, your Supermans. The ones who have been done a thousand times before and audiences are wildly familiar with their origins. Where when sometimes it is better to to just sort of imply events that we all know have happened than to spell it out exactly. But I think this is a nice middle ground because we get the idea of like, okay, we see what young Bruce would have been showing us but just a different character who's in the background. We don't have to dwell on it for too long. I think that this is a nice way of getting that origin in there without necessarily having to rehash the same scene we've seen a thousand times. And the reason this works well is because, you know, when you say like, okay, what do we gain from doing an origin story? And this, by having this like cut aside, Mm -hmm. we see that Batman is still so fixated on it Mm -hmm. that he just like stops dead for 30 seconds. And that there is this conflict where he still cares. He's still thinking about it. And that it's still a motivating factor. I mean, obviously it didn't happen that long ago. He's a young Batman, but Mm -hmm. um, you get to see him working through it in the movie in a way that even if you put like actual Bruce's parents getting killed, you wouldn't get this. But in having Batman be able to like look outside of himself and see this thing playing out again is like the reason I do this job is to stop this shit from happening. Yeah, It actually gives a lot more than just playing the origin straight with actual like, you know, whatever... Bruce's dad's name is like Thomas. Walter. Uh, Thomas. Thomas. Walter? <laughs> uh, Tom, I don't Walter know. Walter Wayne. Tom, he would never no. have been a billionaire. He would have been bullied into extinction long <laughs> before that. But like yeah. in, in a way that you wouldn't have gotten if you saw like actual it's, Tom and Martha getting killed. It, it's it more adds a lot. It's a very, very clever moment way to do it. of the movie yeah. in this characterization of Batman. Um, and I think that parallel in it rather than just a motivation. Directly into his next batch of narration because uh, yes. if my notes are correct, the very first thing he says next is, "I wish I could say I'm making a difference, but I don't know." And yeah. the fact that he just saw his tragic yeah. origin play out yep. again mm-hmm. highlights that he's yeah. he's Batman. He's doing the Batman thing, and for some reason, it's not working because he doesn't have the other half of the equation yet. Yep, uh, as Commissioner Pete, who is definitely going to be in this world for a very long time, gives his press conference, mm-hmm. uh, we fade into Bruce getting on his motorbike and riding angstily as he muses uh, uh, if he's on if he's even capable of truly changing Gotham. The line that uh, Red just brought it's up. A pretty sweet bat bike. Sweet bat bike. All the, and he, all the rides in this movie are all the mwah. rides are great. Yeah. Again, keeping with like how the bat suit is really well designed and being both like grounded to the universe it's in and still having the aesthetic touch points that we need from like bat things. The Batmobile and like the motorcycles and bat bikes in this movie all look correct for the character who's riding them, and it's just chef's kiss. Um, yeah, he rides also, into. Also, there's there's a non Batmobile car that shows up briefly with Bruce, and I I was like, that looks like an old car, but also a new car. It's yeah. like an old style, but it's really like shiny and oh, with I don't a know. funeral. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just spoiler oh, alert: the aesthetic of hold everything on, looks on, really on. like again this movie. It, it's not a Uchronia. It feels like it's got a very specific timeline it's set in, and it feels like it's set in the modern day. Oh, yeah, uh, it's an old Corvette. 
Right. So yeah. he's got a really old Corvette, but like brand spank and new levels of like paint and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's just this interesting juxtaposition of like this Bruce Wayne who definitely listened to My Chemical Romance when he was 10. <laughs> this Bruce Wayne would drive an antique yeah. fancy Corvette because he couldn't drive a new car because that wouldn't mm-hmm. fit the vibe. Yeah. In many yeah. ways, he it establishes like he's old money, but also he kind of like lives in the past a little bit. Um, but he rides into an old subway line on his bat bike uh, and into the bat cave, which in this iteration has actual bats in it, which is excellent. Yes. <laughs> which is great. Ten and out it's a decommissioned ten? subway tunnel, like Very underneath TMNT. the skyscraper. I'm here yeah. for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the potential for the Ninja Turtles Batman crossover is established by the location of the bat cave in the Batman 2022. <laughs> I mean, they'd fit with the original tone those comics set. Yeah. Very, uh, very dark. Very noir. Yeah, but again, the bats in the bat cave. This is where I watch my parents die, Parappa. (laughs) This is where I watch my parents die, Raphael. (laughs) Cowabunga. (laughs) Sorry, Cowabummer. Got to get the line right. (laughs) There Um, there have been a lot of Batman crossovers. Yeah, yeah, anyway. Yeah. I I like the bats again. Something I love in this movie is that it's got camp elements without ever feeling completely goofy. And the bats in the bat cave are another one of those great little design touches where it's like, yeah, that's campy and nonsense, but also feels very real to this universe. For for the sake of the discussion, Sophia, how would you describe camp? Because one of the things mm-hmm. that I've seen a lot mm-hmm. is people struggling with this movie is dark and this movie is campy. And to yeah. a lot of people, those things seem mutually exclusive, which is valid. Mm-hmm. But how would you, like, delineate those two yeah, things? Yeah, I'm curious, too, because for me, camp is Joel Schumacher. Oh, no, it's boiling acid. And I don't really <laughs> think I got that vibe from this movie. I think something that me, I think for this sorry, point. Yeah, go ahead. yeah, yeah, yeah. This point confuses <laughs> yeah, a lot of people. And I you. I, the Met Gala theme of camp certainly didn't do anything to help mm. it. Because that's based on a very specific set of essays by a certain person who has a certain influence on design. For me... Gotcha. Camp isn't that something is, it's not that something is silly or goofy or stupid or dumb or anything like, like colorful, but their campy is more of like a, a commitment to a certain kind of style that is maybe unrealistic or incongruous with how we would expect. Like, I would say like a grim dark has a certain grounding in reality that like camp just doesn't. So camp can be colorful, but camp can also be bats in a bat cave. Camp can also be like a goofy riddle in an otherwise you know, regular crime scene investigation. I think it's more about incongruity and a, a break from reality than it is like explicitly silly, goofy, funny, colorful. Yeah, the the way that I've been thinking of it, and that's a really good um, definition, the way that I've been thinking of it is like the confidence to play something weird extremely mm-hmm. straight. Yeah. Like, of course there are bats in the bat cave. I would say that of this Of course movie... the, the, the serial killer uses, you know, mm-hmm. greeting cards. Like, all the stuff that a less confident movie would throw away or hang a lampshade on or make yeah. fun of. Like, oh, of course, we're making a superhero movie, but we don't actually think that superheroes are cool. Don't we're be cool. silly. Like, I think we're not the, the commitment to, to be completely unflinching and like, this is what it is. Mm-hmm. Here you go. It's all here. We're going to, we're going to be honest and complete with this and so confident that they're doing it right, that they're not worried. It's going to be like, you know, stupid or mm-hmm. made fun of, but it's like, this is what Batman is. Yeah, and I think that that ties into something that the movie does really well where it's not afraid of its source material is a lot of that shown through for me and how it embraced some of the sillier elements of Batman and some of the like campier influences from earlier movies and things like that. 
um, because that is a sub that is a core part of this character and how they have appeared on screen in the past. And by embracing it, but still applying some of the aesthetic filters that we expect in a modern movie, I think that they really made it work in this film. But it is still undeniably like elements of camp that are pushed in there, even if they are not rainbow colored leotards. Um, there are still elements here that give that vibe. Um, I think part of the confusion might also come from in fashion. This is specifically like used to describe something that is just like visually unappealing to the majority and therefore it is a certain type of style, oh, okay. um, which I don't think is how it is applied here necessarily because I would argue that a lot of their campier choices are still visually appealing with the overall style that they have established, yeah. but it is certainly incongruous to like your grimdark Batmans or your very modern militaristic macho Batmans, your Nolans essentially. Um, so it's, it's it's kind of hard to define, but that's how I choose to think about it. I'd say this movie definitely commits to its own bit. There's yeah. never a point where the movie feels embarrassed about what it is. I mean, they go all the way with all the characters. And I think it's interesting because um, the Michael Keaton Batman movies and the Joel Schumacher one, I haven't seen Batman forever, so I don't know about <laughs> that one. They all commit pretty hard to their respective bits, but they're also just colorful enough and just silly enough. And their Batman is enough of a facade. Like, it mm. doesn't feel like that Bruce Wayne is really Batman. It feels like Batman is a thing he does sometimes. Yeah. But Bruce Wayne is the real character, and this movie does the exact opposite, which I think is the correct move. Mm -hmm. But it it had a similar, like, we're not going to tell you how much of this is, like, grounded reality and how much is magical realism. Does Catwoman actually have nine lives? She did come back from the dead, so probably. She got shot, like, eight <laughs> times, and she's okay, so probably. And it's like, well, how? What do you mean, how? She's Catwoman. Um, yeah. Like, this movie doesn't quite get that far. I, I feel like they're going to need to do a little bit of heavy lifting to justify some of his rogues that have full-blown superpowers. Mm -hmm, but yeah. I, I feel like if they do it, they will commit. They're not going to do any wishy-washy, oh, Bane's just really strong without magic drugs. Mm -hmm. Poison Ivy's just an evil botanist. I don't think they're going to do that. I think they actually will give us supervillains with powers if, you know, they choose to do that, and I hope they do. Mm -hmm. But they, they sort of built up a level of, like, Shit's weird in this world. Like, there are some normal people like Commissioner Gordon who are, like, will, are willing to point out that shit's kind of unhinged. And obviously the entire <laughs> rest of the police force is like, Gordon, why are you hanging out with a guy who dresses like a bat? And it's like, look, he's a really good detective, okay? I don't begrudge him his fashion choices. <laughs> so, you know, you get that stuff. You get some lampshades, but the characters fully commit to whatever they're doing. And it's yeah. never played like this makes them less serious or less scary. We don't mm -hmm. think Batman would be more effective if his helmet didn't have the little ears on it. We don't get that vibe. We don't get the vibe that he thinks they're silly. We don't even, I think, get the explanation for why he has the bat suit <laughs> motif. Nope. We don't, they don't it's bother covering that because why would they? He just does it. So, yeah, it, yeah this I, movie's I not embarrassed to be what it is. And it's that's, not. And it's that's so refreshing. Yeah. That's why it worked for me on a lot of levels. A lot of the smaller elements we talk about is just like, at the end of the day, it's commitment to the bit. It's understanding that like we're making a comic book movie and we're not embarrassed about that. Uh, and I think you said it really well. Like that's that's what makes this movie yeah. so great. The full great. range of, of batitude. Mm -hmm. Hey. Um, yeah, well, speaking of batness. So yeah, sorry, a, a digression, but I felt like that was important to establish because no, no, it's good. I, I think it was missing from a lot of the conversation. Yeah, so. I, I think a lot of times people talk about camp. It can be very difficult to define, and that's the definition I'm working with when I'm talking about it in regards to this movie, uh, and I think it's yeah. a good digression. But uh, speaking of digressions, Batman gets to un-Batmanning uh, as he takes off yep. his bat suit and reveals the, the guy liner of it all. Uh, and as he... <laughs> so it's diegetic now. It used to be yes. a non-diegetic piece of the costume. Yeah. That would that was required to fill in the gaps between the eye holes this, and the eyes, but yeah, 
this movie, much like The Mummy 1999, does uh, <laughs> a, is a, is a big win for the bisexual community in both the ex- existence <laughs> of Battinson and Zoe Kravitz in the same movie. <laughs> so ten out ten. Yeah. Um, and the guy, the the Batliner, I'm I'm here for it. I think that that is the exact right yeah. like look. It, it's it's one of those elements that again grounds this in reality. Like of course he's wearing eyeliner and it gets smudgy after a night of being around and sweaty. That's what would happen if you wore that much <laughs> eyeliner. But it's also very goofy and makes him look extremely emo in a way that is funny and a little bit over the top. There are some movies where I'm like, oh, the designer, the fashion, the, like the casting crew, the, mm-hmm. the the fashion designer for this movie, they had the exact aesthetic that I like. And yeah. some of the worst movies I've ever seen qualified. <laughs> Mortal Engines qualifies. It shouldn't have, but it did. But there are some movies where I'm like, oh, finally, a movie just m- existing to make my eyes happy. And this movie's pretty close to that. Yeah. It's got, that, yeah. The, the fact that, like, Batman's eyeliner looks like it was applied by the tail of a raccoon <laughs> is... <laughs> I don't important. know why that's important, but it is. It makes him look tired and, like, he. it just makes him look more exhausted and goth and less human in a way and it's serving a lot of things and also it is very fun to look at it accomplishes both of those things at once and i i love a good production design moment hmus you nailed it Um, but also like you know that the people who were designing his outfits for this movie found robert pattinson effect like attractive oh yeah you can sometimes just tell didn't they yeah (laughs) i'm just saying sometimes you can tell like they they could tell his best features and they knew to accentuate them it's like yeah we're gonna we're gonna build the cowl so it plays up your your cheeks your cheekbone and your jawline we're gonna we're gonna get you all disheveled and Mm -hmm. and bedraggled looking and put the the streaky guy liner and we're gonna put that in the trailer so everyone knows what they're getting from minute one like (laughs) Sometimes you can tell. And these are also the same people who found Zoe Kravitz uh, yeah. very attractive. Which would be to say that they also that they had eyes. Uh, <laughs> well, that part I understand. <laughs> Robert Pattinson, it's a little hit or miss. When I was watching Twilight, I was like, I don't get it. I, I would I say that maybe judging I found Pattinson by his but... Twilight looks is unfair <laughs> because no one in that movie looks especially... That is that is a low point visually for a lot of people in their careers. I would judge Pattinson I like by... Much, but. Eh, yeah, it's not no, the best. No, the thing is, like, makeup wise. My point is, you know, th- this is not a person I find attractive under all circumstances. But the way Fair. he's framed in this movie, I was like, okay, I think I get it. And with, with yeah. Zoe Kravitz, I was like, well, obviously, I have obviously. Eyes. <laughs> Obviously. Now, after uh, after having put up uh, recently a video about the Acropolis in which I used a picture of me glaring at the camera, uh, uh, the fact that I've been getting uh, comparison pictures of, of me with Guyliner Batman, uh, I've been taking those compliments very well. Yeah, yeah. but in, in part of his de-Batmaning is reviewing uh, his eye camera footage of the night before because as he kind of narrates for us, he doesn't always remember exactly what happens. Everything kind of blurs together. Classic depression yeah, issues. Rash. You should really talk to someone about this. But he wears like a, a contact lens camera and he reviews that footage every night after he gets back and journals about it which i guess is a healthy coping mechanism quote unquote um Mm. and as he unpacks and kind of what he's simultaneously watching his previous adventures and also the news where the announcer recaps the shockingly similar um murder of the waynes years ago we get that explicit connection between the mayor's death his son and now batman and you know his his bruce wayne and his previous uh, accentuate what is the word i'm looking for um Tragedy. Tragic backstory. <laughs> Tragic backstory. <laughs> Before you can dwell on that breaking news, Alfred pops downstairs, which was Alfred, just so boy, Alfred. absolutely wonderful. I Played by Andy Serkis. <laughs> it's a very unusual Alfred. He he comes across as a lot more like scrappy mm-hmm. and also like in general, the way that they do it is that Alfred is the point of stability while Bruce Wayne is kind of off doing his thing or spiraling mm-hmm. or whatever. 
you know, a, a very proper gentleman, stiff upper lip type. But like a lot of a lot of these movies kind of remind us like, hey, Alfred was close friends with Thomas and Martha Wayne. He lost two good friends and gained a very traumatized ward slash son in one night. <laughs> He's not also, doing so the, hot. The, the timing of this this Alfred, like, age-wise, it makes mm-hmm. sense for the, the little bit of, like, that scrappiness yeah. that we see in him. Like, of course, he's still, like, you know, very posh. Like, I think he flew in the RAF or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like... And he worked in, like, know, a, like, British intelligence. He said, yeah. you know, my time so, in like, the circus. Older that's... Alfred's, you know, implication is, like, okay, you know, baby boomer, like, just out of World War II <laughs> or whatever. Whereas, you know, with, with this one, it's, like, Alfred was, like, you know probably hanging around like the british punk scene in like the yeah. the 80s or whatever so i love um, that vibe yeah, yeah. this this so he alfred can, like he can relate to batman he's been there but <laughs> crucially this batman is still in full you're not my dad mode so yeah. while alfred yes. can actually understand bruce better than either of them seem to realize and that this alfred is very much not to the manner born he's got he's got mm-hmm. a lot more like kind of scrappy, very functional, practical energy. At one point he mentions, like, I didn't know how to be a dad. You know, I could teach you how to fight. And I was like, I bet you could teach him how to fight. <laughs> I bet you taught him how to throw hands. Yeah. Um, but this this is a crucially interesting and very different Alfred-Batman dynamic than we get sometimes mm-hmm. because in a lot of cases, Alfred does not think of himself as Bruce's parental figure. He doesn't think of himself as Bruce's father. But Bruce knows that Alfred is basically his dad. And it's yeah. kind of an unspoken thing in a lot of their dynamics. And in this version, it's more like neither of them are exactly willing to admit it. And Alfred doesn't think he's worthy of being Bruce's dad. He doesn't think mm-hmm. he can be Bruce's dad. And Bruce is in full, oh, Alfred, who cares if I go running around as a bat trying to commit very <laughs> intricate suicide by crime? You're not my dad. Bruce is not in a good place mentally in this movie. Yeah. He's lashing out because he's in that bad state. It's a much more complex dynamic. It's very it complex. And it's so sad because they're both like they're all they have. But neither of them can really process and unpack what they're each going Mm -hmm. through. Neither of them is willing to admit that the other one actually does. Well, Bruce is not willing to admit that Alfred actually does probably feel quite similar and knows what he's going through. And Alfred is not willing to state that. He's not willing Mm -hmm. to push that boundary and be like, listen, kid, I actually get it. Okay, (laughs) like you think you had it bad. I also had to raise a kid. (laughs) So there's a lot of clear care in their relationship. Despite this, though, they don't have like an antagonistic dynamic, which I think you really see in this scene here where like they're they're unpacking the night. You know, we established (laughs) that Alfred is in on the whole bat thing. So, you know, they were getting the core structure of the, the, the Wayne estate. And they, they print the cipher, they discuss Batman's new pen pal, the Riddler. But in the process of this, Alfred's like, hey, man, you gotta you gotta shower. We gotta meet with the accountants. And he kind of gets on him about his family's legacy. Uh, this is, <laughs> Bruce goes all, you're not my real dad. Uh, but he does comply and goes to take a shower. And we kind of see, like, through a lot of the physical acting and also the way that this scene is spoken, Alfred is does care for Bruce. And he wants, you know, wants what's best for him. He wants Bruce, not just Batman, but Bruce Wayne to be the better person and be happy, as happy as, you know, goth Bruce Wayne can ever be. Also, uh, Bruce's rebuttal being, you're not my dad, tacitly tells the audience that Alfred is 100% correct in this situation. (laughs) And thus the moral, the the backbone of the movie is established. And he also does listen to what Alfred tells him to do. So he clearly does also respect the man, even if he's talking back a little bit, because he showers and reveals the Battinson hair of it all, which is like somehow a bowl cut that works. (laughs) Uh, And he enters his incredibly gothic home. It's like an M.C. Escher cast. Castlevania mashup. It's awesome. (laughs) It's pretty ridiculous. Uh, And he finds Alfred, who is working on the ciphers, because even as he supports 
Bruce in his brucing. He wants to support him in his Batmaning as well, and he's working on cracking the code. Uh, Bruce puts on sunglasses indoors, which was just an excellent character decision. Uh, <laughs> and eats a single blueberry with rotting from Alfred. Single blueberry. <laughs> he is such a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> he is. I love how much of a disaster he is. It really feels like mm-hmm. like Bruce is Alfred's cat. Yeah, in yeah. Mannerisms. Oh no! <laughs> uh, so my cat has massive pointy ears, Ziggy, and we, my roommate and I've taken to calling her uh, Vengeance around the house. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yes. And so in many ways, this just feels like the spiritual. This feels like my cat made manifest on screen, and I think that that is the perfect way to yeah. describe the way that Alfred interacts with <laughs> Bruce. God. <laughs> No wonder uh, Catwoman likes him so much. Yeah, she has a thing about strays. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> um, but Bruce I mean, she and Alfred... stares him dead in the eye saying that, so, like, she knows. It was... Yes, Master Bruce, there's food in your bowl. <laughs> <laughs> I took the liberty of freshening up the water. If he had knocked a glass <laughs> off of the table, it, it would have been game over. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. Uh, but they crack the case down in the, the uh, bat cave, cracking the cipher after trying a few different variations, and they figure out that it's not that the, the letters are a partial key, but actually that when you apply it, the cipher forms an image out of all the different cipher pieces to form the word drive uh which batman immediately knowing what that means takes commission not commissioner takes gordon to the head uh head to the mayor's garage and they start investigating one of his many nice cars um where some shears have been stuck into the tire to indicate that this is the one they should look for as they continue to search they look for a usb port uh which batman finds and removes one of the best jokes of the movies (laughs) The thumb drive, thumb drive. which, <laughs> which has the Batman center. immediately, he goes right for he it. He right opens it. up the little center console, pulls it out, and stares Gordon in the eye as he says <laughs> thumb drive. So, like, Batman probably had a hunch as soon as they got yep. into the garage. Like, uh, missing oh. a thumb. Fancy car. What can I find in a car that has something to do with thumbs? Oh, fuck. So this he's one like, of the moments. He's been bracing himself. Gordon has no clue what's coming. <laughs> This is one of the moments where I was like, oh, this calls back to the sparrow with the machine gun of it all. This is exactly the kind of logic that like only someone who is so deeply entrenched in this universe could possibly solve. Immediately make that connection upon seeing like, okay, car, USB port, thumb drive. Like you can follow the logic in hindsight, but only Batman would have jumped to that conclusion. <laughs> But I also like that you don't get the impression that Batman is, like, happy about that. Yeah. You know, he's like, of course this fucking guy would make he's it a like, thumb drive. He's like, I don't like it. I understand it, but I hate that it's happening yeah. to me. I bet as soon as he, like, got into the garage, he's like, oh, this is going to be a long one, isn't it? <laughs> yep. They open the thumb drive and it's encrypted. Uh, but, of course, the attached thumb de-encrypts it. Convenient. Uh, opening yep. a bunch of photos of the mayor with a very beat-up-looking battered gal who is not his wife as they <laughs> and the penguin as they leave the iceberg lounge. And they continue to sort through until eventually the drive auto-emails the pictures to all the news outlets in the city from Gordon's email address, which he seems more which... stressed about than the fact that the pictures are <laughs> No, this is Cybersecurity 101. There was that one time that some, like, spy left a thumb drive in, like, a government intelligence agency parking lot, and someone, like, brought it inside and plugged it into his computer, and then it started, like, deleting all kinds of files. Like, Mm -hmm. folks, if you find a mysterious thumb drive, don't plug it into your computer. (laughs) Especially if you're signed into anything. Yeah, yeah. it's a terrible idea. You can put anything in those things. But then again, you know, chain of evidence. He had Batman with him. There's a lot of reasons why Gordon probably wouldn't have wanted to bring him and the thumb drive and the thumb into police headquarters. Mm -hmm. So like, 
as I was watching this, I'm like, oh, God, Gordon, no, you, you really need to up your cybersecurity Logic uh, of the team movie. Uh, over the GCPD. <laughs> yeah. Logic but it does of the actually movie, have it an sense, advantage. But... Oh. It, it oh, also, yeah, uh, for later, it establishes Gordon as a trustworthy source yeah. for the media. And sure, if they sends sure. them information that he's maybe not supposed to send them, they're likely to think it's legit. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. important for later. It so, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Uh, both of them are realized that, like, he lies still. The answer to the first riddle is probably about the girl in the photos. And Bats makes for the iceberg lounge to investigate. Uh <laughs> I love the Iceberg Lounge. We don't get to see a lot of the interior of it, but everything we do see, I'm like, this is the perfect crime kingpin setting. It is so obvious and also so impossible to tear down, and I love it so deeply, so much. And the music that plays throughout it is such an earworm, and I am still hearing the the bass thumping in my head to this (laughs) day. But it's also just like made of good set pieces for fights. Yeah, like, yeah. It's like we got walkways, we got big open grating, we got narrow hallways. You want some <laughs> glass that opens over a sea of ravers? We got glass that opens over oh, a you sea know we of ravers. That. You want the secret club within the club? We got it. You want a secret club <laughs> above a club that's someone's apartment for some reason? We got it. It's like it's There's like liars. sometimes when you watch like a Jackie Chan movie and they enter a really complex and yeah. intricate multi-level <laughs> environment and you're like, oh boy, or, or like when you're watching a kaiju movie and. Suddenly you notice that all the buildings are like miniatures and you're like, oh, someone's in danger. You know, there's little cues from the setting of what's going to happen here. Uh, One of the bouncers tries to deny Batman, who is in his Batman costume, entrance to (laughs) seek an audience with the penguin uh, and brings his twin bouncer, uh, both of whom get promptly punched by bats as he enters the club. Uh, where people largely ignore him in favor of doing club stuff, save the occasional goon who jumps over to, like, jump him uh, and <laughs> seems to be, like, a constantly spawning pool of en- enemies in this club, but none <laughs> of them really slow him down all that much. Um, I'm excited for those twins to become employed by Harvey Dent later. Oh, 100%. I, just, I like how they're kind of planting all these little, like, <laughs> gimmicks that would later be adopted by later gimmick villains. It's, it's fun. Yeah. yeah. Iceberg Lounge and 40 Below. Come on. That's Come got on. Mr. Freeze's name on the lease already. <laughs> Bats and the boys tussle until the penguin eventually pops up and interrupts, uh, admitting him for a meeting of the minds. What did you uh, say? Like, whoa, cool down, sweetheart, or something like yeah, that? Yeah, well, the, the penguin, sounds, the, the penguin so is bringing genuine. all of the panache that the Riddler is lacking in this movie, and that the penguin yeah. is a small, probably Italian-American man who has the exact accent you'd expect, and he dresses in, like, stripedy suits, and he, he's just, like, the correct amount of penguin. He's missing he's an umbrella, and that would choice. complete him. Yeah. That's the thing. He, he's a good choice for a, a grounded first movie. He, mm-hmm. Ultimately, if you get rid of the weird bird gimmick and the heist stuff, he's just <laughs> a gangster with an odd gimmick. Yeah. So they could just kind of file off the little gimmick, and maybe he'll get that later, and it's like, yeah, this What's is penguin. What's evil superpower? I don't know. He's Italian. Yeah, he's, 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 he's kind of a joke. He's, it's he's an important- a, he's the dragon to, yeah. the, to Falcone's uh, big villain. So yeah. he's like, he's the he's the loyal right-hand man type. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, isn't he played by an actor who's like notably handsome and they just loaded <laughs> him up with crazy prosthetics? Why not just cast a guy who looks like that? <laughs> you know, oh, it's, it's a time. Um, Wait, I, Colin Farrell? I think it's Colin Farrell. I just, I didn't yeah, want to say the Colin name Farrell. if I got it wrong. But it's like, that's a guy with like, he's got the wow. brows, he's got the jawline. Like, why would they, <laughs> why would they load him down with 30 pounds of latex when they could just cast an actual portly Italian-American man? <laughs> Have you ever tried to control the portly Italian-American man? Pratt? He's right there. <laughs> um, it's yeah, a Mario is. joke for anyway. Hey. <laughs> oh. oh, someone's going to make me watch that movie. I can feel it. Um. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, it won't be me. I don't want to see it. <laughs> oh, good. Um, 
but the the penguin is one of my favorite characters in this movie and there's a scene later on where that really solidified for me but here oh, yeah. he's just sort of yeah. serving oh, yeah. his yeah you know this he's just sort of serving yeah. his gangster nonsense <laughs> you know, you know. um that's sitting down and having a very civil conversation with this man is asking about the girl in the pics but of course the penguin's feigning you know oh i don't know anything uh, yeah, i'm just a respectable uh, club uh, owner what uh, guy? Uh, yeah. yeah. um and they're interrupted uh, <laughs> By Zoe Kravitz. This who... cocaine is organic. <laughs> uh, Zoe Kravitz, who walks it's in. It's from my mama's recipe. Sorry, go on. <laughs> Zoe I feel Kravitz. Like this is offensive, actually. <laughs> yeah, Zoe Kravitz, in. she's in the scene now. <laughs> yes. She walks in. We see her boots first and then her. Uh, and she delivers drinks and money and then walks out with an envelope full of drugs because the penguin is doing crime directly in front of a crime fighter. Uh, but she notices the photo, and she reacts to it, and Batman notices her noticing. Yes, it's a, there's a lot of noticing glances. This goes on forever because he's in hell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, deep uh, pull on deep that pull. one. Deep <laughs> pull. Yeah. Bats insists on learning more about the girl, but the penguin compl- continues to play dumb. Uh, he's just the proprietor. People hear what they hey, do, and that's hey. nothing to do with me. Uh, a rather respectable <laughs> establishment. <laughs> I love him so much. Bats, having struck out with the penguin, waits for Zoe to leave and then follows her cab to her apartment through all of Gotham on his motorbike this time. Uh, and in the cab, she takes a call where she talks to a distressed woman over the phone and tells her to like stay put and stay calm, yada yada. She's got something going on with another girl at Selena like- Kyle's apartment because that's who Zoe Kravitz is playing. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'm sorry, but like she's definitely dating that woman, right? Like that's what that was I the vibe. That was the okay. vibe. Yeah, yeah. It's not. Yeah. She called her baby stated, over the phone, and I, but... they live in the same apartment. And I was like, okay, yeah. all right, yeah. Um, okay. Historical record attests that they were great friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, in her apartment, which has many cats in it, she... <laughs> I love it. Uh, we watch again as a. Uh, through Bruce vision and binoculars, eerily similar to the Riddler vision at the beginning of the movie, she meets with the woman yeah, from the photos. The Good thematic plan for later. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> distracted and distraught, uh, Selena goes and gets out of her work clothes while surrounded by cats, like a comical amount of cats. I cannot stress enough how many cats the Catwoman had in her apartment. It was amazing. Um, and she breaks <laughs> out the classic cat suit we all know and love, getting all suited up before heading out onto the fire escape off to do Catwoman things. On her own motorbike, she rides off with, again, Bruce in tow, and eventually she descends from a skylight, which was previously mentioned as a hypothesized means of entry into the mayor's apartment as she enters the mayor's mansion. I thought that was a nice little, like, continuity there. She breaks into his safe with expert precision, and as she removes something from it, she's interrupted by Batman and the two spar for a bit. Uh, Bats eventually gets the upper hand, though, taking what she stole from the safe, and like a game of keep away you would play on the playground, they immediately have a (laughs) dynamic of, like, yeah, we're not really enemies, I guess. Uh, It's because he's just tall, so he's like, oh, what's that? Passport? Interesting. And she's like, god damn it. (laughs) She's in, like, a... The only clip I've seen from Hawkeye is is Yelena and Kate in the elevator, and oh, that's the vibe yeah. I got. It's so good. <laughs> they they kind of fall into an easy rapport, although he is still a little bit more confrontational. Like, mm-hmm. he immediately jumps to accusing her of murdering the mayor. But I don't know if he was really serious. I think he was just pushing her yeah, off balance. Yeah, he kind of gives the vibe of, like, I don't quite believe this, but I, I you know, you've been caught in a very uh, incriminating situation, so I'm going to push this to see if I can get other information out of you. Because at this yeah. point, his main point of investigation is the girl who he saw at her apartment, so he knows they have a relationship um yeah batman's probably smart enough to know that if he pushes with the accusation of you killed him he knows she didn't but he also knows that in explaining why she didn't she'll spill something that will be useful that she wouldn't have otherwise said he does actually have a pattern in this movie of specifically assuming the worst about selena 
And she is this interesting character archetype of not really willing to be upfront about her own vulnerabilities, especially mm-hmm. not to this weirdo in a bat suit she just met. So he'll assume the worst and she won't defend herself. She'll just get dismissive and cut off contact. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a very interesting dynamic that, that sort of follows naturally from the way both of them work. And I really like it. Yeah, uh, but what she was taking out of the safe was a passport, specifically the passport of the woman in the photos, Annika. Uh, and before the two can continue arguing about this, a patrolling cop forces them to hide in the shadows and a little, like, get pulled into with the... With a grapple hug, with hand over the <laughs> mouth. And it's like, is this romantic? Is this a meet-cute? I can't tell. <laughs> For these two broken, damaged people, this is as close to a meet-cute as you could possibly get. Uh, but as soon yeah, as the cop fair. leaves for his rest of his patrol, it's back to spatting. Uh, Selena swears she didn't kill anyone, and she's just trying to help her friend flee the country. And Bats reveals that he knows not only where Selena lives, uh, but yeah, he's looking for the girl in question. And the two take off to go back to the spooked woman who Selena left in her apartment. Back at Selena's, though, chaos reigns. Someone broke in, and the woman is gone. As Selena kind of investigates and tries to figure out frantically where her friend, quote unquote, is, uh, Bats notices Selena's bills past two. And as he's sort of taking in the cat of his apart- of her apartment of it all, uh, the news reports on another death. This time, the commissioner, Pete, <gasps> R.I.P., who could what? have possibly foreseen this. <laughs> Not Commissioner Pete. He's such a beloved and longstanding <laughs> character. <laughs> He was just found dead in the like police athletics hall or whatever, and this time, uh, the killer has claimed their crime with a video on social media. In said video, he introduces himself as the Riddler, admits to killing the mayor and his previous crimes, and swears that he isn't done uh, before showing the commissioner hooked up to a rat machine. Uh, he swears to keep killing until the truth about the city is unmasked. Uh, it kind of looks like in 1984 when they hooked yeah. the guy up to the rat <laughs> cage and the rats it's, eat his face that's basically what Winston this is Smith. yep technically the rats only threaten to eat his face yes he, in this movie spoiler get. alert the rats do eat yeah. his face <laughs> they pop up the headshot of commissioner pete as we all know beloved character that everyone would know on site and selena recognizes him he's also a patron of 44 below the club within the club oh. at the iceberg lounge where the mob hangs out the real club the real club. <laughs> the club the within club. the club, I think, is exactly how they describe it. I love it so much. Of course, there's a club within a club. That's how we all understand yeah. that to work. Um, yeah. It's Matryoshka clubs. Yeah. There's a, there's a very tiny club right at the middle. What it's is, just Penguin. <laughs> what's below 44 Below? Cause it's, so it's the Iceberg Lounge. It's 44 Below. We need something colder, but like not. it can't be the Kelvin. same. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's just a guy well, named Kelvin who lives in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, the easy way to do it is you just call back to Dante's Inferno, Ninth Circle of Hell, the coldest it gets, you know. Mm, yeah. You, you, that's basically what 44 Below's vibe already is. Yeah, After yeah. a while, you're just getting redundant with the with the hell symbolism. <laughs> What's cooler than cold? Ice we cold. have to tempt <laughs> Mr. Freeze What's into killed the dinosaurs? <laughs> <laughs> the, the Ice, ice Age. <laughs> it's like, no, Mr. Freeze, it was a meteor. We know this now. Oh. <laughs> uh. Uh, Selena God, goes on to explain that a lot of quote unquote good guys come and go through there and Batman tries to make a dramatic like you're going to help me for your friend statement but three cats at his feet distract him and kind of <laughs> cut the ice a little bit leading to the immortal line you've got a, got lot, a lot of cats, cats. and it's natural <laughs> response. I have a thing about strays, which was... Now, look, it's no mistletoe can be deadly if you eat it, but a kiss can be even deadlier if you mean it, but it's getting up there. Yeah, it's the kind of dialogue I want from this movie without being so incongruous that it breaks the, you know, modern sensibilities of it all. Um, Also, I love how Batman can, like, roll with that. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but I love that he can kind of like, he's not so up his own ass that he can't accept like there's five cats mm-hmm. all trying to get my attention right now. I can't be cool. <laughs> I can't be cool right now. I got to just roll with it. Yeah. Why wouldn't she close the fridge in that scene, by the way? That really stressed me out. <laughs> it's like, Selena, your electricity bill. I think we could do a whole podcast just unpacking Selena's apartment because frankly, it's... <laughs> It's maybe the best piece of production design of the movie, but it's that's a conversation that we would need a whole other podcast to get into. I didn't even notice that it had been trashed uh, because yeah. it already yeah. kind of looked like that. <laughs> if the door so. wasn't already a little ajar when they first walked into the shot, I would not have known that it had been like ransacked. Batman goes to the morgue where he and Gordon view the commissioner's body, face chewed up by rats, but tastefully hidden from the audience, which I appreciated. They view the rat cage contraption, a maze with a black light revealing writing inside of it that is another cipher. Another photo bomb released to the media revealed that the commissioner was involved with drugs, so we're getting the sense that, like, okay, all of these powerful men have a dark side or a secret that they were hiding, yada, yada, yada. The Batman finds a drawer inside of the rat cage that has another card addressed to him in it, and this card, I wrote down what it said because it, I was like, what event could this possibly be for? <laughs> this, on, on the card itself, not written by the Riddler, but actual the actual card, I'm mad about you. Want to know my name? Just look inside and see. And then when you open it, it says, but wait, I can't tell you. It might spoil the chemistry. What is this card for? <laughs> uh, if you're a for secret admirer and also a wide mad market scientist? of secret admirers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't. What a Kate. I wrote yeah, down the next I card. Want to know my name is a weird. Yeah. Want to know my name? Yeah. Just look inside is why. I just want to know. In Gotham, like, we've seen people, people are messed up in Gotham. Like, I, (laughs) these cards sell well. Batman's like, like, oh, another one of these. Yeah, I've seen this one. (laughs) I mean, it's Gotham. Yeah, it's Gotham. They probably have to do a lot. (laughs) It's like, sorry you got Joker venomed and couldn't stop smiling for a week, but you always bring a smile to my face, Valentine. (laughs) We've got different ones for, like, different holidays because it happens so often. (laughs) Sorry the water supply got poisoned by the Lazarus pit again, but I hope your dead grandma said hi when she was around. (laughs) It's just, you know. Weird yeah. shit. Or, or just like fully diagetically what killed the dinosaurs, the Ice Age. Hope you have a wonderful holiday season. Oh, <laughs> 10 out of 10. Would, would you My Nora guys? used to love the winter snow. <laughs> Wishing you a very Merry Christmas. <laughs> uh, but uh, inside of the card uh, is, of course, another riddle. Follow the maze till you find the rat. Bring him into the light. You'll find where I'm at. The Riddler has provided a riddle. And before they can kind of ponder an answer for this, uh, a lookout lets Bats and Gordon know that they gotta leave before some of the actual police force come down and interrupt them and they head out. Later, Bats puts his eye camera contacts in Selena as she is going to be oh. his eyes inside of the club and she's like, I'm just this doing this up. for Annika, the woman, <laughs> and like, you don't even care what happens to me. And it looks like they're gonna have a moment because he gets all close to her before responding, but Bats is just like, yep, the camera's working and gives her an earwig instead. Oh, come on, they have a <laughs> moment? So that's good. a that's absolutely a moment. It's a fake no, no, contact. No, no. It's a fake out It's no, crazy. No. She thinks Batman it's a moment, is like, but Bats is too... needs to stare real... Yeah, yeah he's it's too... That's sizzling eye contact. We can't pretend like that's not a legit thing. And then, yeah, I like how she's clearly, like, that's the moment where she's like, oh, fuck. And then he's like, all right, looks good, and then moves on, and she's, like, visibly kind of disappointed and pissed, and I was like, I like this angle. I really do. That's how all these dynamics with Batman should work. Yeah. He's so deep in the, you know, detective crime fighting of it all, and she's like, wait, is this a human connection? Nope, never mind. He's just putting it in eye no. contact, even if it is I mean, deep, there's also human connection. Down. But like, deep down, it's a human like, connection, you know how, but he can't like, acknowledge it yet. 
Yeah, yeah. You know how like you 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 see you know sometimes there's like like brand guidelines mm-hmm. you have to follow like like for number like five on the list for Batman is Batman never flirts back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What I really like about uh, this dynamic is that this is the chattiest Batman has ever been. Like, he actually (laughs) seems to really like being on the radio with her. Like, when, spoiler alert, when she goes into the club, he's like, Oh, broke that guy's nose. Nice work, me. <laughs> Just like, aww. He's a little internal monologue for a while. But as you She's mentioned, flexing. Selena does enter the club, music pumping, and Bats adjusts his little camera so he gets the nice clear signal. As hospitality, she's able to access 44 Below, bounced by none other than one of the bouncers from before who Batman identifies, because as his camera goes, it has like facial recognition going on. It's an off-duty cop. <gasps> Corruption in Gotham? Crazy. Uh, Say it ain't so. In 44 Below, Bats instructs Selena not to look away from the men staring at her so that he can make uh, those IDs. And she's like, this is gross, but relents and does it anyway, (laughs) uh, because a lot of these dudes have trouble with eye contact. I like how she has to explain to Bruce why (laughs) she, a very beautiful woman in a nightclub, making protracted eye contact with creepy dudes is going to cause problems. Because why would the fuck would Bruce know that? You know he's never in his life willingly been in a place like this. Not a once. One such gross dude attracts the attention of Bats, who makes Selena look back at him and thus get tangled in his table of nonsense. It's the district attorney who, now having made eye contact as mentioned, shoots his shot. He invites her to his table, makes introductions. It's like half of the DA's office. This corruption runs deep. And he is show-wasted. He's blabbing about the Riddler and how worried everyone is. And Bats tries to get Selena to prompt him to talk more about the rat that he mentioned. Because remember, kids... Rat is a keyword for like the last two thirds of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> you sorry, you gotta know that like internally, Bruce is like, oh my god, this is so much easier. <laughs> People are just telling her all the shit that I've been t- taking days to try and find yeah, out. And Batman, this guy's just like, like, oh, I'm really scared about this rat because you know we're all super dirty and corrupt. And he's just like, holy shit. <laughs> My like job Batman so like easier. takes a sharpie to his outfit and carves a boob window <laughs> into the-, <laughs> the bat symbol. Just becomes like a bat boob window. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he pulls out the batarang and it's just a hole straight to the chest. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one flaw of this movie that that is not official production design that's incorporated into the suit. <laughs> oh, God. But yeah, it, it is funny seeing like how shocked Batman is, like that they're just giving Selena yeah. everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the DA reveals that there was an informant in the Moroni case, which was a huge drug bust that happened previously. Uh, and he seems nervous about like the identity of the rat coming out. Uh, but the other girl at the table is like, no, no, this kind of pillow talk gets you disappeared. Like that Russian girl, which immediately attracts Selena's attention because remember, she's more interested in finding her former friend slash potentially lover than she is in whatever the fuck Batman's got going on. Uh, <laughs> so when the other girl goes up to get drinks, Selena follows, ignoring Bats' orders to stay uh, on the DA. She is focused on finding her friend. The other girl tells Selena to keep her voice down as they talk, and they're interrupted by two mobsters, one of which pauses to stare at Selena and is identified by Bats' facial cam. It's Falcone, <laughs> who seems Falcone. to know her somehow. Ooh. She heads back upstairs, distraught, and in the bathroom, she and Bats argue in the mirror. You know, he didn't know she had a relationship of some sort with Falcone. Uh, and she's like, yeah, screw you, dude, and takes out her eye camera, uh, <laughs> going outside to call a cab and leave for the evening. And the scene leading into that is actually really good because we know that Selena is really good at playing people, mm-hmm. even and especially when she's clearly uncomfortable. Like, when she's got Batman in her ear... And she's telling him, like, oh, it's going to be a whole thing if I turn around and make eye contact with him again. Okay, fine. And then she has to, you know, 
play off like it's fine, even though yeah. she's in a clearly very gross situation. But with Falcone, she's like shaken and she gets out of the situation as quickly as possible, yeah. which kind of tells us like whatever dynamic she has with Falcone, it's completely different mm-hmm. than with all these other guys. And Bruce picks up on that too. But he clearly assumes that it's a sexual relationship. Right. And she can tell he's assuming that, and she gets pissed. So, <laughs> yeah. Yep, and that prompts their break in communication. Uh, outside, as she waits for a cab, the DA briefly catches up with her and offers her a ride. But she's like, no, nah, I got this, and gets in a cab, which is great. Because heavy breathing, watching them from the DA's car, does not bode well. Uh, the DA POVs again, but well, <laughs> we know who's in that car, probably. <laughs> yeah, the it's sort of more... Um, it's. Uh, dramatic tension more so than it is like shock factor, which I think works well because even on subsequent viewings, you're like, oh, no, DA, don't get in that car, but that's fine. Uh, <laughs> also, like, I, I saw initially, I was like, oh, thank goodness Catwoman didn't get into the car, but I was like, <laughs> wait, she's an ass kicker and Riddler's really not. She actually probably could have <laughs> saved the DA if she got in there and was like, yo, there's a creeper in the backseat. <laughs> Just kick his face in. <laughs> Problem solved. Movie, movie over. <laughs> movie over. One hour mark, we're done. Yeah. Um, it just turns into the Deadpool car fight. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Uh, the DA uh, rejected does, though, return to his car alone. And as Ave Maria kicks in once more through the damp mm-hmm. glass, we catch uh, a blurry vision as we watch a figure rise from the back seat, attack the DA. It's Riddler. Notch, we know what this is. One little detail I did like, though, is the DA notices that the headrest has been taken out of his seat and is on yeah. the seat next to him. And that's sort of like a moment of like, oh, no, before he immediately gets attacked the building of dread uh it's not a surprise to the audience but it's the slow reveal of like oh there's really no way out of this the da is an odd character because i mean he's a real corrupt piece of shit but also he's just like such a he's bizarrely sympathetic in the way that he's framed and like yeah he just seems like kind of an insecure like scared like even later on he's like well, no, we'll get there when we get there. It's mm-hmm. just he's such an odd character to me. And I, I think he's a very effective victim. Pathetic? He's, yeah. yeah, I was going to say he's not sympathetic. He's more just, just pathetic. pathetic. You feel yeah. bad for him more so than any of yeah. the other really characters who have been killed who you've only seen being like big, powerful, kind of asshole man in charge. Jerks. And the DA yeah. is just like, yeah, he gets too drunk when he goes out. He's definitely corrupt, but it kind of in a way that it's just like insecurities yeah. on display. And so yeah. you feel worse for him than you do the other guys who get offed in this movie. Um, yeah, it's like he asks out a pretty girl and then she books it away and he's like, oh, okay, well, bye, yeah. see you later. And it's just like, this like, guy, what is, what I is don't this movie making me feel, feel for this guy? Sympathy, because he's definitely corrupt and clearly got some baggage, mm. but like, I don't feel as angry towards him as I'm built up to yeah. feel towards like the mayor who's yelling at his aides on the phone or Pete, who, as we all yeah. know, has a rich and <laughs> storied backstory. Yeah. <laughs> rich inner life. Yeah. yeah. I, I the, the thing I like about the fact that they have like, one of these characters who's like part of this whole corruption ring that is just like such a pathetic piece of trash mm-hmm. is that it shows the way in which corruption is a lot more uh, insidious than we might imagine. Yeah. Where it's not just a bunch of like cartoon mobsters doing hey. like, you know, big mob crime a la, you know, Penguin or uh, or or the commissioner or whatever. It's, it's like it's using systems of power to manipulate mm-hmm. and get, you know, any kind of person, weak, strong, whatever, to do what you need yeah. them to. So, like, you don't get the sense that he enjoys being a corrupt piece of shit. No. He just kind of got his arm twisted into that situation, and it's a lot easier for him to mm-hmm. go along with it than to do anything else. So That is something very yeah. interesting about this movie. Almost nobody seems happy. Yeah. The only person who actually seems 
fully happy with their situation. Sort of Penguin, definitely Falcone. Falcone. Yeah. And that's really, yeah. I think it's Falcone. I think Falcone is the wrong one. <laughs> oh, no, probably Falcone. Um, it's Falcone. okay. Um, yes. It's just, you know, it's, it's interesting to me that, you know, they give you this impression that Gotham is this incredibly corrupt cesspool, and even the people who are using it for their own ends are ultimately just being leveraged and, and coerced Falcone. and manipulated mm-hmm. by other eh. people. Falcone, probably. Falcone. But I, he's not pronouncing it in Italian. <laughs> so they they just say Falcone. So, yeah. Yeah, okay, never That's mind. probably the way to go. We don't need hey, to anyway. overpronounce uh, Italian-American last names. <laughs> As someone who has one of those, trust me, it's fine. We don't care. Um, we leave the scene of the attack and head to an unfinished skyscraper where Gordon heads to the top via elevator shaft uh, to where the bat signal is located, which he switches off because yeah. I guess crime is done for the evening. Um, <laughs> Batman emerging from a shadow of Same a pillar in a shot which I love because it exemplifies what I think the cinematography of this movie does great, which is the use of high contrast areas of dark and light. Yes. Uh, Batman is completely invisible because he is standing in front of a pillar and that is an area of deep darkness and when he steps out it's his silhouette stepping out because he's wearing his all black bat suit against a brighter background and that is the way that you do dark and moody and gritty without it just becoming a gray wash that you can't make out you use high contrast you do very intentional uses of light and dark and it looks visually stunning while still communicating what is happening in a scene and the movement and the like um blocking to the audience i love the cinematography of this movie it was so refreshing i was so afraid because (laughs) most batman movies and a lot of movies that have had batman in them in the last like eight years or so have been very visually uninteresting in terms of cinematography so this was wonderful (laughs) but he the shadow of batman emerges from this pillar and uh asks his uh talks about the confidential informant he discovered about the Maroney case, and Gordon's like, yeah, you know, we did have one of those, but I wasn't super directly involved. Um, Batman brings him up to speed with the discoveries of the evening, yada, yada, yada. Uh, It's the Riddler who's targeting people involved with the Maroney case who were corrupt somehow, which means that, you know, Gordon, you're in the clear because you're one of the good guys, so we, you know, we know who we can trust in this scenario. It's further establishing the trust those two have in their relationship, even though Gordon doesn't know who Batman is. Um... And they need I love to their f- dynamic and I love their banter. Yes, it's it, Gordon it really gets across. This is a great variant of Gordon. Uh, it's, in many ways, it's also Gordon's origin story because this is the movie where he becomes commissioner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also like they've clearly been working together for some portion of mm-hmm. the two years that Bruce has been Batmaning. Um, and I just love that they've got this sort of easy, comfortable rapport yeah. with each other. Like they they know what to expect from each other, and, mm-hmm. and we'll, we'll get we'll get to some stuff with that later. Yeah, and so. we don't have to. I think the the you know. A, official police representative doesn't trust the vigilante storyline is a little bit played out so i kind of appreciated that we didn't have to deal with that so much in this like there is a police force that doesn't trust batman but his main touch point for that force and our main audience sympathetic character for that force never really wrestles with that trust issue which i appreciated because i was like great i don't want to have to do this plotline again we know how it ends every time it's fine um this movie does a Spider-Verse where it avoids rehashing the stuff we already know mm-hmm. to expect. It, it doesn't do the, all right, let's do this one more time thing, but it, it comes pretty close. Like, we don't need to see Thomas and Martha Wayne getting capped. Yeah. We don't need to see Bruce vowing vengeance as a baby or whatever. Mm-hmm. We don't need any of that. We don't need Gordon meeting Batman. We, we're fine. Yeah, yeah. And this movie... What's actually clever is... Sorry, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, this movie and, like, I'd say Spider-Man Homecoming, I think both are really good examples of how popular superhero origin stories almost work best when done in media res, when we start and they're already superheroing. We don't need to bother, like, mm. 
rehashing their entire origin because uh, it, it let's let lets us focus on like where their character needs to get to more so than like them getting superpowers as the main thrust of the movie or in this case you know building a bat suit because a bat crashed through a window of your study and frightened you and you're like okay that's fear i will be fear um <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i think that this movie is another example of like that thesis of origin story it's like okay it's not so much about how do we get this specific makeup of skill set and ability it's how do we take the character from some low point in their life to the character they need to be to be able to fulfill this role. Yeah. And what, what I think is interesting is in the use of like strategic backstory mm-hmm. elements is that we'll get to this later. Bruce and Martha are Thomas and Martha. Why is Thomas <laughs> the blank that I'm drawing? It is uh, Thomas, Tomska name. and Martha yeah. Wayne uh, are more interesting in what they were like when they were alive than they died, mm-hmm. which is cool because in most of the times that we see Thomas and Martha Wayne, it's just them dying. And that's the only interesting thing that happens to them in their entire life. Or we but, get a couple scenes of uh, of them being too good for this sinful world yeah. before. Yeah, yeah which is like, okay. Stuff. Um, but what happens to them is very interesting. And it's another mo- uh, element of this, like, it's an origin story in, like, bringing Batman up to the level that he needs to be without going through the plotting motions of explaining everything that we already know mm-hmm. or could have explained in, like, a title crawl. So, yeah, no, it's a... <laughs> title it's, Star Wars style. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Disaster strikes! Young Bruce Wayne is orphaned! Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> anyway, we'll, we'll get to that later, but I just don't want to mention that... Uh, Thomas and Martha are a good example of that. Mm. I also think that there's a lot to be said for the style of movie making of just like, let's just get to the good pit. Yeah. Bit. Like, and I, earlier in the movie when, when Alfred was like, the accountants are coming here and they just fully skip over that. Like I saw a few people being like, of course, Bruce skipped out of the meeting. And I'm like, no, the last we heard they were coming in. And then the next time we see Bruce and Alfred, they're back in the back cave doing more cypher stuff. So clearly yeah. a meeting happened. We just didn't need to see it because yeah. it didn't matter. So, yeah, yeah. That's, that, that's a, a, a good um, piece of like screenwriting advice is start your story as late as possible and skip anything that doesn't serve the, the overall development of what you're going for. There's a lot to be said about the complexities of pacing out a story. Sometimes you do need to cover the slow stuff that you maybe don't think mm-hmm. is as interesting as a creator. But sometimes if you're hitting a wall, all you need to do is be like, what's the next cool thing I want to do? And then just jump there. Yeah. And <laughs> That's also refill your energy yeah. like stylistically this movie takes a lot of cues from film noir and something in film noir's editing that is very common is that you just cut from action to action so you don't show any travel time you don't show like character leaves place gets on motorcycle rides away goes to a new location enters place you just cut from we're in this location and now we're in a new location and while this play- film doesn't stick to that one to one it gets very close particularly like you mentioned blue yeah. that scene where they're talking in the house before the meeting and then they're in the back cave talking afterwards we don't need to see the meeting. We don't need to see them walking from the top apartment into the Batcave. We just need to go to the action, to the action. Um, I think Red said that, but point stands. Yes. No. <laughs> yeah. All but I, I will take credit for it if you're off. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, speaking of the action, Gordon suggests that he lean on the DA to get who the rat is. But Bat is like, no, it's too dangerous. We don't know who in the city is involved in this web of deceit and lies. We don't know who to trust. Oh, no. What can we do? Uh, we don't dwell on it too long, though, because we're back in the Bat Cave. Bats replays the last moments before Selena ditched him on the eye camera, looking uh, more put together than he did before. He's in, like, a suit and his whole Bruce Wayne hair is somewhat brushed back uh, when Alfred interrupts, excited that he's dressed to make a public appearance as Bruce Wayne because this is an unusual thing for him to be doing. 
Uh, this scene so much. I'm not going to be able to shut up about this scene. <laughs> we'll get there. Uh, and he also did some work on the cipher, revealing that it says, You are El Rata Alada. You are a rat with wings. It's, um, he says, like slang for pigeon, like a stool pigeon, which is the first of several definitions and <laughs> solves for this riddle that will occur. I like over this riddle because it, it highlights the problem with the Riddler's gimmick. Yeah. His riddles don't have one solution a lot of the time. They have mm-hmm. a solution that makes the most sense for him. This is a problem with a lot of riddles. You can usually yeah. come up with more than one thing that makes sense. It's a common form of riddles are stupid humor is that, you know, you come up with an incongruous solution that still works. Mm-hmm. The problem is that Riddler is also killing people. And essentially, he's created a game with unfair rules that he thinks are fair because he's the one making them. Right. I think this is a very interesting point highlighting that, that like the whole middle third of this movie is just about this one fucking riddle. <laughs> of what the fuck is a rat with wings? There are like eight different answers. So many of Batman's rogues have bird themes. Yeah. It's like, it's ridiculous. And it's the one great. that is a solution is not necessarily the most appropriate solution for this riddle. It's just, I just kind of like that. It kind of just proves that the Riddler's whole gimmick is not, ooh, riddles are, are interesting and fun to solve. It's, I'm so smart. Everybody look at my big mental dick. Woo, look at me. Yeah. <laughs> and I just... I like that. I really do. It kind of highlights the whole hypocrisy of his entire gimmick. Yep, yeah, I think that really nails it. I think this is a it, this is an interesting moment and in sort of like the the beginning of the character assassination of the Riddler. And so you <laughs> mentioned this in your written review, mm-hmm. where like there's this big disconnect between like where the Riddler starts and where he ends. And I think this is sort of the beginning of like he's gotten a little like high on his own supply. And he probably playing this riddle out like months in advance. Mm-hmm. But you you start to see like where his his crusade for for like justice and vengeance starts to end and where his own ideas and his yeah. own like mania take over this is the the first hint of that i think yeah this is a good example of like he starts in a in what is in many ways a sympathetic motivation you know he's taking down corrupt politicians a lot of cis white men rage against the machine it's not necessarily unsympathetic or i would say particularly controversial to say that people are maybe a little bit frustrated with corruption in their local government but he Mm. ends this movie in a much less sympathetic position and i think this riddle in particular like you mentioned is a good example of okay now he's moving a little bit away from his like crusade against corruption and into like i am so smart Look at me and my greater yeah. lofty goals. Um, but we'll see more of that. What as I also it like, this might be one of the only cases I've seen where a villain starts off with maybe a decent point and then kind of unravels to just cartoon villainy that hasn't been handled poorly because I've, this is yeah. a common complaint where you'll have a bad guy with a legitimate grievance and a real point of like a problem with the system or a fundamental injustice in, in the world mm-hmm. and then at the end they'll be like and also I'm going to bomb this orphanage and the, the yeah, guys are like oh no like, we have to stop them bombing the orphanage and then they kill him and then it's never spoken of again like I think like, Legend of Korra fossil did like fuels times. are going to destroy the world which is why I built an engine that runs on children's tears yeah it's <laughs> like you know this is pretty much this is why Poison Ivy has at this point almost entirely drifted into like anti-villain slightly off hero territory mm-hmm. because it's it's getting increasingly difficult to pretend like environmental protection is a bad thing yeah. so it's but with Riddler you really get the impression that, like he's coming from a very legitimate place of of, of grievances mm-hmm. Gotham is fucked up it's it's very very unjust a lot of people are suffering under that paradigm it totally makes sense but Riddler's actual motivation is He's a nobody who wants to be somebody. It's mm-hmm. so clear that all he really yeah. wants is fame. And 
to show everybody how smart he is, and that's why he's having so much fun with all and these games. And his Spanish one knowledge. Spanish we'll get one there. Knowledge. We will, again, we will get there in what is one of my favorite scenes in this movie. Um, but then also uh, in, this, in this moment. But Alfred, Alfred figured yes. it out first. Alfred said his Spanish isn't perfect, and then we just yeah. move on. So yeah. we're like, oh, Riddler's not very smart, but it's like, oh, is that... But in addition to this riddle revealing a lot about the Riddler's character, this scene also gives us a nice moment between Alfred and Bruce, uh, because, of course, Bruce is dressed to the nines, but he has no cufflinks, and Alfred, never one to let his adopted son go out slacking, gives Bruce his cufflinks, which are emblazoned with the Wayne logo, uh, in order to keep up appearances, uh, and Bruce kind of, like, ribs him a little bit for this, um, and Alfred, like, doubles down on, like, respect of, you know, Thomas Wayne and his legacy and all that. Bruce, driven through the streets of protesters outside of the mayor's funeral, many of whom are holding up the Riddler symbol that has been prevalent throughout this movie, uh, exits along with all the fat cats of the city uh, at the venue of said funeral. At the same time... Also, Bruce is driving himself, and that's actually kind of noteworthy because most of the time Batman gets... Bruce gets chauffeured around by Alfred in most other media, Mm -hmm. but the fact that Bruce is driving himself kind of highlights this odd... I mean, he's still a gazillionaire. He's still in the lap of luxury, but he feels the entire scene that we're about to see with Bruce Wayne, he feels very alone, very unprotected, Mm -hmm. and very insecure in all of those things. And it's great. And a huge factor of that is that he doesn't have Alfred. He doesn't have a driver. He doesn't have a chauffeur. Chauffeur. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Chauffeur. His four chauffeurs. His four chauffeurs. In a quadriga chariot of old Corvettes. (laughs) Yeah. And they're all singing in a barbershop quartet as backup just Mm -hmm. to, you know, Mm -hmm. really raise his spirits. But instead, he comes across as like kind of a Hello, my vengeance. Hello, my darling. Hello. (laughs) Um, He comes across as kind of alone and bedraggled and, and... insecure Mm -hmm. and just like he has no idea what to do with himself and the fact that he's driving himself is a very important part of that because if he had Alfred with him I think he'd probably be doing a lot better so yeah Yeah. Uh, he exits the same time as Falcone who has with him a woman who is wearing the same boots that Selena was but we don't see her face yet Uh, Bruce rushes to catch up to talk to who he assumes is Selena but the goons stop him from getting too too close to Falcone and she turns around and it's not Selena shocker Um, the penguin and Falcone who are there chat with Bruce about how Bruce's dad once saved Falcone's life when he was shot Uh, and Bruce says you know that's just because of the Hippocratic Oath or whatever but Falcone's like yeah sure Hippocratic Oath and kind of laughs it off in the way that a gangster who is not afraid of all about the repercussions of his actions would laugh Um, yeah Inside the church, which looks like a less fancy version hey, of Bruce's apartment. good one, Brucey. <laughs> good joke. <laughs> hey. Yeah. Uh, the church is like a less fancy version of Bruce's apartment in terms of style, which was just a nice little architectural <laughs> through line. Uh, the general public is cordoned off away from the wealthy patrons to show the class disparity in Gotham City. Uh, Bruce is approached by the mayoral candidate from the earlier speeches, Bella Real, who walks and talks with him about how he could be doing more for this city. You know, his parents were great philanthropists, but it seems like he's not really doing anything. Um, and as they chat, which means, yeah. which means that this version of Bruce Wayne is not yet doing a quintessential Bruce Wayne experience, which is huge charitable efforts, uh, mm-hmm. Wayne yeah. Foundation stuff, uh, outreach programs, rehabilitation, all the standard stuff that Bruce Wayne uses to, basically, it's a very standard formula in classic Batman media. Batman will beat people up and you know send criminals to Arkham and, and hospitalize mooks occasionally. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, he'll be like, hey, we've got these outreach programs. If you need a job, I hear Wayne Industries is hiring, you know, stuff like that. He does a lot of work to rehabilitate people, to give them options so that crime is no longer their only option mm-hmm. because 
Typically, Batman realizes that most people do not choose crime if they have other options. Right. And yeah. this makes it clear that Bruce Wayne has not yet put not that yet. together. Hence why this is a Bruce Wayne origin <laughs> movie. I love that the mayor is like, sell your fucking Amazon stock and do something. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. I also love how this whole, this whole bit... Bruce Wayne doesn't say a goddamn thing to her. No, he's mostly no. going to the funeral to just to like scope out because he's like serial killers often return to the scene of their crimes or whatever. Mm-hmm. He's just looking for Riddler, but also he's so desperately uncomfortable in this whole scene. So Bella Royale like swoops up on his elbow and is like, "Yeah, Mr. Wayne, I really think you'd be doing a lot more with your money. Oh, I have to go pay my respects. Will you wait for me?" And he just doesn't say like, anything. Absolutely. Doesn't move. Not. He, and then he like zones walks out. away. <laughs> he like yeah. he zones in as he sees the now fatherless boy who we previously saw the son of oh, the mayor up the ahead, and he like has a moment of like staring boy. forlorn at the child who I think turns back to look at him as well and they have a weird eye contact the child looks back and is like why do I recognize you from somewhere I like the idea that the kid's just like oh shit it's Batman (laughs) (laughs) and he has a whole moment uh He's like, hi, Batman. I like your jawline. It looks the same in and out of costume. <laughs> He's like, oh, fuck. Behind him, he hears Gordon talking to the police chief about Africa the DA. I'm scared. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. My mom said I had to go home. No, Master Bruce, you have to stay for the full semester, and then I can pick you up. <laughs> you have to try. Um, Gordon and the chief are talking about the DA who's gone missing, and we get to see a little bit of like the divide between Gordon and Bruce as opposed to Gordon and Batman, because obviously they have this closer relationship when he's in the costume, but outside of him he's just another random rich person to gordon and the peace of the cathedral and the hum before the funeral starting is broken as screams from outside pick up and the rev of a motor and after a, oh God, what feels like moment. a forever moment of waiting for it to happen a car rushes in through the center of the crowd uh bruce jumps and grabs the kid who has stepped to be directly in front of where the car is charging towards and saves him from getting run over uh as All of the crowd pulls away and police surround the car. Emerging from the vehicle is, of course, the DA, who is gagged with a bomb around his neck and a phone taped to his hand that is constantly ringing. Um, As the cops clear folks out, Bruce lays eyes on another letter to the Batman that is taped to the DA's chest. It seems that the Riddler has struck again. And in this scene also, he sees a figure who is like silhouetted against a window at the top of the church. And when he, after the car goes in, he looks back and the figure's gone. Presumably that was the Riddler, but of course we don't learn his identity at this point. Also, it's a little bit of body language, but the whole time with the car, when everyone's standing around terrified and like when, when, you know, when the car door pops open and everyone panics and flinches, he doesn't even move. Nope. Like no. he may be desperately uncomfortable as Bruce Wayne, but the muscle memory, the like the <laughs> the the degree, the level he's working on mm-hmm. is so divorced from the reality of everyone else around him that like he doesn't flinch when the car comes in. He of course he dives and rescues right. the kid. He knows something like this is gonna happen. Uh, as the day wears late, the phone is still ringing and a little bomb diffusing robot approaches the DA it's like a camera rig for remote communication and it was giving me big Mars rover energy inside uh, the cops are MIA but we hear the intentional heavy footfalls of none other than the Batman as Bruce uh, makes his appearance in the boots that have defined the sound design of this movie he takes the tape off of the DA's mouth who is begging for help and crying and doing his whole pathetic thing Uh, but the bomb is attached with a combo lock so they gotta play the Riddler's games if they want to get it off of his head without it exploding Bats opens and reads the card, which this one says, In these trying times, never forget, I'm just a phone call away. Again, what situation is this card for? (laughs) Uh, But inside of it is another cipher and demand to answer, uh, which Bruce takes to mean answer the call. Um, And, of course, he complies. I like to imagine that, like... 
Riddler's on the other end of the, like every 20 seconds when it rings out he's just like hitting the button again <laughs> yeah. he's got like he's just like water boiling for tea he's just like oh god <laughs> he's just like oh god wait he answered yeah, <laughs> yeah he has to run over when it actually picks he's up he's on the toilet yeah. and it's like oh wait a second wait a second yep. uh, Bats picks up the call on the DA's phone and it's a FaceTime which was very Gen Z of him and the Riddler answers <laughs> Uh, Bats and the Riddler chat for a moment before the Riddler waxes poetic about unmasking the corruption in the city, yada, yada, yada. The word unmasking really unsettles the masked vigilante, but what can you do? Um, Bats is... This plants the idea that some of the trailers were also teasing that maybe Riddler knows more about Mm -hmm. Batman and Bruce Wayne and the identity than than anyone else. Ooh, what's the goal here? Is he trying to unmask him? It's spooky. The Riddler then goes live on Instagram, which is very Gen Z of him. And also the comments that were scrolling up on the side were like, I was really positive. <laughs> a lot of heart emojis, a lot of smiley faces. I'm like, this is not the appropriate reaction for the situation. <laughs> and there was a comment from XXHushXX <laughs> saying, wonder if that's body armor. Think it'll save him from the blast? And I was like, there are layers to that. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh-huh. Also, Ooh. realistically, that Twitch chat would have had a lot more pogs in it, but, like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Riddler's, like, bagging right now. Like, <laughs> the mods Riddle me this, the Batman. <laughs> Why is it that 70% of you aren't subscribed? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. It's really hard to riddle on an empty stomach, which is why this murder was brought to you by HelloFresh. Use code TRICKQUESTION for 30% off your first order. What oh dings when God. you click it and alerts you to whenever I post a new video? <laughs> <laughs> the bell. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, so the Riddler's live on Instagram, and the DA starts freaking out, but Riddler shuts him down by doing... This is where, like, the Paul Dano kind of, like, replacing screaming for doing a lot of uh, vocal acting kind of bothered me a little bit, and his performance got a yeah, little bit... very wibbly. monotone. Very monotone, and I... a lot of, like, I will make my volume very loud! this is replacing me being scary and I'm like I don't know if I'm totally and he also kind of tends to do a lot of this and kind of drag it out it's an interesting choice and it's very clearly deliberate it just makes Riddler seem like a total just total weirdo which I think kind of works but I think it works because the Riddler likes being not necessarily like the performer Mm -hmm. he likes to to set up the dominoes and then like throw everything together and you know send his stupid greeting cards and everything but as soon as he has to actually get in front of the camera even though he he still feels very in control he's not as threatening as he thinks he is yeah Yeah. (laughs) i think the fact that riddler is bad at this is actually a very deliberate choice i kind of wish he were better at it because compared to like Penguin, Falcone, even Catwoman's whole vibe, like, they're all so good at being what they're supposed to be. Riddler's the only one who feels like a poser. Mm-hmm. Very deliberate, but I think, yeah. you know, you know, if, he, if, he, if he'd fully committed, if he'd actually been good at this, it would have been interesting. But I think the reason why he's, he's not really landing for you is all intentional. It was a clear, deliberate oh, yeah. choice. It wasn't incompetence yeah. at any point. It no, was no, just... No. I don't want to imply that, like, yeah. the acting was poor or it was an un- un- a choice that was incorrect. Like, this is still a, a pretty good performance overall. I, it just wasn't working with me with the level of performances the rest of the cast were giving. I feel like they, they may... Yeah. It, honestly, it could have just been a directorial choice that just wasn't working for me. Or, you know, it's not necessarily a fault of Paul Dano's acting. But this is the acting that where I was watching it. I'm like, oh, I'm watching an actor as opposed to all the other performers. I'm like, oh, I'm watching Batman. Oh, I'm watching 
Catwoman. Mm. Uh, this was the one where I'm like, I'm watching someone put on a performance of a character who is I'm being told is the Riddler, more so than selling me on like, this performance is telling me that this is an insecure man who is bad at performing. Even though I understand that that's the choice they were making, yeah. something about the actual performance, maybe the directorial choices just valid. wasn't landing. But the Riddler is like, okay, DA, I'll give you a chance to survive my little games. You got to solve riddles. Come on. What did you expect? Uh, three of them in two minutes. The first one, it can be cruel, poetic, or blind, but when it's denied, violence, you may find. The answer is, of course, as we mentioned earlier, justice. justice. And we get that nice little <laughs> cross-cutting between Batman saying justice, the DA freaking out, Batman saying justice, the DA yep. repeating it. Um, as soon as they said blind, I was like, it's going to be justice. Be justice. Like, yeah, it's justice. <laughs> I was like, yeah, look at that. I could be Batman. It can't be that hard. <laughs> and Bats continues to give the answers to the DA as he struggles. The second riddle, if you are justice, please do not lie. What is the price for your blind eye? Uh, which is bribes specifically how much it cost for Great the Great line to look in away. the trailer. Yeah. Um, that, like, I feel like when I watched the trailer, that was the one that, like, really made me think, mm -hmm. like, oh, no, this is good. This is good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The DA gives the price of, you know, his bribes. Uh, and the third riddle, since your, justice is, since your justice is so select, please tell us which vermin you're paid to protect. Uh, and this one, the DA won't right. answer. He's more afraid of whoever is keeping the rat's name a secret than he is of death by bomb at the Riddler's hand. And the bomb, of course, having failed to answer the riddle, goes off, knocking Bat's back as he's like knocked for a loop uh, and surrounded by cops and passes out, fade to black. But not just that. What I like about this specifically is the DA has a little moment of like, not just being pathetic, but actually sympathetic mm -hmm. because his point is, if I go out like this, it's just me. But if I spill on who the rat is, everyone I love mm -hmm. will also be fucked. And it's like, wow, what a time to grow a spine, man. But like, I don't know. I, he's, he's a corrupt piece of shit and he's a real creep, but also like, they did an interesting thing with his character. They made him genuinely have a little, like a little kernel of of compassion for his fellow man mm -hmm. that I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah. yeah. Also, it's interesting that, like, I was like, oh, no, the bomb is really scary. I hope Batman's going to be okay. And he's just got his face right up against it <laughs> the whole time. But we have reason to think that the Riddler would be very careful to make sure that whatever bomb he sets would not kill Batman. Mm, yeah. Yes. So I think watching it with that knowledge, spoiler alert, um, <laughs> is that... Uh, he knows Batman wears armor, mm -hmm. and he purposefully counts down loudly as the number ticks down yeah. over to zero, gives Bruce time to not just back up, but he also throws his gauntlets up in front of the part of his face that's unprotected, yeah. which is why he's just knocked out rather than <laughs> hilariously burned. Yes. He survives, and he wakes up in the police precinct in a table in an interrogation room where he's surrounded by, like, a horde of cops who are seconds from taking his mask off. And he, like, freaks out about that because it's, like, his one big thing it's is don't take the mask off, man. Come on. Yeah. Uh, the chief is like, I don't like this Bats man. He called me a dirty cop or whatever. But Gordon kind of is like, hey, guys, give me five minutes with him. I got this, guys. I got this. Don't worry about I'll it. I'll handle him. Oh God! The moment where where Batman like looks at him and says "You too now" is just heartbreaking, oh, yeah. and it says so much about the dynamic they already have. Is that mm -hmm. he's not expecting Gordon to turn on him. He's not expecting Gordon to side with the rest of these cops when they both know that the the cops are dirty. So he, again, like he assumes the worst. He doesn't think Gordon is clearly playing mm -hmm. for time. He's actually gonna help me out. He assumes, oh no, I've he's finally betrayed. turned on me. Yeah, but. <laughs> 
But no, Gordon gets the rest of the department out of the room and then acts like he's intimidating the Batman, getting real close, but actually he whispers instructions and gives him the key to the escape route. He's like, you gotta hit me to make it look real. Uh, And in exchange, Batman (laughs) warns him that Kenzie, one of the uh, cops in the crowd, was also one of the bouncers at the Iceberg Lounge and that he's probably dirty. Uh, As Gordon ponders this, Bats decks him and begins fleeing from the precinct as a comical number of police officers give chase to him. I love this scene. I also have one note uh, that what he says before he start before he gets all the cops out of the room is what he says is uh, uh, where is it I'll handle this chief just give me a minute and you can hear that two ways one he's talking to the police chief is like yeah I'll get him mm-hmm. to talk yeah. the other one is he's signaling to Batman like I'll handle this chief just give me a minute yep. <laughs> and I just I love that I love that little like he's just really trying so hard to save his yeah, friend yeah. Batman and I just oh it's wonderful I love this movie really goes out of its way to show that Gordon and later Catwoman really care about Batman and want to help him out. And I just really like that. It's so rare that you get a superhero movie where you believe that the characters like each other these days. (laughs) So, yeah. Uh, In a Batman movie, no less, the grim, dark misery guts of the the DC universe. But no, no, they actually were like, he's going to have fucking friends whether he likes it or not. (laughs) Just love it. Uh, So good. He makes it to the roof of the precinct and activates his flying squirrel suit. Not a joke. uh, (laughs) Which he uses to glide his way off the building. It's um, it's a great scene. I do kind of wish that the, the way that he glided was via the bat wings of his cape. Uh, that was the one. It was one of the productions I moment I missed. But the squirrel suit is very funny, and I appreciate the inherent comedy and too. groundedness. I of wrote it. a whole ass paper <laughs> in in high school one time in an engineering course I did about like how you could make a Batman glider cape using memory metals and how it oh, would yeah. work. Mm-hmm. But like, no squirrel suit. Fine. Squirrel suit works. <laughs> I actually thought that made sense because. It's clear from his body language, he's never tested this thing yeah. before. He has never tested And what this I before. love about this scene is that when he gets up on the roof, he has an actual gasp of fear as he hits the ledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, this is a Batman who is not yet used to grappling around skyscrapers. He'll no. get there, but it's new. And when mm-hmm. he arranges the wingsuit and he jumps off, it's very clear, like, he knows what he's doing, he's doing his best, but he's never tried this before. Yep, and, and we uh, see that pretty quickly as after a moment of cool gliding, his chute that he deploys gets stuck on an L train and he crashes, tumbling head over heels, uh, battered and bruised, but ultimately free, standing up to limp uh, away over to the skyscraper hideout where the bat signal waits. Um, a moment it's of, like, like, like I, I do yeah, really like the, the one detail <laughs> oh, in, this, in this shot uh, where... There's one moment where there's a view from out a window in the skyscraper, mm. and there's just a, a moment of nothing, mm-hmm. and then Batman goes, <laughs> which sells the speed of yeah. the scene far more than any, like, over-the-head camera or, like, tracking shot or whatever. Just, like, this static, <laughs> where if, like, you could be at that desk, and, you know, if, if you're not looking out the window at that moment, you wouldn't have seen mm-hmm. it at all, and that really sells the speed very, very effectively. It makes it seem like it would be absolutely terrifying, uh, yeah. and I yes. think that's a very good way to frame this, because it's like, hey, yeah, you know what's not easy? Jumping off a high building! <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I love that, and I love that it, it kind of goes to show, like, whether or not he's prepared and trained and skilled and got all his tech. Mm-hmm. He's only two years in. Yep. He probably hasn't had to jump off of very many tall buildings. Nope. So, uh, so good. And again, Robert Pattinson's acting. He's doing all this with like only 50% of his face visible. Yeah. 
he's and talented. he's just absolutely nailing it. I think that's part of why Paul Dano's acting bothered me so much. Because I'm like, there are characters who are doing a lot more with a lot less than you were given the opportunity to do. Um, I feel like this episode of the podcast is going to do more damage to the Riddler than the entire movie. Probably. <laughs> it's going to be a more painful experience than his whole tragic I backstory. I was so excited for the Riddler. That was the villain I wanted for Battinson when I heard, when they announced that casting. I was like, dear God, I hope they do the Riddler for this movie. I think he's the perfect villain to compliment the let like the to bring in those camp elements but also still make a like very true to modern batman sensibilities to play off of pattinson and when i announced they were doing the riddler i was over the moon and for the most part i like this riddler there are just a lot of elements of it where i was like it's the one character in this movie that doesn't quite work flawlessly for me where every other character include like including gordon and like alfred work so that's probably why i'm so hard on this riddler but overall i do want to say like very good <laughs> not a lot of like thematically and performance wise like there are a lot of things i like it's just some little things that compared to the rest of the movie yeah. stand out little so much details they just you know yeah <laughs> they really they eat away at you. <laughs> um but gordon comes to meet him on the roof of the bat tower i guess i'm gonna call it uh and they discuss the possibility that the penguin could be the rat because after all perhaps <gasps> a penguin is a rat with wings <laughs> penguins got wings so this is our I second how explanation for the rat with wings <laughs> have wings it's like look at how many of them have bird motifs like all of them (laughs) especially the gangster ones yeah just the regular street level crime you got penguin you got you got the fact that batman is himself a rat with wings from a certain point of view it's just it's it's so funny and it really highlights riddlers like yes i've come up with a great little riddle there's only one answer to a rat with wings and Mm -hmm. it's like no actually none of the only one answer to a rat with wings are the ones that you did. Yep. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's a pigeon. And this, what, what this revelation, that's pigeons. Uh, so we're coming up on my favorite, like 15, 20 minutes of the movie. Like, I think everything about the sequence is flawless. I would watch this in isolation. It's just the whole sequence of going to the iceberg club, the chase with the penguin, uh, the interrogation afterwards. This is what I wanted from this Batman movie in terms of aesthetic and performance and like structure and just everything. Um, this is one so, of the scenes that I have very little to talk about, so hopefully I, we, we'll I get think, through it quickly. <laughs> I think every movie has a vertical slice where, I mean, mm-hmm. you see this in game design a lot, where, like, you build, like, like 20 minutes of gameplay that encapsulates, like, what this thing is, and that usually becomes your E3 demo, but, like, <laughs> I made a video about this with Deadpool and, like, the car fight I mentioned it earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, like, the clip that greenlit the project, and I... I right. feel like this could very well be not not to say that it, it it was like in actuality like the clip that greenlit the project, but like when taking the entire Batman movie down into one little like fifteen twenty minute vertical slice. Sophia, to your point, this is it. Yeah, it definitely this it is, hits all I, the points like, I wanted it to. It's got yeah, it's got the action, it's got the noir elements like crazy. Mm-hmm. It's got the aesthetic. It's got penguin at his most penguiny. Wow, <laughs> so good. Yeah, I think it, what it lacks in some of the more thematic elements of the movie, which we've talked about at length prior, it, it works great as like a standalone snippet. Uh, and like you mentioned, Blue, it's it's a great teaser for what you, the, the style at least that you would experience in the rest of the movie. So Bats and Gordon kick this all off by heading to the Iceberg Club and watch Penguin as he and the twin bouncers load something on up into their vehicle and head to the docks. Tailing them, Gordon and Bats watch as they unload a bunch of drugs. They're running Maroney's old operation, even though that operation was busted before. (gasps) Did they pick up years later from the remnants left behind, or did the operation never really stop? We don't really get an answer on that, and honestly, it's not that important. Uh, As they (laughs) ponder this, Selena shows up. 
spotted by Bats, who's on the roof doing a little reconnaissance, uh, and starts taking out the guards around the car to get to whatever is in the trunk, presumably something desirable like money. Digging through said trunk, she finds a duffel bag full of, you guessed it, money, uh, and Bats appears behind her, <laughs> meeting with her as she continues rustling, and while they quip back and forth about like what she's doing and if this is the right path or whatever, uh, she angrily unzips the duffel bag to find that it has her dead friend Annika inside of it, which is and horrifying. the tone reveal. shift is immediate. Yeah. Like up until <laughs> yeah. that point, it's fairly sta- it's their standard rapport. Catwoman is out mm-hmm. for herself. Batman is assuming the worst about her intentions. Like, was this whole thing just a case to join and rob it or whatever? Mm-hmm. And she's just like, oh please. And then, oopsies, found yeah, Annika. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh no. Uh, before we can kind of dwell on this revelation, gunfire immediately breaks out, and Gordon, Penguin, and the goons all jump into the fray as a, a big old shootout starts going. Um, before Penguin can get Selina, the person he assumes is stealing from him, a demonic hiss kicks in, and the incredibly loud, incredibly cool, incredibly it's ominous so Batmobile good. engine fires to life as we turn into a shot straight down an alley, and you just see, like, the dust building behind it and the light of the engine, and I love this Batmobile design. It's so <laughs> it's good. All in. It's pretty harrowing, too. Instead of, like, making a normal engine noise, it shrieks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the thruster fires, and you're like, oh, Ooh. my God, Bruce. <laughs> and yeah. that's when you I realized we were getting resist. a car chase in this movie <laughs> at yep. last. The, yeah. the, the Batmobile in this, it almost feels like a wild animal. And, like, yeah. it, it doesn't it's immediately, bestial. it doesn't immediately, like, blast in, but it sort of jolts mm-hmm. forward like an animal on a leash. And then Penguin's like, yeah, Kenzie, get the money! And then just, like, panics <laughs> and runs. And I'm just like, yeah, that's the right yeah. answer. I, yeah. I also love he says, Kenzie, get the money. And then as the other guy's getting the money, he just takes off. He's fucking bolting. <laughs> so okay. time, time to dip. Uh, everyone scatters to their respective vehicles. Batman giving chase to Penguin, Selina grabbing a bag of money and motorbiking away. Uh, and I assume Gordon and Kenzie having a, their own miniature car chase that we don't see off screen. Um, they play Go Fish to see yeah. if they're going to go to jail or not. <laughs> uh, Penguin pursued by Batso, so that's the action we're going to follow. He's driving like an absolute lunatic, going the wrong way on the highway, causing huge traffic disruptions and probably untoward accidents, screaming in fear the whole time about how crazy the guy giving chase is as Bat shows off some pretty impressive driving skills to so maintain funny. the pace and always be a step behind him. Uh, yeah, this, this is something that, uh, that Nando B. Movies touched on in his mm-hmm. Is Batman a Good Driver video in anticipation of the Batman. Uh, and the the overall trend is that he gets better as he goes on mm-hmm. uh, throughout the movies, but also because previous Batmobiles have been, you know, absolutely insane vehicles that would never make any sense. It's military hardware. Mm-hmm. It's like all kinds of ridiculous over the top. It's like a... Uh, like the one in the 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 Batfleck Batman is like almost the one out of Arkham Knight, which just turns into like a like quad wheel Robo Tank nonsense yeah. thing. But this Batmobile is so good because it is clearly an you know old style hot rod that Bruce just like tuned the shit out, out of like, to make it into a monster. A rocket thruster on the yeah. back, and he's like, yeah. all right. Good story. Like you can tell that man. Bruce like actually kind of cares about cars because he's not driving like Rolls Royces and junk. He's mm-hmm. driving old Corvettes, so he has like half of the time that they're in the Batcave, like the Batmobile is right there, but with a tarp over it. So like uh. he has such a distinct connection to this vehicle mm-hmm. that he understands every last little bit of like you know pull this lever, spin the wheel like this, stomp on the brakes, and it does this. And he has such control over the car at every point. 
it's really cool to see that as opposed to, oh, he's a good driver because he has this fancy mm-hmm. autopilot tank. It's cheating. It's like, no, Batman has a bomb-ass car and he's an amazing driver. I also yeah. like I love that. just that we stay... Most of the POV of this scene is from Penguin's perspective. Yes, it's like in yeah. the in the shotgun yep. next to him or on the hood. Because when we cut to Bruce in the car, he doesn't say anything. Why would he say mm-hmm. anything? There's nobody for him to talk to. He doesn't do that. Uh, and he's just like you know fiddling with the controls, driving around a little bit. We no, we don't need to see his reaction. But when we get to see Penguin's reaction to to Bruce oh doing his crazy shit, <laughs> yeah. and it's just it's like the Penguin is a very manic dude. He's very mm-hmm. on all the time, and I think it's great, especially Red, he's just in a situation. Like this. <laughs> hey, hey! <laughs> Trying to get dangerous territory. <laughs> I just think it's it's a good choice because it means that w- he's basically saying what we're feeling, which oh, yeah. is good. It's good to have an audience yeah. surrogate, and in a situation like this where we're getting to see a protagonist show off something for the first time, putting us in the perspective of the bad guy who's about to get his shit rocked is a great way to do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I think it also works too because Batman is at almost his most terrifying since maybe the opening scene of the movie in this moment where he's driving the Batmobile because he feels almost the most soulless. He's the most detached from the person he's pursuing. He's in a different vehicle entirely, and it's a terrifying mm. monster-like vehicle. So having getting to see just exactly how scary that really is, because at this point we've lived with this Batman for a while, so some of that innate fear of like, okay, Batson is happening might be lost on the audience. Watching it happen in real time with a, a guy who was absolutely terrified for his life uh, and screaming in, you know, gabagool is fantastic. <laughs> and yeah. it ties into the same... Like, yeah, we want to see this guy get got and also, oh, I totally understand why you're afraid. I mean, it, it makes Batman into a horror movie monster. He's yeah. just like this unflinching pursuit. Well, that's that the thing. And that is terrifying. <laughs> He's been like that all movie and I love that they extend it to the vehicle because the gimmick mm-hmm. of this Batman is not, oh, he hides in the shadows. It's, he's bulletproof and he won't stop coming he's the invincible (laughs) snail he's very terminatory in this the gimmick everyone forgets first terminator Terminator. straight bone straight up horror movie (laughs) the main thing is you can't stop it you can't even slow Mm -hmm. it down until like the 90 percent mark of the movie and batman in this movie is like that and penguin does try his best to slow him down at the cost of all of the traffic around him eventually he rams into an oil tanker causing a massive pile up and explosion behind him and as we watch the penguin driving away from the explosion cheering whooping goading that he he I got him you. he got him the batmobile leaps over the Lord. explosion <laughs> and <laughs> through the fire rams the back of Penguin's car and sends him spiraling. Guess he wasn't so got after all. And we get this amazing shot of Batman walking forward to the flipped car upside down because it's from Penguin's POV, highlighted by the fire to create this like shadow figure of the bat. We get the full so effect good. of the bat suit and how scary it actually can be when executed properly. And we enter like this, God, this car chase is good. This like Penguin Vision Such finale shot chase. is just awesome. And we go from there to the docks where Bats and Gordon interrogate the penguin. Uh, (laughs) Penguin's like, I don't know who no Riddler is. And they try to, you know, run their working theories about the penguin being the rat past him. But he insists it isn't him. And Gordon asks him (laughs) if he's El Rata (laughs) Alada. But the penguin just corrects their Spanish. Like, what are you, stupid? (laughs) It should be La Rata Alada. World's greatest detectives, eh? (laughs) So good. 
love this. It's the perfect level of like cartoon villainy making fun of like how seriously they've been taking the logic they've been working on and being like, no, you dumbasses, you just don't know Spanish well enough. Uh, and I love that like Gordon and Batman actually kind of look a little bit like yeah. a little perturbed, like a little yeah. bit like, ah, fuck. Oh my God. We kind of Googled this first. <laughs> this is my favorite dialogue in the movie. And I think uh, the actor chemistry in this scene is just through the roof. Like the so energy. Good. And the performance from Penguin specifically, where it's like, you got something to say that? Yeah! It's the worst Spanish I've ever heard! And suddenly the tone of the scene is completely different. For a Penguin-like character or a mobster character to just go full, like, cartoon villainy. And I think that this is an incredibly good balance of, like, yes, the accent is over the top. And yes, Penguin is a little over the top in the way that he acts and the way that he looks. But it still seems to fit perfectly with the yeah. way that ever, everyone reacts to him in the scene as though he's a natural part of the environment. And this is just yeah. kind of the expected way he performs that it grounds him and keeps me from being like, oh, I'm watching a cartoon. And I'm like, I'm still I totally buy into yeah. the movie and the chemistry's off the walls. So it's just fun to watch. Yeah. He also that, doesn't that, seem that's scared. Really it. it's, it's, it's camp. It's, yeah. it's complete it's camp. commitment, unflinching, no attempts to downplay or pretend like what's happening on screen is not happening. Mm-hmm. Well, the vibe you get is that Penguin's set of priorities are just completely askew <laughs> from what we would expect. He's not afraid. He's not worried about yeah. them. He's he's pissed that they have him handcuffed and blew up his nice car. But like, yeah. he he's like, I couldn't care less that I got a cop and I got the bat on me. <laughs> This Spanish is terrible, and you're all embarrassing. And he's just like yelling at them. Terrible! You know what a rat with wings is? It's a bat! It's a bat! A rat with wings is a bat! And as the penguin continues to drop these, the funniest lines in the entire movie, uh, Batman (laughs) cracks the case of the Riddler's poor Spanish choice because he's like, everything's been intentional up till now. What could it mean? El rata alada. When you say it slowly, it almost sounds like you are the rat. You are L. And I was like, okay, even that, that one, even for me, (laughs) is a little bit dumb. You are L. Rata Uh, alada. So they go to Ratalada.com, and it's like yeah, it's a good thing it's .com and not .edu or .org. <laughs> yes, they use the URL uh, Ratalada.com to, and use co- code BAT for fifty percent off their first month with Squarespace. And <laughs> uh, on his website, they find that it's a live chat room. They can SMS the Riddler, continuing the whole Gen Z of this Riddler. <laughs> I actually um, really like the tone of their little online conversation. Like, yeah, I've right. had text conversations with people who text like Batman does. <laughs> <laughs> it's very direct. Uh, the Riddler's like, hello, asks if they found El Rata Alada, and the Batman asks if a penguin is a rat with wings, but that doesn't quite seem to be the right answer as the Riddler yeah, he responds, his... interesting. Yes. <laughs> as it's... the Riddler insists his next victim will be the biggest piece of the puzzle yet. And I, uh, spoiler alert. But it is so obvious in hindsight that Riddler thinks he and Batman are on the same side. Oh, yeah. The tone of this is just incredibly, he just thinks they're two bros trying to take down the corruption in the city together, having a quick tete-a-tete to figure out what's going on. It's so obvious from the tone and the way he talks to Batman, there's Mm -hmm. no hostility. The most there is is just the little bits about, oh, unmasking, oh, orphans, oh, Bruce Wayne. And (laughs) Batman's just like, oh, fuck. But, like, it's all in his head, kind of. Sorry, I bombed you, XOXO. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's one. Of, I think this is a good example of like, in the the first watch through this movie, it's a surprise when you learn what the Riddler's motivations are. In the second watch through, you're like, oh, I see what they were setting up, and I see how they reached this conclusion, and that's it, hard to execute, but well done here. Yeah. Um, they try to get the next victim out of the Riddler, but he only provides a clue because, guys, come on, this guy's the Riddler. I don't know how you didn't see that this would be the next course of action. Um, and he gives them a riddle. I grew up from a seed, tough as a weed, but in a mansion, in a slum, I'll never know where I came from. What's the answer? An orphan. An orphan. Um, 
<laughs> Upon solving that riddle, Riddler logs out, and Batman's like, oh, he means the old orphanage that was part of the Wayne estate, and they take off, having decided that I guess there's only one orphanage in all of Boston, so surely that must be, not Boston, Gotham. all of Gotham. <laughs> Ooh, what a giveaway. Ooh. Uh, and they're like, okay, great. Um, we'll go there. Leaving the penguin with his hands tied up, cursing at them on the docks. <laughs> which so is just- funny just sorry he's not the biggest threat so he gets to kind of just be like around in this movie and I, that's is it implied that he right stays there for the rest of the film no we see no, him again later no. oh we, we do see him again, again later okay yeah, yeah. I, I forget uh, it was kind at, of overshadowed by the rest of the scene but he's kind of important later so okay. yeah yeah um at the orphanage, oh yeah, yeah that's right that's right yeah yeah at the orphanage graffiti welcomes them and gordon pulls out his gun batman tries to do like a whole insisting on no guns that's not but uh gordon's like dude that's not hey, your man, thing that's your thing <laughs> Yeah, 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 which is a nice little nod to the Batman doesn't use guns rule, which is tough talk held for true the guy in, in armor. <laughs> <laughs> um, following the graffiti, they hear the sounds of Ave Maria and enter a room where a recording is playing, labeled "Where It All Began," and on the recording is Thomas Wayne announcing that he's running for mayor and creating the Gotham Renewal Fund. Graffiti announces that renewal is a lie and sins of the father, and we're sort of starting to understand who the next victim of this Riddler might be. Mm-hmm. Um, in case you hadn't put it together, though, Gordon does connect it for the audience. The next victim victim must be Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne. And Bruce, as Bats, takes off. Uh, yeah. This is the one moment where they do the camera pan away, camera pan back, Batman's mm-hmm. gone. And it makes sense because he wouldn't have said, oh, I gotta go. And he's not trying to, like, look impressive for Gordon. He's just like, shit, and yeah, books yeah. him. What would have been really funny fear. is if they... If they included the the clomp of his incredibly loud boots, he's just like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Gordon's like looking away as you just hear yep. shit. <laughs> he's like, what do you think? Oh, I wonder where he went. Anyway, yep. and we very quickly realize that Bruce is not afraid for himself, but for Alfred, who is in his mansion because if Bruce knows he's fine. He's in the bat suit. There's no way he could find this him. Scene. Uh, and he tries to call the mansion to call Alfred, who we see opening the mail, including a package labeled for Bruce Wayne's eyes only, inside containing a fireproof letter to the Batman. And Alfred has a moment of recognition before uh, an explosion fires off. Um, he gets he a good toss the in there. He away. realizes it and he's able yeah. to actually get it pretty far away, yeah. which is the he reason he He eats it away, dives behind the desk, so he's like yeah. alive. Um, yeah. Also, what I love about this scene is that Bruce calling from the car, this is the most genuine emotion we've heard in his voice all movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a really good vocal performance because Robert Pattinson is a good actor, damn it. Robert Pattinson's a good actor. Uh, and I also like the way they do this because when Batman finally does get through the tower and an old woman picks up the phone to tell him, uh, and he's like, something terrible is about to happen. She's like, oh, something already did. We learned that, you know, the what we had seen of Alfred was actually about an hour prior and Batman is just now yeah. catching up to the terrible tragedy. And the way that they play with time in the edit there, I thought was just really cool. Also, um, we've seen this lady before. She she showed up very briefly earlier. To yeah. just, she's like another servant in the house like a or, something like that. or something. She only exists clearly for this scene yeah. so that she can pick up the phone and be like, oh, sorry, Alfred oh, got sorry. exploded. Bye. <laughs> I don't think we ever see her again. It's amazing yeah. that someone else in dialogue with Batman shows less emotion than Batman, yet this woman manages to somehow do that. Mm. Her place of work was bombed, and she's like, yeah, shit, boss, sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's not her job to answer the mail. Well, yeah. no. <laughs> Uh, at the tower later, a cop opens the letter addressed to the Batman, which uncreatively says, see you in hell. 
And at the hospital, Bruce looks on as Alfred is in intensive care. With renewed energy in his now ashy and uncleaned apartment, Bruce sets about unriddling the Riddler, laying out all the elements of the conspiracy and spray painting his like crazy theories on the floor and like a all while shirtless, of course, because this is Robert Pattinson we're talking about. And Alfred someone, is out of commission God, for ten his minutes, <laughs> and Bruce Wayne <laughs> gets naked sure. and spray paints the floors. Just feral. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, it's like, I going, didn't think you were coming home, so I panicked. <laughs> <laughs> he starts going through, like, old files from his dad and, like, pulls out all the info on the Gotham Renewal Project. But before he can, like, really dig in, Selena calls him via the eye camera uh, saying that they need to talk, which was a nice little creative use of, like, how she thinks to get in touch with the bat. And I love this scene because they're both kind of like disheveled looking and like not mm-hmm. very put together. She doesn't have any of her wigs on and she can't see him, but he's more disheveled than we've ever seen him at this point. So like yeah. they're both at their most like shitty and vulnerable and having this little heart to heart, but only he can see her like mm-hmm. that. And I thought that was that was interesting. You know, you can read into yeah. that if you want. Yeah. And also uh, you can tell he's got this little moment of like, oh, thank fuck, human contact. <laughs> um, <laughs> when he sees that she's got, because what she does is she like, she doesn't really know how the contact works. She like sets it up on the table and puts a little note. says like, mm-hmm. are you there? So that if he does tune in, she'll be able to hear. And I thought that was cool. Yeah. Just, uh, they decide to meet by the bat signal. Uh, she's clearly upset when he arrives at the roof about the death of her friend Annika and asks if he'll help her. She's on the, she's on the war path. She's ready to like take down those who have hurt her in the past uh, and he's like look you know your, your anger is in the bright place but your choices have consequences and she's like you know what Falcone owes me the money because he's actually my father and we get the whole reveal of what their oh, weird relationship gosh. is it's spoiler alert daddy issues uh, it's a huge re- relief to Bruce too you can tell because you know he's got he, he's down bad and he's been trying yeah. to play it off like he's just like oh I'm investigating a crime but internally mm-hmm. every time it looks like maybe Selena has, has a relationship with anybody he's like oh fuck boo but now he's like oh thank god okay and he actually apologizes for assuming yeah. the worst and I thought that was a big moment mm-hmm. um she explains her mom worked at the club just like she does and just like the dead Russian girl and that Selena used to like hide in the dressing room while her mom worked because she was so afraid of Falcone. Uh, and, and when she was seven years old, her mother was strangled and she was taken away by social services and Falcone didn't say everything. So they have clearly an estranged relationship uh, and an uncomfortable childhood for her, to say the least. They have a little like Batman and Selena Kyle, maybe we're not so different after all moment. And she asks who he is under the masks and insisting that they stand up for Annika. And as far as she's concerned, the Riddler can go after the rich white white privileged assholes like the mayor, the DA and Thomas and Bruce Wayne. Oh, Bruce Wayne. She had to drop that name to Bats. Um, the last one catches him off guard, obviously, and Bats asks what she means, and she kind of explains further, like, it's the Riddler's latest. While you were conspiracy boarding, the Riddler was subtweeting or whatever. Um, <laughs> and she asks kind of like one last time for, come on, vengeance's help. Uh, and he's like, look, Everyone don't... in this movie calls him Everyone vengeance. Everyone calls him vengeance. Mostly just his name? Mostly <laughs> Selena. But not a lot of other people refer to him by name anyway, so statistically. And, and, and Gordon. Gordon, too. She agrees to help him out, or he agrees to help her out but by saying, like, you know, he's like, I'll help you, you know, don't make any moves without me. Sensing this is sort of a, yeah, sure response. She gives him a little kiss and they, uh, she's like, yeah, I could take care of myself and then dip, promptly dips uh, as Bruce begins to watch Riddler's Latest, another social media post uh, back in the Batcave. And it reads like making a murderer because all of the editing is exactly the same as every true crime show that was ever played for 30 minutes on a weird Sunday night spot. Um, 
in his video essay masterpiece, The Riddler drags Martha's mental health and talks about how Thomas Wayne tried to bribe a reporter to shut him up when he was running for mayor about said mental health, but when that didn't work, he turned to Falcone to have him killed. And he ends this masterclass in stock footage manipulation with a call for Bruce to answer for the sins of his father. Dun dun dun. Also, like, real shitty of this reporter to try and, like, discredit Thomas Wayne's campaign by going after yeah, his wife's right? mental health. Like, that's yeah. trash. Basically, <laughs> I know this she's next, in Arkham, this, but well, come on. <laughs> this part of the movie is essentially the, the, the point of contention is just why did Thomas Wayne do this? Yeah. Slash, did he do it and why? And the thing is, Riddler's angle and later Falcone's angle is that Thomas Wayne was trying to protect his mayoral campaign and his mm-hmm. political career. But, you know, ultimately the thing is, it is agreed that like, hey, this reporter digging up Martha Wayne's extremely tragic backstory and corresponding mental health issues to try and discredit Thomas Wayne was in fact a real shitty thing to do. Yeah. But Thomas Wayne having him killed would also be a pretty shitty thing to do. So, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, this yeah. is where we start to take a dip into more of a, like, Falcone and Thomas Wayne-focused plot in the movie, um, which isn't necessarily bad, but it is the one portion of the movie where I was like, something narratively just feels like this is a different film entirely for a little bit. It's the bit. weak link in a strong yeah. chain. <laughs> yeah, this part, I mean, you can kind of compartmentalize it off and be like, this is whatever. This is the little bit of, this is Bruce's personal investment in what's going on, but we didn't really yeah. need it. We're fine. It's not a problem. It's just not as strong as the rest of it. I think what drags it for me a little bit is that it does run for like 30, 40 minutes uh, right near the end yeah, of the movie, well. and it is there's basically no Riddler content during all of it, so it just feels a little disjointed from the rest of the film, even though it is doing a lot of work to establish Bruce's character, and yeah. I don't think it is entirely without merit. Um, oh, no. It's just something structurally that has always yeah. struck me as like, this is if this is a fair critique of this movie in terms of, it gets three yeah. hours long, this is the part where maybe you could have done some trimming. This is about where I lost the plot of like, did he, did he not? He did, but he didn't. And then I, yeah. I do love the scene though of, of Bruce just walking into the iceberg lounge and they're like, mm-hmm, yeah. holy shit, is Bruce Wayne? And just yeah. let him in and he is astounded. Yeah. He thought he was gonna have to fight his way in. Yep, that's exactly <laughs> what happens next. He walks up to the iceberg lounge and they're like, yeah, okay, go in. And uh, he heads up to Falcone's fancy apartment, which is the the apartment above the club that is above the club within a club, <laughs> uh, where Falcone and his boys are hanging around shooting some pool until Bruce interrupts. Um, Bruce is like, Falcone, is this whole thing with the reporter true? And Falcone's like, look, kid, your father was in trouble and he came to me and uh, he asked me to put the fear of God in this guy. But, you know, when fear wasn't enough, well, Thomas left it up to me to handle it. Um, Falcone does a lot of implying in this. Yeah. He doesn't strictly lie, but he does imply that. Yeah, he <laughs> implies that Thomas Wayne was totally cool with him doing the murder, and he mm-hmm. implies that Thomas Wayne was worried mostly about his mayoral campaign. Yeah, and it's it's real skeezy. He's got a very like kind of um, uh, genial tone, and he's very mm-hmm. like, "Look, kid, you know, you're not a you're not a little kid anymore. I can tell you how the way the world world really works. This is like this odd pseudo fatherly attitude that's really mm-hmm. gross and skeezy." Um, but it's just interesting that like he's he's giving Bruce the lowdown on a side of his parents he didn't know about, but he's doing it in a very just sort of negative and weird manipulative yeah. light. He's telling him basically all of his worst fears about how this story could have played out, and he's going to get a different version of it later from a much more a much better father figure. But this is like yes. this is the dark reflection of Thomas Wayne father figure, and he's going to give you all the things that you don't need to know. Um, mm. And tied in here also, Falcone drops that the reporter uh, was on Maroney's payroll, heavily implying that Maroney is the one who had his father killed. To kind of bring it back to the drug kingpin, who's sort of at the center of this whole rat plot line. This is sort of the one thread that ties it back to the Riddler. 
stuff, but it's, again, yeah. it's kind of tenuous. Um, Bruce Hard leaves. to keep track of a character who we never see on screen. Well, he's already he's already <laughs> he's already, been, he's already been busted. put in the big house. The who's well, I, I know, but like that's it, from a from a narrative standpoint, it, it right. makes it yeah. a little trickier it's than it otherwise would be. A bunch of people whose names sound very similar. A lot of mobsters <laughs> in this movie. Bruce leaves, opening the chained up room once belonging to his parents back at the tower. We know it belongs to them because it's got a lot of vintage furniture and also childhood Bruce drawings on the walls. It, like were the Wayne's vampires. The story, style is awesome, but it's so <laughs> like it's straight out of Dracula. Um, I love it. At the hospital, Bruce goes to sit with Alfred as he wakes up because he's going to be okay. It's fine. Don't worry. Uh, and Bruce's first words to him are, you lied to me, which is the worst bedside manner. It's heartbreaking. Uh, but he brings Alfred up to speed about his conversation with Falcone and asks, you know, like, why didn't you tell me the truth all these years? But Alfred presents a different narrative, which is his father was a good man. He didn't ask for anyone to be killed or do anything to protect his image. He turned to Falcone in a moment of weakness to protect his wife. But Falcone used it as leverage to get um, something over on Wayne. And, you know, Thomas was like, I won't stand for this. I'm going to come clean and told Falcone he was going to the police. And while Alfred can't prove it, he's always kind of suspected that Falcone maybe had Thomas and Martha killed. Although he pauses the end like, I don't know, maybe it was random to kind of like throw us off the scent because who knows for sure. Although it yeah. seems like the movie is implying it was probably Falcone. <laughs> This scene is just heartbreaking in about 50 yeah. different ways. And honestly, yeah. personally, I would have kind of been happy if the rest of the movie was just Bruce and Alfred having a heart-to-heart. I'll be completely <laughs> honest. That's all I needed from the rest of it. I'm good. But yeah. it it's just, it's so sad. And Bruce's kind of follow-up of like, I thought I'd mastered fear, but I realized I hadn't mastered the fear of losing the people I love. And it's like, of mm-hmm. course not, Bruce. Nobody gets over that. <laughs> but just, yeah. Uh, such they a have their moment. bonding yeah. moment. They're together again. Um, it's a sweet moment. Uh, but as this whole denouement kind of happens, Bruce spots the bat signal, so it's off to work. Um, at the abandoned building where the bat signal lives, Gordon Back is also just sort of getting out of his car uh, at the ground level. So if Batman didn't light it and Gordon didn't light it, who did light the bat signal? <gasps> the two make it to the roof where it's Catwoman, of course, the only other person who knows about the location of the bat signal. She's yes. got the Taking crooked cop. <laughs> yeah, she got Kenzie tied up and beaten up because uh, this guy had all of her shit, including her phone, which has a very damning message from her friend on it. It's a recording of a call with uh, Falcone interrogating Annika, asking what the mayor told her. And she reveals, you know, like something about the rat uh, that he made a deal with Falcone to become mayor. Uh, and Falcone's like, oh, that's unfortunate and strangles her on the recording, which is horrifying Especially yeah. realizing that Selena listened to it, you can see why she's so distraught. Um, and you can see as we're coming up on that part of the voicemail, she's already like she's kind of recoiling and pacing away because she yeah. clearly doesn't want to hear it again. It's just, yeah. oh. Mm-hmm. And hearing this, they finally put together what Elrada Alada is. It's a falcon, dear God. They need fewer winged aliases in Gotham. <laughs> Falcon's not even a good answer to that. <laughs> it's Nobody thinks of falcons as rats with wings. Falcons are no. refined animals. Whatever. Ugh, whatever. Falcon is the Falcone is the rat with the wings. He's he's the rat. He's the one who busted the Maroni thing. What that's the whole reveal. Um mm-hmm. they turn their attention to the crooked cop who explains that Falcone doesn't work for all these officials. The officials all work for him. It's thanks to the renewal fund because after Wayne died, everyone went in for a piece of it. It's this huge charity fund with no oversight. So everyone's just been using the money to like grab power and Falcone's the, the head of it all. He orchestrated the Maroni bust. He's he's behind all of the corruption, essentially. It's giving us this scapegoat sca- scapegoat figure, for lack of better words, because this is, at the end of the day, a superhero movie, and they're trying to tie it up in something of a bow. 
Catwoman's like, okay, so we kill Kenzie and then we go kill Falcone, right? Uh, but Pats is like, no, this isn't the way. So she's like, okay, I get it. And then pushes uh, Kenzie off the building. Um, <laughs> and she's, she's like, like, don't throw your life away. Yourself. And she says, don't worry, honey, I got nine of them. And then kicks yep. him off. And it's like, yes, that's that's straight out of classic Tim Burton Catwoman. Yep, <laughs> yep. beautiful. We get to see her coming into her own as the Catwoman character. Uh, Bats so catches good. Kenzie, but it slows him and Gordon down and uh, Catwoman takes off. Bats making a, a rapid pursuit takes off after her, and we return to the scene of all crime in Gotham. That's right, the Iceberg Lounge. <laughs> Woo! Once again, we're back. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Selena dresses up in her best pink wig and talks her way to Falcone's room, asking to speak with him alone. Meanwhile, Bats, who is not in full costume, sneaks slash fights his way into the club. Um as he's sort of enacting his scheme, Selena pretends to be a worried friend of Annika, talking to Falcone about how she doesn't know what happened to her friend. She hasn't heard from her, and she's playing up the sad, distressed woman card uh, as uh, she kind of is like, oh, I've got a tissue in my bag to wipe away the tears and goes to pull out a gun before she can. Falcone is called away to the TV where the news is playing the recording of her phone call with Annika. Gordon uh, sent it, and they trusted him because they already know Gordon can send them legitimate stuff illegally. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Selena, who is a master of the slinky, like I will swing my hips from side to side walk. <laughs> it's yeah, it's She's crazy. Got she looks like an anime character when she walks. It's insane. Um, <laughs> the pink hair doesn't hurt. No, not even a little bit. Uh, she walks up behind Falcone with it, and with a "Hey, Dad!" starts interrogating him about her mother with the hell holding him at gunpoint. Uh, before shooting and as she shoots Bruce in the basement cuts the power it's uh, the big emotional uh, uh, climax of it all Uh, Selena and Falcone fight as Bruce sneaks his way up to the penthouse now in his Batman costume implying that he took the time to put the cowl on and get fully dressed in the basement in the dark putting Uh, on his mascara (laughs) (laughs) we get a very cool hallway fight that I I love the way this is lit because again playing with those areas of pure black and light Action is only illuminated by that gunfire. Uh, we only get to see things in flashes, in moments, and it's terrifying and gorgeous. And oh, this is very amazing. great use of, of what we can't see to yes. to convey combat in this case. Mm-hmm. In the penthouse, Falcone gets the drop on Selena and goes to strangle her like he did Annika and her mother. But Bat shows up and smacks him upside the head, pulling Selena away, and she finally like chills out. And Falcone has been stopped i love uh, this one exchange because what she when she when he pulls her away she's still trying to get at falcone and she yells mm-hmm. he has to pay and bruce says you don't have to pay with him you yeah. paid enough and that is the most heartfelt reimagining of any variant of no guns no killing if he mm-hmm. killed you'll be just like him none of that it's like no listen you've already suffered enough and right. that's incredible that's the most compassionate really reframing good. of this i've ever seen there's no hint of judgment in it it's just if you do that you're you're gonna your mm-hmm. life's gonna get worse and I don't want that to happen and it's just yep. like oh god this oh. Batman is really getting close to my my top <laughs> echelon of he needs to be compassionate and I love it anyway mm-hmm. go on uh, Batman goes to escort Falcone out of the club while Falcone swears to take whatever he's done to the grave classic like ah oh, I'm a criminal I'm never gonna give in uh, they meet Gordon at the door, and as Falcone tells him that the boys in blue work for him, uh, he gets out, dref- dragged outside to see that the cops who don't work for him, which apparently is quite a few of them, are all waiting in the street to arrest Falcone. Uh, as he steps out into the street, and his Miranda rights are read to him, and he steps into the light, uh, Penguin emerges to call him a rat, 
because we can never forget that rats are central to the it's rats. <laughs> it's all rats all the way down. And I love I love Penguin's costume in this moment because he got the classic like striped pin suit. Uh, it's a nice little play on the pinstripes, but that's like a little purple toned and a little bit goofy. Um, Falcone insults him, and Penguin goes to pull a gun, but a shot fires uh, moments before he fully fully p- finishes taking it out his weapons, and Falcone, now under a street lamp, dies. Um, Remember the whole riddle that Batman is ostensibly solving? This is where the Riddler is going to re-enter the plot. Uh, Batman follows the previous riddle given to him, light the street lamp being a light, and he's brought the rat into said light. And looking nearby, there is a window where the Riddler, a sh- the shooter, sits in silhouette. Uh, Batman rushes up to said window and finds no Riddler, just one crazy silly- serial killer-looking apartment, absolutely decked to the walls, to the nines, in all manner of newspaper clippings and cryptics and stuff. But the Riddler has escaped once more. The police mm-hmm. come charging up and begin crime scene investigating the apartment, as crime scene investigators are wont to do. They realize the Riddler has been watching them from across the street the whole time. He lives night near the club. That's why he has all these photos and all this information and all the comings and goings at the Iceberg Lounge. Uh, as they sort of put this together, the cops get a call. A witness saw the guy who fled head into a nearby diner and that he's still sitting there now. They've got him. They charge in and arrest a very mild-looking man with the same glasses as the Riddler, who, while he had just ordered some pumpkin pie, uh, is promptly arrested (laughs) as Batman stares through the window, making eye contact with him, and he, Riddler, grins at him. (laughs) And we go to look into his coffee cup. Makes more sense when he thinks they're friends. Yeah, very (laughs) true, very true. Um, And also in his coffee cup is a, like, foam question carved mark. out question mark which was very classic Riddler I did appreciate so that little detail yeah. uh-huh. I mean you know that shot's just for the trailer but it's oh yeah just, it's still very in, on brand mm-hmm. uh, investigating his room further the cops watch on TV as uh, Rial is elected mayor so you know Bella Rial she's still here in this movie she's now reached her full <laughs> political office character that exists mm-hmm <laughs> Batman looks over all the garbage in the apartment, including ledgers full of codes. They learn that the Riddler was once an accountant. That's how he was able to figure out all of this information and piece together this crazy plot based around the abuse of the Gotham Renewal Fund. Um, Batman picks out one specific entry in one of his journals where the Riddler realizes the renewal program was a scam because of his accountant powers. (laughs) He can see the code. Yeah, and as he continues investigating, he finds a bat in a cage symbolism and taped to the top of the cage, another letter to the Batman, along with the, uh, like, carpet tool chisel looking thing used to kill the mayor. And the card says inside, just written, my confession, which leads the bat to declare that this isn't over, um, which makes sense because there's 42 minutes left in the movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> As the police try to hack oh, into the Riddler's <laughs> online accounts, Batman takes in various notes on the wall, which all seem to point to the Riddler knowing his true identity. It's a lot of stuff about unmasking and Bruce Wayne. Um, yeah. Batman thinks maybe he's the Riddler's last target. Maybe the Batman is finally coming to an end. But before he can muse on that for too long, Gordon gets a call that the Riddler wants to meet with the Bat at Arkham. Uh, Bats and Riddler meet up, Riddler waxing poetic about how people will remember them both now, and starts dramatically saying, Bruce Wayne. Wayne. Bruce Wayne. (laughs) The debate of whether or not this is a misdirect to Bruce or a misdirect to the audience about, like, does he or does he not actually know if Batman is Bruce Wayne? Porque no los dos. Uh, Yeah. yeah. But then Um, it, it becomes pretty clear 
pretty quick. After he gets it out of his system and he lets Batman kind of sweat and like stare at the mm-hmm. security cameras a little bit, he's like, he's the only one we didn't get. And it's like, what? What? And then you can tell him like as he sort of rallies, he's like, oh, thank goodness. Okay, mm-hmm. back to business. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's like, he d- tries to dramatically, you know, keep him on his toes. It almost seems like, you know. Batman, who is thankfully like his normal stoic, silent self, doesn't give anything away to indicate that he's actually <laughs> yeah. nailed it, yeah. which is like the one Ooh. instance of like clutch stoicism. <laughs> um, but he he gives us his backstory here. Also, we learn he was also an orphan, but because he wasn't a little rich boy in a tower, he didn't grow up you know privileged or anything. Everyone forgot about him after the terrible you know Wayne tragedy or whatever, and his orphanage was horribly mismanaged. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's really the bigger terrible. issue. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, uh, if you were dying, if there were regularly children dying from the cold in your orphanage, you had larger problems than the fact that you were in an orphanage at all. Yeah. <laughs> Which you could argue that because it was an orphanage owned by the Arkham family and Wayne later Wayne family, you know, maybe it's Bruce's fault, but Bruce was also a child, so it's whoever was, was in charge eight. of the foundation. I feel like that's fault. not his fault at that point. <laughs> I don't I agree, but I can see how like if you're projecting everything onto the other rich orphan, you might make that association. Um because clearly yeah. his hang up with Bruce Wayne is less about Bruce's father's sins and more about the fact that this was another orphaned kid who had it better than he did in his mind. Yeah, so he's having this conversation with the Riddler about, like, you know, this overarching plan, and the Riddler quickly, uh, you know, turns to reveal that he's, he, he doesn't know Batman's identity, he's just got, like, a weird complex about Bruce Wayne, so that's kind of where we're at, and when Bruce realizes this, he's like, oh, you, you've been captured, you are, you are nothing to me now, like, we're gonna move on from this whole thing, <laughs> but before uh, he can, you know, get the gist of the Riddler's plan out of him, Riddler starts to get clearly very worked up because he simultaneously realizes and is explicitly told by Batman that they weren't working together. And that kind of puts a, a fracture into his worldview, into his understanding of how this whole thing was playing out, uh, his masterminded scheme, if you will. Um, yeah, this is almost as dramatic as when they did this plot line in the Lego Batman movie with Batman and Joker. <laughs> I like to fight around. You know what? I think that might actually hit on what I think bothered me about this Riddler performance. It's dangerously close to just being the Joker with different flavor text. Like, it's Unfortunately, not the same, making the Riddler a murderer, it kind yeah. of, the gimmicks start overlapping. And that's why I was a little unsure about just the premise of the movie when it first got announced. Like, we've got the Riddler and he kills people now. And I remembered mm-hmm. there's this issue from the comics. I feel like Alan Moore probably wrote it. It has his fingerprints on it. Uh, where it's like Riddler has a TV interview and he's like, obviously he's in a warehouse full of decommissioned like movie props and he's mm-hmm. just, you know, having his, he's firing off riddles at the crew. But he mentions like, they all changed the rules when I wasn't looking. They're killing people now for crying out loud. What's up with that? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is what I like. Riddler always felt like he kind of got left behind by the villain escalation. Mm-hmm. He's just a funny little man in a stupid hat who really likes doing Sudokus. There's nothing wrong with that. It's fine. <laughs> but um, turning the Riddler into a serial killer Zodiac type, it, it gets a little close to certain versions of the Joker. There's overlap on the Venn diagram now. And mm-hmm. some of his more unhinged performance, like especially later when he actually shares a little maniacal laugh sesh with the Joker in Arkham, it's like, all right, it's yeah, he's a little a little too close, you know, getting yeah. some resonance. Yeah. Yeah, getting a little. Which is part of why I hope they don't like lean too much on the Joker in future movies because God, I hope there's not, not Just keep him in much they'll get from the Joker that they didn't get from the Riddler, and he's much more interesting if he's always in Arkham. Because with the deleted Mm -hmm. scene from earlier in the Mm -hmm. movie where Batman, like, 
goes to talk to the Joker about this guy, it's a very interesting conversation that is probably much better serving of this kind of Batman movie than the usual dynamic of, like, the Joker's out, and he's doing wacky shenanigans blowing up hospitals. Like, I I, I do like the version Mm -hmm. of this Joker that we get, and I hope they don't, like... I hope they stay restrained and don't blow their load on this because they can easily screw this up if they just like go wild. But they, yeah. Yeah. I'm hopeful that they won't just because of the dark Knight existing. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping they won't immediately escalate to the Joker. And I feel like they've established a world with some like vague, you know, the borders of reality are a little fuzzier and a little Mm -hmm. weirder than they are in like the Nolan trilogy. So I'm hopeful that they can start including some of the rogues that have actual powers, or at least tech and weird stuff like that. Like, Poison Ivy's gimmick is just that she really likes poisoning people most of the time. Like, that's not mm-hmm. all that weird. <laughs> that's not too super yeah. powery. Mr. Freeze freezes stuff, but technically yeah. it's like freeze technology, so you it's can kind of freeze gun. That. He's got a medical condition, not a superpower. <laughs> it's different. <laughs> We've already done the whole orphan thing. Now we'll do the whole like medical thing. We're gonna just cover off on the different parts of social services that are like Gotham really needs to update, and that's how we'll work our way through the the timely improvement of this city. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think that means we probably get Hush because he was a surgeon. Um, mm. So Hush is established in this movie. He was one of Riddler's commenters. <laughs> he was an XX Hush XX. <laughs> I'm gonna be Hush mad. Hush is if on that's the, the highest on. tier of Riddler's Patreon page. <laughs> he does a little super chat with a sticker. <laughs> it's just a little mummy face. Yeah, the the um social mediafication of this Riddler, while it is kind of goofy, I do I do kind of enjoy. I'm like, well, if you're gonna modernize it, I guess that's pretty funny. <laughs> The part where he goes, hey, guys, (laughs) thanks for all the comments. I was like, oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that is pretty funny, but it is genuinely interesting to see, like, with in the context of the Riddler that we got, Mm -hmm. other possible versions of the Riddler notwithstanding, the fact that he is clearly having a moment of, like, I I don't necessarily want to say humanity, but of, like, being, like, more personable now that he actually sees people liking him mm-hmm. it's interesting that as soon as the dynamic flips to like oh people like me they think i'm doing something i'm someone for once and he's sort of like starts to open up and bear his soul to his youtube commenters he could have just streamed minecraft and been fine but no he had to start <laughs> killing public officials yeah uh, of course it's, it, it, it i think it fleshes out the character in an interesting way even if it is like really fucking goofy it's it's almost a good kind of jarring to see this absolutely, you know, deranged murderer just mm-hmm. like, hey guys, like, you know, your comments are really nice, you know, they make me feel like I'm, I'm doing good things for the city. Also, <laughs> by the way, I'm going to blow you all up and make you drown. Thanks for tips on bullets. It's like, yes. Okay, right. Speaking of blowing up and making drown, as he's yes. sort of devolved into screaming about how his master plans have fallen apart and it's all wrong, uh, he kind of drops that this isn't over, which Batman immediately hones in on, and the Riddler stopping his tirade is like, oh, you're not as smart as I gave you credit for, and drops one last riddle. Uh, What's black and blue and dead all over? The answer, of course, being you, which, again, I'm not quite sure how... I don't know if I buy the solution to this (laughs) riddle outside of this I feel like that one he ad-libbed. He was was like, I gotta come up with something real quick, otherwise he won't think I'm committed to my gimmick. (laughs) Uh, What has four legs in the morning, (laughs) two in the (laughs) afternoon, and a bat symbol on his chest <laughs> shit hold on <laughs> riddle me this batman why did the mayor die of ligma <laughs> <laughs> what's outside of my interrogation room oh boy 
Um, <laughs> yeah, he begins just creepily saying Ave Maria as Bats angrily punches the glass. So that's, you know, clearly the tensions have a ro- rose. Uh, back at the apartment, which is now a taped up crime scene, Bats goes all true detective on the place looking for what he could have possibly missed that the Riddler was alluding to, uh, accompanied by a cop who was set, like, their guard in the apartment. The cop mentions that the mayor was killed with a carpet tool, which is when Bats realizes that, wait, a carpet tool? There's carpet in here. I can use this. The plot twist of this movie carpet. is that the working class exists. It's yeah, like seriously. one of those, uh, like, those like, escape the room flash games where you just click object on thing <laughs> yeah. in room. Yeah. Yep. It's like yep. you see like Keep Batman like like very woodenly holding this like like carpet travel thing. Yeah. And it, like he clicks on the window. He's like, I can't use that here. <laughs> <laughs> not a good time for that. <laughs> I'm not thirsty right now. <laughs> That's a rope. Wait, Professor rope. Oak said there was a time and place for everything, but not here. <laughs> Um, but he, he peels back the carpet to reveal a giant map of Gotham with a real change scrawled through the center of it and lights blinking at specific locations all around. Uh, Bats uses the real <laughs> a real change as the password to unlock the Riddler's live journal, and they hear him talking to his followers about Election Day and explains that he parked several vans full of explosives at key points along the seawall. Um, and as we learn of this plan to do rampant destruction without any sort of direction uh the explosions simultaneously go off and the city of gotham begins to flood so this is where the um i mentioned this in my patreon review but like this is where the kind of like for lack of a better word character assassination of riddler kind of starts to come into (laughs) it all because up till now he's had a very focused plan very specific goals and now he's like what if i just murdered all the innocent citizens of gotham with water (laughs) he was going after bruce wayne who that's true eight at the you know i think it's pretty clear from the beginning that riddler he's got like a (laughs) thesis of what he's doing but he's very much motivated by personal grievances i mean the Mm -hmm. entire premise of this last act is essentially exposing that riddler was inspired by batman slash vengeance uh as like oh if i'm mad about the state of the world i can just go out and do unspeakable violence about it like he, he just takes that lesson and that means you know okay he's got legitimate grievances about corrupt police officials but he's also really mad that bruce wayne got a penthouse and he got rats chewing his fingers mm-hmm. it's a reasonable thing to be pissed about but instead of being like what can i actually do about this he's like what if i just mail the bomb to his house that sounds like fun <laughs> it's just, you know it's he's yeah. he's always been like this i think it's again it's one of the rare cases where like you have the villain who maybe has a point but not so much of a point that it feels weird when they just start killing people it's like this is not a killmonger situation where it's like all right that was you know there were a lot of good points being made there and then he was also like let's kill Mm -hmm. all the people but in this case it's like no killing all the people was always kind of the goal the the killmonger comparison is interesting because the whole thing with killmonger is i mean i have not seen the movie in many years um (laughs) but uh, i mean (laughs) i haven't seen many marvel movies in many years but (laughs) the the whole point of like killmonger's thesis ends up then defining how t'challa moves forward so he becomes better for having learned the good parts of Killmonger's personality, whereas with this, Bruce realizes, oh shit, I've gotten dangerously close to things that inspire mass murderers. I've got to step up my game and change my mm-hmm. act a little bit. So, Sophia, in your review, you make a very good point of this, that this 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 serves Batman, even if it ends up kind of assassinating the, the Riddler's character, but it, it does make sense as a progression of, like, the Riddler, you know, fighting against systemic injustice and eventually coming to the conclusion that all of Gotham has failed him very, you know, Batman begins, you know, Ra's al Ghul mm-hmm. kind of thing. It's like, we're just going to blow this whole fucking place up. There, there's, a, there's a tonal difference between a bad guy saying, 
you're just like me, we should be friends, and a bad guy saying, I'm just like you. Yeah. A bad guy saying, I'm just like you, is a lot scarier to a hero, because that means <laughs> they, they really need to evaluate themselves, whereas, you know, mm-hmm. the, the usual bad guy, we're not so different, you, you know, you're just like me, is like, okay, no, I'm not. Yeah, I mean, I think for me what happens with this is that while, like like you guys are saying, like on Batman levels, I think that this turn makes sense for the last act of the movie, but on Riddler levels, I'm like, I don't know if I quite buy the escalation from individual acts of violence to kind of indiscriminate um, mass events. It's a little jarring. Events. Yeah. It's a little it's jarring. It's the first <laughs> time. A tiny bit of a jump. <laughs> this is yeah. also the first time in the movie they mentioned there being a seawall. <laughs> I was yes, like, wait, Gotham's that. below sea level? <laughs> oh, okay. That's, like, a, oh, that's a design wall. <laughs> And they kind of bring Bella Real back in here, which, like, we've seen her a couple times throughout the movie, and she's kind of, like, uh, you mentioned, she's, like, this paragon of actually trying to improve Boston. uh, Not Boston. I keep calling Gotham Boston. (laughs) What is happening today? (laughs) Gotham. And so you kind of understand who she is symbolically, but there is a certain point like, well, why why does targeting her prove your point more so than any other particular individual? Um, But... The thing about this movie is that even in its flaws are not necessarily so bad that they take you out of the movie. And while structurally they can be interpreted one way, there's a lot of arguments to be made in the other direction. So I I think that, you know, overall, this isn't such an incongruous bit that you're going to be like, oh, wow, (laughs) what a turn in the last third of the movie. It still just feels like you're watching the same movie. It's just when you think on it for too long, it's like, okay, maybe now I'm seeing the scenes a little bit. Yeah, there's a difference between, like, a mistake or bad writing and a trade-off, mm-hmm. and this is yeah. a, a situation where it was clearly a trade-off, and whether or not that trade-off was w- what you as a viewer wanted is up to you, but mm-hmm. yeah. um, I think it would be disingenuous to call this bad writing or lazy writing mm-hmm. when it really is, like, the focus was on the characterization of Batman, and everything that happens in the last 45 minutes is in service specifically of that. We probably could have lost the Joker and Riddler scene, because I feel like if you keep <sighs> yeah, Joker earlier in, hook. you can get the benefit of the Joker and Riddler scene later, but if you cut one, you gotta cut both, I think. Yeah. Because otherwise mm-hmm. it seems odd. Because, like, if they had both scenes and they added the extra, like, you know, five minutes to the runtime, I think it would have worked. I agree. But I think that deleted scene should have didn't. Been there. Having only one feels like it's a last-minute thing, even though it was clearly intentional they set it up. Mm-hmm. You just, we didn't see the setup. So, so anyway, anyway. The other yeah. thing I will say about that one scene is it actually has, it's like 50% necessary. The Joker's involvement, not strictly necessary. The Riddler having a spectacular breakdown very important because yeah. he's he's the exact kind of smug master planner bad guy that until you see him crying you're not actually sure that he's lost so i think that was an important like he's yeah. not, he doesn't have another he doesn't have like a second plan under the floorboards we're good we're good okay cool and yeah. it was important to see him have his full-blown like no not only has my plan failed but all anyone's talking about is how batman's so great like yeah i mean it, it's if anything i feel like this actually serves as an origin for the riddler as just a full-blown like batman i hate you you stole my spotlight you're the worst because <laughs> like mm-hmm. this he spends 99 percent of this movie thinking they're besties which is hilarious yeah. when you watch it again you're like oh yeah that makes total of, of course he's sending him cute little cards mm-hmm. and uh, uh the fact that he thinks he and batman are like besties but also he hates bruce wayne with a passion despite not knowing yeah. anything there's a lot you could say about parasociality in this Trust movie um, <laughs> anyway yeah. Um, but Riddler's video kind of narrates what happens in this last scene and pretty much everything he says is going to start going word for word Uh, the streets begin to flood people flee into Madison Square Garden I'm sorry Gotham Gotham Square Garden where the Riddler followers are uh, all dressed up like him in the rafters and in the rigging waiting to you know shoot people with guns because that's his plan um it's a little harrowingly real yeah Um, yeah this part freaks me out 
after the past couple years. Yeah. There's a few reasons it's freaky. That There's yeah. like, uh, the first time I watched through this movie, I had a moment of tangible relief when Batman crashed through the skylight to take care of things. Because yeah. up mm-hmm. until that point, I was like, oh, God, it's too grounded. I mean, the flooding is pretty spectacular, but oh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Selena Kyle is also here because in her attempts to get out of Gotham, she got ushered into uh, Gotham Square Garden because... I don't know. She's a, all it's the flooding. major characters must be in in this building at the same time in order for this final <laughs> the act to go off. Flooding. Of course, she can't get out. <laughs> <laughs> she tries so hard, though. Um, the mayor elect also go- is there, and she's like, "I'm going to go on stage and calm the crowds." And Gordon tries to stop her from going out because he's like, "Hey, there's a cons- active conspiracy going on to, you know, potentially murder you and also everyone here. And the city is flooding. Maybe." don't go out on stage. She's like, no, no, I have to do my civic duty. No, these amateurs are terrible shots. (laughs) That sounds like quitter talk, sir. Everyone in Gotham is just afraid to stand up and do the right thing. What are these crosshairs doing here? It was a big moment, but also, Jesus woman. Spoiler alert, she goes on stage and immediately gets shot. Uh, (laughs) She's okay. It's just like in the shoulder or something, but... Yeah, she'll be fine. But all chaos breaks loose, and that's when, of course, as all hope looks lost, Bats appears, jumping into the rafters and starting to take on all of the Riddler clones. Um, he has a really up, you know, doing scene. It's a very long fight scene. It's a very cool fight scene. Does lots of like hanging over the crowd, dangling height stuff, which is someone who's afraid of heights. I'm like, this is my nightmare. Uh, it's a very acrobatic <laughs> Batman fight, kind of in line with the uh, with the like the Predator mode of the Arkham games. I almost get the sense of. Mm-hmm. You can also tell that he's really pissed because like he takes a few more shots to the chest than he normally does, and like lets yeah. them empty the, the the gun before he like growls and charges them. <laughs> I watched it subtitled. It specifies that he growls twice. So clutch. <laughs> um, yeah. Gordon and Selena also go like, start running up to the rafters in their own rights to go assist the bats as he's dangling oh, over the crowds boy. and what have you. Uh, He's made friends. That's the big. <laughs> I was genuinely. I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Bats pulls himself back up into the rafters and continues fighting, but he will be stopped momentarily by one Riddler who hits him like point blank with a shotgun blast, which is where we see the limits of his bulletproof armor. Uh, once again, leaving him dangling over the edge. But before the Riddler clone can finish the job, Selena drops in and you know, drop kicks him and pulls Batman up to safety. Is all well now? Nah. Selena might say it's done and give him a little kisseroo, but there's still a Riddler guy left who drags her away, kicking and screaming. Batman takes some drugs to, like, power on through. Um, yeah, not some a people joke. thought it was, it was like, Bane Venom, but it, yeah. it, if you zoom in, it just says adrenaline. Really? Or yeah. epinephrine or whatever. Why is it green? Yeah. Okay. Dramatic effect. There's a contrast long other- <laughs> red color palette in this movie, and they're like, oh, green contrast that, right? We'll throw it in there. <laughs> throw some yeah. green shit Festive. in there. <laughs> if it was a clear vial, it'd be functionally invisible. That's um, true. And he goes all mega bats on the goon until Gordon pulls him back to reality because he's starting to lose himself to punching this guy in the face. And it's like the so job So we've is actually done, seen what it looks like when he actually loses control in, yeah. in contrast yeah. with the scene very early where it's like it's a very calculated tactical thing. In this case, mm-hmm. he's just like, no, I really like Catwoman, so you're not allowed to kill her. My <laughs> fist will communicate this with you eloquently. <laughs> but just in case you didn't get it. I'll have you to reiterate per yes. my last email. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the Riddler goons all taken care of. All that's left to deal with is the rapidly increasing level of floodwaters threatening to sink the entire city. Uh, we're going we water world we up in here. We can't skip over the, uh, <laughs> the, the Riddler guy that he was wailing on gets unmasked. And it's this random dude. Although apparently it's one of the random guys who was at the funeral 
oh. earlier in the movie, yeah. who is like, oh, it didn't save my daughter or whatever. It's, it's that guy, the one that Batman initially thought was like, hmm, maybe that guy's the Riddler? Nah, too obvious. It's like, oh, it's sneaky, sneaky. Little double <laughs> reverse, quadruple Chekhov's gun there. Uh, but when they're like, who the hell are you? He says, me? I'm vengeance. And Batman's like, ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> so... <laughs> As they're sort of pondering the reveal of vengeance and dealing with his own, you know, issues, uh, Wooder continues to burst into Gotham Square Garden, knocking over the stage all in one fell swoop and unleashing an active electrical wire over the flooded floor. She said, if you know how electricity and water works, that's never good. Batman's like, I know what to do, and swings over to the wire using his battering. Yeah. <laughs> Finally get to see him unclip it, which is a really cool way to do it, because usually, like, the the little bat insignia, even in, like, armored Batman, is just, it's just design. But it yeah. makes sense that it'd be like, yes, yes. quick draw, easy battering. <laughs> I mean, we're calling it a batarang because it's bat-shaped, but he just uses it like a knife, so, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just yeah. a sharp bat-shaped uh, blade, but we're going to call it a batarang because, damn it, that's what it is. And he uses it to cut the wire and then falls back dramatically with it into the water below. Because uh, he got zapped by it, you know? <laughs> it's a metal but he falls thingy. like a Renaissance painting, The because the way they pose Robert Pattinson for this drop, and it goes into, like, slightly slower slow. Like, it's not full slow-mo, but it's definitely slowed-down footage, and it's just everything. I'm like, the drama. Initially, <laughs> in I was moment. like, oh, no, he's going to need to be rescued. But then I realized we were watching a symbolic baptism, so the water yeah. was decorative. But um, <laughs> it's only ankle deep. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fine. he just splashes a little bit, and he's like, eh, "Okay, shake it off." <laughs> yeah, he does eventually emerge into the darkness and goes into search and rescue mode, helping the various Gothamites escape wreckage, including Bella Royale, uh, and swim to safety in a shot where he's got a flare lit and he's literally leading the people through the darkness. <laughs> and it's important that when he goes to the the big tangled up part where the stage has kind of crashed in and sort of tangled up and and mm-hmm. caught a bunch of people. He goes in and he reaches out a hand and Bella Rael and a bunch of other people are just kind of like staring at him because they don't really know, you know, obviously they're freaked out. They don't really know what to make of it. And the hand reaches out and it's the kid. It's the yeah. same kid from the beginning of the movie. And it's the same kid that Bruce Wayne tackles out of the son. way of the car at the funeral. It's the mayor's son. And he's the first person who reaches out and trusts Batman. And after he carries him out and he, you know, more of them follow. And then with him with the flare leading them all out, it's like, OK, it started with one person trusting him now that he's kind of reframing himself as like, hey, I'm trying to help you. Mm-hmm. So... It's just this very beautiful moment. I, I feel like this was one of those shots that when they storyboarded it, they were like, this is going to be good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, this is the this, point. The like car flip Batman walking out from the fire, the like shots on the top where the, of the building where the bat signal was. I'm like, I can just see the storyboard panels that these were. Yeah. <laughs> Everything yep. else was built out from these. But as we, you know, cut through the darkness, Batman's narration kicks in once again. It's November 6th now and the city is underwater. Uh, martial law is in effect, but the criminal element is still active as they are want to do. And while Bella Royale is ready to rebuild, um, he is continuing to help folks make for the the roof and help escape the flood, uh, and even go so far as to load uh, a young woman onto a helicopter, comforting her before as she's clearly scared of getting medevaced out. Uh, this is a bat who can, you know, not just punch crime but also comfort his. The citizens of Gotham. He's come full circle. He's finally. embraced his his Bruce Wayne ness and his Batman ness. Um, he we finally have a movie Batman that's reached the level of Batman the Animated Series. Yes, <laughs> and I've I, read, I don't happier. know what video it was, which trope talk, where it's like if your Batman can't comfort a tiny child, yeah, it's not Batman. Yeah, <laughs> I can't remember which one it was either. But yes, I was very I think right it was, when I said uh, that. It was realism. It was episode two. But anyway, oh god, was, maybe. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's a hot take I've had in the back burner for a long time. Yeah, mm-hmm. but no, I think this is really cool to actually like 
see that. And the fact that a lot of people in the internet discourse called this part incongruous shows how warped and broken people's perceptions of Batman are. <laughs> These are the people who are like, I liked it better when he was just inspiring serial killers. <laughs> Guys, <laughs> that's the point of the movie. He's also, you know, he's seen he's had an effect, uh, but not the one he intended on the city. Uh, he's not vengeance. He's more than vengeance because people need hope. So like, I guess the implication of that sentence is that he's hope now, which is great. Good for Batman. This is when we get the uh, Arkham Riddler and Joker scene, which personally, I kind of just wish they cut it entirely from the movie. I, I think keeping the Riddler's breakdown in there would be good, but the Joker's presence in the scene feels wholly unnecessary and kind of just distracting from like the emotional end point that we've reached here in the movie because he's just because the joker is such an iconic character and also so deeply associated with the type of batman on screen that is not this batman um i saw this scene is the one that i'm like you know what just cut the scene it's the one thing i'm like wholeheartedly just take it out and i think if they did have the <laughs> earlier scene where bats talk to the joker maybe it would have felt less out of place um but I, I think i think personally i'm team like just no joker in this movie we don't need him he's just I, distracting from the end point I, I think red's definitely correct that like you need this scene for the riddler but yeah. you could have had anyone else in the other cell block <laughs> it is very funny to me that the the news story playing in the background doesn't even mention the riddler it's just like a night of terror but a mysterious vigilante emerged to save the day and it's just god that's so you funny you just had like a guard in a prison booth watching the news like tell the riddler to shut up and you would have gotten kind of the same breakdown yeah. go on without having to include the joker in this scene so i think this is probably the one genuine miss in the movie for me I think our take is that they just should have included the deleted scene because then you get another important piece of planting, the Joker's analysis, that this is a nobody who wishes he were somebody, and then you bring that full circle with this specific scene where his entire plan to construct this Riddler persona, terrorize the city, make sure they always remember him, is just undercut by the fact that Batman has like a single moment of clarity and starts changing the way he operates a little <laughs> bit, and that's all anyone talks about. <laughs> I don't want to put words in Sophia's mouth, but I agree with that interpretation that with adding the extra deleted scene, it it, it would make it work. But I, I think, Sophia, as far as, like, the movie as is, cut the Joker. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think for me what, what gets me is just, like, the Joker serves a purpose that pretty much any other character could. Like, any other character could talk about Riddler's motivations and explain, like, this is, you know, like, a grand plan's going to unravel or whatever. Any other character could be the one that the Riddler plays off of when he's finally having his breakdown. Why does it need to be Joker is what gets me. Only because the Joker is such um, a well-established character, especially in Batman on screen. And there's a lot of audience members who are going to see the Joker and immediately make assumptions that the movie might not try to be able... To, might not try to support, might not be like, this is the version of the character we want to put forward, because they haven't done any legwork to establish what kind of character it is. And I think it's just like clogging up. It's just one thing that clogs it up too much. But I do agree, like, yeah. had that scene, the deleted scene, been in the movie, it would have been less jarring. Um, but I still think overall my opinion is like, just cut the Joker and use a different stand, like add a nonsense stand-in character yeah. there to get the same effect. But which other rogue would have been great in the other cell? <laughs> what would have oh, been my funniest? God. Calendar man. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea, because Batman's been doing this for two years, so he's got to have taken down some of his, like, you know, C-tier rogues at this point. So you could just throw, like, a fun cameo in there for someone who has less, like, weight to the character you know like um like, like a firefly dying. kind of thing yeah, Just like yeah. A straight arsonist <laughs> <laughs> sid the squid yeah. the man who killed the batman from that one episode of batman the animated <laughs> series the man who killed batman i'm just saying you know lots of fun yeah. possibilities 
lots of fun possibilities. I think of ways to redo it. I think the Joker is the weak point of the scene more so, so than what the scene I is do doing. like the implication that Batman has already dealt with the Joker. I actually really like that. I like that it's like, yeah, we got him out of the way. What, you want to see it again for like a fourth <laughs> time? <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> But before the movie ends, Batman's got to catch Selina so they can have their, you know, emotional resolution. She's at a, a cemetery. Uh, you know, she's like, they catch up together and she's like, I don't know where I'm going to go next, but maybe you could come with me. We can, like, cause some problems, vengeance. Uh, but she's, you know, at the heart of hearts knows that he can't abandon his city. He can't abandon Gotham. And uh, they did part ways him sticking behind because he knows he could change the city and her believing that that's impossible. They have a dramatic motorbike scene. <laughs> Yeah. Where they both before ride this, together though, before we get, I love that scene. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, so it's sweet. very well done. It's very pretty. There is one shot that I love, which is where um, Selena takes one cat and yes. puts it in the little like motorcycle backpack. <laughs> yeah. And there's just this one moment where she's holding the cat underneath the arms, and its little arms and legs are just kind of like sticking Selena, out. This is important. <laughs> we need to talk about this. Has two cat carriers in the back of her motorcycle, implying that she has at least two cats with her at any Did given she, time. At any given time. <laughs> Again, this is a, it's like her apartment being full of cats. Great, her still having the cats with her now, leaving Gotham. Fantastic! Like all of this, chef's kiss. Yeah. Last little like moment of like fun and camp. Just this one the goofy the like holding this cat, yeah, just, like, plopping <laughs> it in. Its arms are so stuck out. It looks so silly. Mm-hmm. They get on their motorbikes and ride along Selena with her two cats attached uh, to the back. And they kind of like ride off together with like Batman right behind her and eventually reach a um, thematic fork in the road. Selena goes left, Bats goes right, and they carry on their various directions towards something or and Gotham. Um, as Batman speeds off into infamy, we get another uh, very close-up shot of him in his rearview mirror. Uh, he gives a glance back and a little grin and end movie I think this movie needed more Alfred in it that was my only complaint I was like if we're already getting like four different ending scenes why can't one of them be Alfred Mm -hmm. I want to know he's okay it just hard cuts to Andy Serkis taking a nap (laughs) that's the Batman there is an end credit scene in this movie because we are burdened with the knowledge that every superhero movie is going to have one and cursed to never forget that fact and also talk about them uh in this one the riddler's chat room pops back up flashing the word goodbye with a question mark and um there was some like which was very 2004 of them there was some online like tie-in content Mm, to this movie where you could go to rada rada and yeah Yeah. get like a cipher and stuff like that and yeah i don't know wasn't it that the reward for, like, beating the ARG was unlocking the Joker deleted scene? Ooh. That's how I remember it playing out. Maybe. Um, I like that. Google. That's cool if that's how they yeah, did it. Oh, I, so I just Googled radaalada.com and got, I got a yep. warning that it's seized by the Gotham Police Department. So they're really committed to this bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it was uh, the ARG unlocked the Joker arc deleted clip. scene. Does that make it canon? If it's tied in with the... Huh. I would say, like, probably that would be considered canon, but it, like, yeah. if you just didn't watch the, if you didn't bother doing the additional homework given to you after the movie, you would never have seen it. So I'm trying not to let it color my interpretation of the would film too much. Would that make it much. paratext? Hmm. <laughs> or it, I think it's like, I would say, you know, it happened, but it didn't happen in this movie, but it did happen. Like, it's, yeah. it's a deleted scene for the movie, but, like, the fact that they kind of presented this as like you know riddler like digging up some clip or something 
um, makes me feel like like this is this is part of it. It's not like, oh, you know, here's whatever scene where Batman fights Condiment King in the middle of <laughs> Gotham Police Department or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. It feels like the fact that it was presented in this way is like, yeah, you know, we cut it from the movie, but, like, we didn't show you any of the other stuff we cut. This one is, this is a good yeah. one. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. I... Again, it's like if he's out of Arkham, it's just a no-holds-barred smackdown. But when he's in Arkham, it's like, all right, well, you know, we got a rapport. We understand each other. I kind of like that. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I, think I just like personally so tired. That's my hot take is Joker tired. is much more interesting in <laughs> Arkham than yeah. out. Yeah. Well, I agree out, with you all guys of his plans are way. bad. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna poison the water supply. I'm going to copyright fish. Ooh, I'm going to scare a random dude and try to kill Commissioner Gordon. It's not interesting. Sorry, copyright has- fish? Yeah, it's a it's an episode of Batman the Animated Series. He uh, ah. he uses like Joker venom on fish, and they get this big Jokery grin. And then he's like, "Now that my face is all over them, I'm going to copyright these fish." And the law guys are like, "You can't copyright fish, Mister Joker." And he's like, "Oh yeah, what about my gun?" And then it just it, obviously okay, I've then changed it just my mind. There's stuff. one acceptable plot line for the Joker to be involved <laughs> in the sequel to this movie. Um, well, no, you can see them setting it up because now with the city flooded, there's so and much yeah. fish to copyright. Fish we city, baby. See, there's a protracted scene where he's going through like the legal, like it's like he's in line at the DMV, and they're like, "No, we need your actual legal name, sir." And he's like, uh, "I left then, that wallet in my the, other pants." Of course, the conflict then with with Mr. Freeze. That Mr. Freeze is like, "We need to freeze the fish," and Joker's like, "No, copyright them." <laughs> It's just ice skating versus fishing, which sport will prevail yeah. the movie. Um, yeah. No, it was something to mention about this is this movie has already been greenlit for a sequel. So they're definitely of doing one. Yes. Um, and there's obviously a lot of speculation about who will the villains be. But personally, I think the thing I'm most excited to see is will they introduce a Robin? Because this is a Batman who deserves to have a Robin. This yeah. man. They're going to have to do baby Dick Grayson for that. They're going to need right. a full eight-year-old straight out of the flying Graysons. It's what we need and deserve. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Oh, I would love The problem to see is it. then it's going to it's going to be some hot time skips before we can get any actual robining. Like this is not a tone of a superhero setting that is safe for child vigilantism. Like <laughs> mm-hmm. this is something that uh, I think is an overlooked very important factor in storytelling is that stories have specific limitations established by their tone. The mm-hmm. reason why it was such a shock when Jason Todd was killed is because that sort of thing didn't happen and it permanently changed the rules because suddenly you know, when you had like, oh, we got a fun little child sidekick that's running around having adventures and being the self-insert for all the, you know, the, the five to ten-year-olds reading these comics or whatever. Suddenly that was a crime and bad, actually. And that sort of changed the, the field of comic book storytelling forever to the degree that this movie is definitely not a child-friendly location. So <laughs> I think that this Batman would be great fostering Dick Grayson. I think that would be really fun. But I think he's going to need to wait a few years before we can get an actual Robin out of that. And even then, it's going to be a little dicey. Yeah, I think that they could do some setup for, like, okay, Dick is around and he's the foster child of the Waynes. But, I, like, I agree. I don't think they could jump right into, like, and now we're going to put you in spandex and have you fight crime. Woohoo! Like, that's mm. there's a certain amount of, like, levels that you just can't cross. Um, just think of the Mario jump sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> this is all speculation for a movie that has not yes. come out. Let's... Let's yeah. get our final thoughts in on the movie that we did just watch, The Batman, which is very long. Uh, <laughs> thank you all for bearing with us. Um, <laughs> what is a situation you might recommend our viewers watch this in? I get the feeling that we all quite enjoyed this movie. So yeah, what are some of your final yeah. thoughts A-plus. here? 
it's a good movie. Personally, I recommend doing similar to what I did, which is, you know, back to back it with some other different Batman movies to really get that sort of contrast. See, mm-hmm. I, I always think it's interesting to see how different people tell the same story or use the same character. Um, and I think contrasting it with the Nolan trilogy, the, the Tim Burton movies, the Joel Schumacher one, if you're feeling real exciting, um, you know, I... Oh, God. And also the newer ones, you know, the Snyderverse Justice uh, League stuff, uh, the stuff I keep forgetting exists because it yeah. it left no mark on my mind <laughs> or pop culture in general, it would seem. Um, mm. I just think it's a very interesting point of contrast because I, I think it's not a hot take these days to say we're maybe getting a little bit oversaturated with certain kinds of superhero movies and how it's like the minute it looks like it's flagging a little bit, oh, shit, quick, immediately reboot it or put out another movie in parallel. Who mm-hmm. cares? But I... I think they have a winner with this one, and I'm excited for them to stick with it because mm-hmm. Robert Pattinson's a really good Batman, and the directors and writers handle this really well. And I think it's interesting to go back and sort of look at what other Batman movies did well or poorly and how we got to where we are. Because before this movie came out, I think the last Batman movie that had a compelling romantic subplot and it was Batman Returns. And that's <laughs> not a good movie, for the yeah. record. I... Part of the reason that I like this movie so much is because, and even, you know, like the, the original trailer was just oozing with like style and tone, mm-hmm. is that this is one of the rare superhero movies that actually pays a lot of attention to craft. Like yeah. when we were talking about the way that contrast works and there's actually like light and shadow and a range of <laughs> colors that you can see on screen sometimes. Uh, the, the physical frame of the camera is dirtied, which gives texture to what you're seeing and makes you feel like you're, you know, you're, you're in the world and you're getting rained on too. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much well done, like physically from a like film craft uh, um, angle to appreciate independent of this being a Batman movie there's mm-hmm. like all the cinematography and the art direction is just so well done the score of course those, those uh, boots um, but it, it is on top of that also such a great encapsulation of all the reasons that people would love Batman he's a great fighter he's the world's greatest detective he's a master inventor and he is a tortured sad yep. sparkly <laughs> jawlined boy uh, yeah. he's a very very it, pretty very sad man <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a great combination. It's it's all there together. So I, I feel like this is my favorite Batman movie because it just does all of these things so well. And there is there's almost a, a little bit of like any of the reasons that you could like Batman. There's there's something that this mm-hmm. movie does that'll be here for you. Yeah, um, this this movie really understands yeah. not only the character that they are trying to make a new installment in a long running sequence of appearances for, but also like the medium they're working in they're blue i completely agree like the thing that sets this movie apart from a lot of other superhero movies for me is that like the craft is so deeply focused on which is not to say that the craftspeople who work on other superhero movies are doing a poor job i think it's entirely down to like more studio directiony but they're clearly they were given a lot of leeway to actually stick to their visual identity and their visual ideas in this movie and it completely pays off and, and, and on top of that, it's well-written and well-acted. So uh, this this movie's a win for me. It's probably my new favorite Batman installment. Yeah. It's not even a competition at yeah. this point. It's like it's you you look at this and you're like, that's what every other movie was trying to figure out how mm-hmm. to do. And that's just a really high bar. But yeah. also, I, I feel like I'm going to need to watch this movie again one more time just with an eye for how they do the fight scenes. Because in yeah. hindsight... 
This movie is so dark, and the main character is wearing all black, and he regularly fights guys wearing all dark colors. It's hard to make fight scenes like that visually coherent. It's mm -hmm. really hard, even on like under ideal conditions. And they pull it off, and I'm not sure how they did that. I think a lot of it is backlighting. A lot of it is good contrast because, you know, if yeah. like the, the fight in the club where it's like everything around them is kind of foggy and brightly lit, but that means the figures work as silhouettes. And Batman has such a distinctive silhouette compared to everybody else that mm -hmm. even if it's just from the ears, you can tell who's who at any given yeah. time. But I think they also hold the shots for longer. And, like, I, I was recently editing a, a trope talk that for various reasons involved an awful lot of fight scenes. And, uh, <laughs> boy, there's a wide range of quality. Yeah. <laughs> for contrast, yeah. they, I edited some footage from Defenders recently, which had nine mm. quick cuts in the course of a three-second shot. Yeah, I don't so want to dwell on it nonsense. too long, because I feel like we covered this a little bit in the beginning when we talked about the fight style. But something that this movie yeah. did really well is in the edit, they let, let the fights happen. Uh, there's... Yeah. There is certainly a certain amount of cutting to compensate for, like, look, this, Jackie Chan is not in this movie, so the combat inherently cannot be one oh, long could shot. could get him? Who would he play? <laughs> Jackie Chan is no, Rachel no, no, Gould. No, 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 we, we can't do this. Can't do this. The, the thing I was going to say is that what I like about these fight scenes is that there are actually fairly few of them, mm -hmm. and each of them operates in an entirely different way and serves a very different purpose. So it is so sparing with how it handles combat that when it happens it is a real treat and they really get to just indulge so there's one car chase sequence in this entire movie mm -hmm. but they use that time to the max that they possibly could and because they they know they're trying to do so many things to have all this these different aspects of batman-ness in one film mm -hmm. they really make sure that every single thing they do is like spot on perfect as good as it could possibly be so we we get some of those you know like close you know group fight scenes we get some of the wider like batman just tearing down through a hallway of people we get a lot of different kinds of fight sequence so there's you know it's a little something for everyone ign <laughs> every year for every game um but it's it's done so well because it is all in character mm -hmm. it's good choreography the way that they had the batman suit he can actually move in it watch the nolan movies he it's cannot ideal. move in that thing <laughs> he can't move um, in any of the other bat suits they all have yeah. the neck problem it's ridiculous <laughs> the only one that doesn't is batfleck um because it's all cloth and that's yeah. th that's that's a good fight scene but it's it's one good fight scene and it's like way too brutal and it doesn't really give you a lot of character these yeah he doesn't fights move. every fight gives you right. some aspect of his character so yeah. there's a lot to it's enjoy about I think that. Well, the point we're dancing around here is like all the elements of this movie work together really well to create a really cohesive fun to watch and very emblematic of the interpretation of the character we're all fond of movie um, Yeah, that'll put our little bow on it for this very long episode <laughs> <laughs> uh, Red is and this Blue, another this is, is this the third episode breaker. that I've been part of where the movie was shorter than the episode yes. where we talked about and this was a yes. three hour movie so yes <laughs> <laughs> uh, but oh, thank you I'm guys so, so much for coming on. I had a blast talking about this, and clearly we had a lot of thoughts fantastic. on it. Um, oh, yeah. I still want, have thoughts on it. <laughs> if people want more of those thoughts, I know you've talked about it on the channel, where can they where can they find those um, opinions oh, yeah. and diatribes uh, and what have you? <laughs> yes. Well, as mentioned, we do have the channel, uh, the Overly Sarcastic Productions. Uh, find it on YouTube. Um, we probably, I feel like it's inevitable at this point that we fire off a detailed diatribe with something about the Batman. Like, <laughs> we're going to have to. Yeah. We're going to have to. We still have too many thoughts about it. Um, and uh, we also have Twitter, which I use a lot more for small scale detailed diatribing and, and promoting my Everybody Should Watch uh, reboot agenda. <laughs> anyway, um, 
I think that's basically. I mean, we have an Instagram, yeah. but like, unless you want cat pics, cats and, in space. Yeah. yeah. yeah so, so. Uh, Indigo, thank you so much uh, for having us um, yeah. on on the show. This is this is a treat to have uh, been able to talk about a movie that all three of us just love so goddamn much. Yeah. Finally, <laughs> finally, we, yes. we bring it all into alignment. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, with that, I think we will leave to deal with the imminent flooding of Gotham City. But until next time, <laughs> uh, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next movie. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Movie Struck. We'll be back on May 13th, but if you have any questions, comments, or concerns for the pod before then, feel free to email us at moviestruckpod at gmail.com and check out the Moviestruck Discord linked in the show notes below. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review. And if you really enjoyed the show, consider becoming a patron. Bonus patron-selected film reviews, exclusive Discord channels, and more await. For more from our guests Red and Blue, check out Overly Sarcastic Productions on YouTube and the links in the show notes below. A special thank you to all the patrons who joined our community in May. It's thanks to these folks that this month of podcasting was made possible. So, without further ado, special thank you to AJ, Silver Arrow, Stephen Bosch, V, Andrew Riopel, Insomnite, Perpetual Pizza Perloiner, Matthew, Rapture77, Link Brenton, Nathan Dunlap, Brian, Ronan Drake, Daddy Swan, JWX, Sam Vickland, Sphere E, Rhiannon, Peep the Toad, Aldebrand Wrights, Anthony, Dylan McCormick, Stevanger Cronux, and J Shays 512. Thanks again.